Hey, got a special message before we start the episode. Playing this bubbly-ass music to get everybody excited. It's ridiculous. It's <laughs> This music is... I, I did a search for copyright-free, royalty-free, bubbly music, and this is what came up. But I'm doing this for a very special reason. We've got one of our listeners. Actually, it's Brooke Doherty. She's an amazing person. Uh, I've met her multiple times. I love her. She's so great. She handles uh, the, the Leftover Army uh, reviews that we put on the website. She, she reaches out to everybody and, and gets the reviews ready for the month and, and uh, all the movie reviews that we get from like Josh Davis and Quentin and all these, you know, everybody else who's writing reviews. Brooke is the one who adds all that up, and she's written many reviews herself. Uh, she's a fantastic person. She's going through a hard time right now, but and so I wanted to take this moment uh, maybe to plug her stores. I mean, she has a website you can go to. It's uh, floordelu.com, and that's spelled F as in Frank, L-E-U-R-D-E-L-O-U.com. She's got an Etsy shop. She's got a T Public shop. She's got, oh my God, what, what Bonfire Apparel Shop. I've never even heard of Bonfire Apparel. She's got a shop for it, but her Etsy shop, everybody goes to Etsy. She's got amazing jewelry, uh, tons of, yeah. Remember Barrel of Monkeys? She's got Barrel of Earrings. It's a monkey from the Barrel of Monkeys, and it's an earring. That's fun. She's also got a Lego earring. That is fun. She's got Mickey Mouse head and hands and a Minnie Mouse uh, Minnie Mouse earrings. These are great. Brooke, you're so talented. These are awesome. This music is really fucking me up right now. Hey, Rebecca, I know you love Captain America. She's got a necklace with Captain America in the center of the necklace. It's called Captain My Captain. Oh, shit. We're, we're, you're, we're changing up the sounds of the 70s with this hit that nobody remembers. I don't know what I'm doing right now. She's got a Wizard of Oz uh, necklace. It's called Like Home. This is amazing. It's got the ruby slippers. It's got the Tin Man's axe. I think it's got the... I think I see the Cowardly Lion's little cowardly penis in there somewhere. I'm lying about that. But it's amazing. Go to her Etsy shop. I'm going to post the links for her shop in the show notes for this episode. You guys need to check it out. Brooke, we love you. We're here for you. I'm going to do what I can to get the word out there about your shop. Hopefully see some of these items being snagged up because these are really fucking cool. There's something for everyone. And uh, definitely go to her shop. Thank you so much, Brooke, for all your support. We love you. We're here for you. Seriously, I mean that sincerely, Brooke. We, we love you. And uh, can't wait to see you again at C2E2 and give you a big hug. All right, guys. Go to FleurDeLue.com. Check out her Etsy site. Buy some bonfire apparel. Make it happen. For your next bonfire, they're going to be like, what did you, where did you find that apparel? And you're going to be like, I found this apparel at FleurDeLue.com. And you're gonna say it. You're gonna say it like that, like like on the offense, like you're hitting them. You're hitting them back. With I don't know what I'm doing right now. This music is fucking distracting. Let's get the episode started. All right, later. Maybe another ten seconds of this fucking song. Am I right? I mean, we're all digging it, right? Anyway, kidding. All right, let's do this shit. I want to start. I want to fucking get this shit on the. I want to get this show on the goddamn road. All right. Yes. Do it. You want a goddamn road? <laughs> all right that might be the beginning of the episode i might clip that might clip that one. <laughs> my throat hurt it was so good <laughs> 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 <laughs>
my god. <laughs> if I started doing that right now, Michelle would be right out in this hallway. See, I can I didn't do, do that till the cows come home. It don't fucking matter. Ain't got nowhere fucking here. I can fucking spit in my dick like a helicopter right now. Nobody knows the difference. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that might be the beginning clip of the episode. Episode 445. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat. But it's all been done before. We don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. By the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good it, toss it, good it, take it. Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, paint, erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture. Carry over, counterculture, push over. Pop culture. Leftover. Uncool kids. What's to say has already been said. Leftover. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers. Hi, it's Nick Swartzen, and welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers. Oh my god! Hey, welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian. I'm Jake. And we're the leftovers. Oh, listen to you over there, Jake. Now, what happened to the enthusiasm, buddy? I thought I was bringing it hard. Oh, really? You thought you were bringing it hard? Seriously. I if this... did, I did, I did. You thought, you thought that lacked enthusiasm? Y- yeah, like if this was porn and that was supposed to be hard, your, dip, your dick is slipping out of that vagina every fucking take, man. If you, if you could see me over here, I literally was thrusting my pointing finger out into the air as I said it. To try to make it go even harder. That's even, that's sad, then. <laughs> that's sad, man. Get, get, come on, let's do this again. All right, all right. Hey, welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian. I'm Jake. And And we're the Leftovers. Now that's, yeah, that's it, Jake. That's the kind of shit that I want from you, okay? (laughs) I feel like I'm doing like a PCL performance review over the last quarter, you know? See, that felt so phony to me. I I thought the first take was better. It was phony because you phoned it in on the first one. No, but if you would have came with that, no, if you would have came with that fucking energy, if you would have came with that fucking energy from the beginning, there would have been no questioning about it. But I had to prod you. I had to poke you a little bit to get that out of you. <laughs> All right, I'll concede. Seriously, have a little pride. <laughs> I, I can't argue this. I thought, I thought I brought the most pride I ever brought that first time. <laughs> oh, man. That was sad. Let's get, let's find it. Joe, wasn't that, wasn't that shit? <laughs> the, the second one was definitely high energy. Yeah, and he's 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 like, oh, that was fake, that was phony. But it if was. you, yeah, but if you would have brought that the first time, nobody would have known any different. Mm, I, I'm starting to follow now. Exactly, right. exactly. You know, this is like uh, this is like the unma- like the what was it, the master magician, and you're you're just letting everybody see the goddamn trick. And if you would have just fucking came out there and fucking performed your little fucking rabbit out of the fucking top hat bullshit like you were supposed to the first fucking time, nobody would be questioning it. You know what? Actually, this means nothing to no one else but me. The only person this is angering on this call or listening to this podcast is me. That's it. I have the problem, Jake. I am 100% the problem right now. And I I am seeing that, Jake, and I'm going to be seeking help. All right. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And that's the first step of admitting that you have a problem. But next time, seriously, bring some more. You know what I mean? <laughs> I 
got it. I got it. I'll fake it till I make it from here on. Hey, we got Joe from Startcast. Welcome, Joe. Joe still, still not admitting that that first one was complete bullshit. <laughs> I was going to bring up Joe's great political answer. Too. I know he's tiptoeing around that shit, man. Come on. He fucking, went straight to just complimenting the second one. Take off the ballerina shoes, fucking tiptoe motherfucker, and let us hear the real truth. Come on. <laughs> the first one was bullshit. Either you, either the. <laughs> Come on. Come on, Joe. I'm not even lying about fucking shooting my finger out there during that first one. I, I thought that was everything. I felt like I, I, fucking I, I, Dr. Dre doing that first one. Oh, that first one. <laughs> it, was, it was laughable. I must not have the right ear for it. I mean, the, the second one was there was definitely high energy. The first one, I guess, I didn't see what was quite wrong with it, but you know, what do I know? Yeah, what do you know? I'm gonna take that as a point <laughs> for Jake. <laughs> Let's get our next guest to weigh in here. Jesus Christ! No, I don't even want to hear from June. She's just gonna side from you, side with you. <laughs> I thought it was fine too. I don't know what the fuck Brian's talking about. June, welcome, June. I don't like it when mom and dad fight. This is not fighting. This is not fighting. This is like that. This is the no. This is that cute shit that we do before we fuck. This is like mom and dad playing a little fucking game. You know what I mean? She's slapping me around a little bit. I'm slapping her around a little bit. You know, then we're going to get in the bedroom and choke each other while we're fucking and shit. We're going to do. Yeah, fuck yeah. I'll show you some enthusiasm later. Yeah, you want some enthusiasm? You like this? You like this? Yeah. Yeah. Is that high energy enough for you? And we're the leftovers. You like that? Oh god. Yeah. There's times when I think that like, you know, there's some parents who are like really really open like about sex with their kids and I was like, yeah, I'm like maybe not be so open. <laughs> I think it's a healthy relationship that me and Jake have on this podcast. Just being able to air this shit out like on the air. Yeah. It's very healthy. Yes. Nothing wrong with it. It's a, it's a beautiful friendship. It's very natural. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what, what do we got here? Um, yeah, last week uh, when we talked about a new contest for uh, five digital codes for Medieval. That's the uh, new Ben Foster movie. I believe Michael Caine is in that one. My name is Michael Caine. I remember. Did, did, you, <laughs> did, did you remember? Do you remember that Saturday Night Live sketch? They had somebody playing Michael Caine, and that's the only thing they said. I think. Yeah. That, that's Dana Carvey, right? It was, yeah, it was probably Dana Carvey. My name is Michael Caine. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> it was funny. Oh, that Dana Carvey. That was Pete Carvey, wasn't it, Jake? Oh, yeah, Pete Carvey. Those sure. Saturday Night Live days. Pete Carvey is what they called it, Jake. <laughs> what was Low Carvey? Master of Disguise? Master of Disguise, probably. <laughs> Yeah. Am I not turtly enough for your turtle club? Oh, my <laughs> Look God. At this, this guy He's fucking quoting the goddamn thing. That's I fucking sickening. I remembering trailers. I've never actually seen the movie. I just remember that part in the trailer. Oh, my God. I remember myself flipping through the channels trying to get away from that fucking abomination of a trailer. <laughs> he showed more excitement in that movie than Jake did in the fucking intro, though. I'll say that much. I'll say that much, Jake. Anyway, we... <laughs> If you're still listening, we've got five 
<laughs> Got five winners for medieval codes that we're going to go over right now. First winner, Javier Sotomayor. Javier Sotomayor, you win. Hey, Joe, you write these fucking names down? I am. Can't wait to see how you spell Sotomayor. That'll be fun. <laughs> if I yeah. get this one right, yeah, I'll be amazed. I bet you fuck up Javier. <laughs> I had to think about it for a little while. I'm like, Javier Bardem. I've seen this on movie posters. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> and number two, Mr. Stephen Collins. Steve, Steve, brother of Phil. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, Jake. Look it up. Stephen Collins. That was my Susu Studio. Larry Mayday. You didn't win. I just like to say your name. <laughs> That's what I say when I'm fucking Jake in the bedroom. I say Larry's name. Yeah. No, Larry Mayday. It makes me uncomfortable when I talk to Larry. <laughs> it's, yeah. I'm very comfortable, though. Mm, Larry. No, you're the, uh, you're the third winner there, Larry. Number, uh, number four. Monica Garola, big fucking surprise. It's just, you know what I mean? <laughs> And uh, I get so pissed off when I see Monica Girl's name, Jake. Oh, yeah. It's, it, it, it triggers me, too. It, it angers me. It angers. I, oh, man. And final winner. We need, we need to get Monica on the podcast. No. She knows us at this point. No. No. Not happening. <laughs> she's, she's gotten enough out of this podcast, Jake. <laughs> Bleeding us dry. She's been on more episodes than you. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Nicholas Antones. You're number five. You win a digital copy of Medieval. I think it might just be a red box rental, Jake. Might just be a red box rental. Mm, sorry, Monica. You don't get to own this one. Mm. Anyway, we do have a new contest. And uh, it is for, we did digital codes for this movie. Now I've got five physical Blu-ray copies to give away of Jerry and Marge Go Large, uh, Brian Cranston, Annette Benning, <clears throat> and Rain Wilson. Listen to my voice go out on me. Jesus. <clears throat> God damn. Brian Cranston, Annette Benning, and Rain Wilson star in Jerry and Marge Go Large, inspired by a true story a retiree named Jerry Selby discovers a mathematical loophole to win the lottery. He and his wife Marge use, use their winnings to revive their small hometown. But when a selfish college student cheats the system, Jerry must find a way to make the game fair for all. Buy Jerry and Marge Go Large on Blu-ray today, and it's directed by David Frankel, rated PG-13. And yes, we have five physical copies of Jerry and Marge Go Large that we're going to be giving out as prizes. We're going to go over those winners next week. All you need to do to enter the contest is I'm going to be sending out a Jerry and Marge Go Large tweet and Facebook post. Retweet it or share it on Facebook. Screenshot that you did. Send it to me. Contest at PopCultureLeftovers.com with the title Jerry and Marge Go Large and you'll be entered to win one of five physical Blu-ray copies of Jerry and Marge Go Large. All right. And congratulations already to Monica Garola. <laughs> yeah. We want to, you know what? We're just, we got your copy in the mail right now, Monica. 
There was um, there was one year during the Emmys when Downton Abbey was on, and like Maggie Smith won for like best supporting actress, like in a comedy series, like every year at the Emmys. And so like this was maybe like the fourth time, and she didn't, she wasn't there. And so uh, Jimmy Kimmel only takes her Emmy because she was the winner. And he was like, "No, Maggie, no, you have like five of these already. You I mean you didn't even bother to show up here because you were going to win." He's like, "You don't get this one." And then he walked off the stage with her Emmy. That was kind of funny. Classic yeah. Emmy hijinks. Oh my yeah. god, that Emmy humor gets me every time. I'm a sucker for it. I am a sucker. Oh my god, June. <laughs> I'm a sucker for the award show stuff. Oh, yes. Oh man, I remember that like it was yesterday, don't you, Jack? Oh man, I remember what I was doing at that exact moment. I know. I asked my parents, what were you doing when Kennedy got shot? They don't remember, but they remember that fucking antidote that June presented us today. <laughs> the time Maggie Smith didn't show up for fifth consecutive um, Emmy. My dad won't shut up about it at Thanksgiving. I gotta listen to him talk about it this year. <laughs> like fuck. Smith is still alive, right? Yeah. Okay. I I don't know. My huh. gut says no. Anyway, Jerry and March go large. <laughs> Want to thank Paramount Pictures for these contests. So thank you, Paramount. Have you guys heard about the uh, the Costco puzzle, the big Costco puzzle? No. When I say Mm-mm. when I say big, I mean big. It is the largest puzzle uh, to purchase. It is a uh, sixty thousand piece puzzle. That they, what is it of? Uh, it's of. Uh, it should be of uh, the most. Uh, like it should be of like pathetic people putting together puzzles because like this is. <laughs> Jesus Christ! It's six hundred fucking dollars. Um, the world's largest How many pieces. How many pieces did you say? Sixty fucking thousand. <laughs> Sixty thousand. Uh, yeah, wow. world's largest jigsaw puzzle. It's uh, sixty thousand pieces. Sixty one thousand piece puzzles make one gigantic masterpiece. It's uh, eight feet tall and twenty nine feet long. Uh, features. Images from 187 Dowdle paintings. Jake, are you a big fan of the Dowdle paintings? Mm, I think it's a bit overrated. Is that, has that been your Dowdle stance for the many years? I liked it a lot when I was younger, but I, as, as I got older, I, I kind of didn't see the value in it as much. Yeah, they're huge. This, this is a huge puzzle. Where the fuck are you putting this thing? Yeah, no yeah. Shit. that was my first think, question. Is how big of a card table do you need? I think that's kind of cheating the way it sounds too. It sounds like it's a bunch of small puzzles that you eventually put together into the one big puzzle. I bet it's all separately bagged and everything. So eh, that's kind of bullshit. Yeah, they should put it all together. That's how real. Yeah, that's how real men do puzzles. Fucking pieces at once. Not like some fucking pussy a thousand at a time. Jesus. Yeah. That's how a real man. That's how a real man puts together a puzzle. But you know, yeah, that's that's what's wrong with men today is they don't put puzzles together. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I thought it was toxic masculinity, <laughs> but it's this bullshit. <laughs> but Jakey said, like, if they even like come, like you know, say if it's like each of like you know the puzzles are separately packaged. I mean, you're gonna have that probably several people who are gonna be like, fuck that, and then just dump all the contents into like one ass bin and be like, nope, we're doing this. I'm not doing it section by section. I like the way you think, June. I hope that's true. I hope there's one actual man out there that just dumps so. all the pieces Someone's together. Gonna, I think someone will. They, they've, they've got two puzzles. 
And they've also got the other one commemorating that uh, moment on the Emmys that June spoke about <laughs> about earlier. So they got that divided up into 60,000 pieces, Jake. I know. It's right up there with Sally Field accepting speech at you know, the Oscars, the You Like Me, just like that. Oh, June. <laughs> any of you people ever been like puzzle guys? Have you ever completed a puzzle? Like, no, not I hate like jigsaw a... puzzles. I absolutely hate jigsaw puzzles. Yeah, my yeah. wife does them fairly regularly. My mom did them when we were growing up. There, I think there was a time where she was just she just gave up on sex, and so she was like, <laughs> "Okay, let's do these puzzles." Yeah, so you know, I guess that's just what happens when you get old. What do you do with the puzzles when you're done with them? That's what I've never understood. You take the you, you put some kind of like adhesive bullshit on them, and then frame them, and you're like, "Look what I fucking did." <laughs> whoop the fucking shit and then just oh my god call the suicide hotline already god damn <laughs> jesus christ you know anyway. it was kind of like a novelty thing like that you would get for people it was like usually for like wedding like pre- like a present like anniversary or pre- like probably anniversaries but like it was the jigsaw puzzle portrait Right, like if it was like your parents' like twentieth anniversary, you would like blow up their wedding photo, and then you would get it. And there's a company that would turn it into a big jigsaw puzzle. Oh, that's awesome! So, like, when you get a divorce, you can just literally take out the person's head. <laughs> Dude, I was thinking like the only thing that I'd ever want to frame is like if I fucking as a teenager got emancipated from my parents. Like, can we can we turn that into a puzzle that I can frame on my fucking wall? How about my divorce papers? Yeah. How about just fucking put those into a puzzle? How, yeah, let's just put all my failures onto a puzzle. Huh? <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. 60,000 piece failure puzzle. But it's just, you know, 60 different 1,000 piece failures that you've done. <laughs> I'm talking about how pathetic people that put together puzzles are, Jake. But I think it was like it was Sunday last week and I just turned on uh, Antenna TV and it was old episodes from Hazel. And I watched both of them back to back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I, nobody does. Nobody does. Nobody does except for me and like maybe a couple other people. So you and Hazel. Well, it was a, she, she was a maid. Back in the day on this, she played a maid on this show, this woman, and her character's name was Hazel. And she was like, she was the maid and, uh, you know, she worked for a family and, you know, shenanigans and shit, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I never knew about this old show. It's early 60s, five seasons, 155 episodes. Yeah. No one that I recognize in the show. No. No, no. I was watching an episode, and they had um, it was a, it was an episode about uh, Hazel gets a uh, color TV. <laughs> she gets a color TV, and like the entire fucking neighborhood, it was the first color TV that people had in this neighborhood, and people from all over were coming over to watch. Uh, was it Perry Como? Perry Cuomo on all the color TV? I found this out. I, I looked this up. I was like, what the fuck? Because I, I didn't know. When color TVs were first introduced to the public, like when it was invented and introduced into the public, it, it, they were introduced in 1954, Jake. Uh, but uh, less than one percent of consumers 
had a color TV set by the end of that year. Ten years later, in fact, nearly 98% of American homes still did not have a color TV. Doesn't that blow your mind? Yeah, I guess the technology must have been very expensive back then. Yeah, they, like they had a whole fucking episode about this maid getting a color TV and the whole fucking neighborhood coming over to watch it like it was like this amazing thing. <laughs> I was kind of blown away by that, you know? Yeah, that's crazy. I was like, well, what the fuck was the big deal with the color TV back then? And then I looked at that statistic and I was just like, holy shit, blows your mind. You don't even think about it today. Just like when I watched uh, Back to the Future for the first time and Marty goes back and they're watching the Honeymooners and he's talking about how they have two TVs. And like, you know, we, we, had, we were a two TV family at that time. And just thinking like most homes didn't have a TV back then or they just had one. And, yeah. he's, and, they, and he's saying that they have two. And, uh, you know, now you look at it and, like, people got a TV in every fucking room of the house. Guys have TVs, a flat screen in their fucking garages, for crying out loud. Yeah, you're basically carrying a TV around with you 24-7. It's true. Yeah. It's, it's my, it's, Jake, it's mind-blowing, the technology. My sister's got, like, a TV, a flat screen TV in her bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Nice. So it is. Her bathroom is, like, one of those, like, super nice, like, luxury bathrooms. Like, the shower with, like... The fight that the, the spouts that come out of the wall, and then she's got this huge ass tub. And of course, so like the way that the TV's set up is like she can take a really nice bath and have the TV on and binge watch shit. Mm. Ah, man, that's luxurious. I bought it. Sounds amazing. I bought something off of Kickstarter, and I haven't said it. I, you know, I'm leery about Kickstarter inventions now. I'm never going to do it again. I've bought one, and I'm not happy with it. And I got another one that they've been. I bought like two fucking years ago, and I'm still waiting on the goddamn thing. But it's a fucking uh, waterproof. Uh, it's like a it's like a flat screen. It's waterproof. You stick it in your fucking shower, and you can put all your apps in it and shit. Oh, nice. Hopefully that, that works. Nice. I Jake, I'm telling you, man. I don't trust these fucking Kickstarter tech. This Kickstarter tech, man. There's like, it's like once they put it out there, it feels like there's zero support, man. It's bullshit. So I'll never do it again. I guarantee you, this thing is gonna, just going to be a piece of shit. I'm going to throw it out. Mm, that's unfortunate. Yeah. yeah, it definitely seems like that'd be a, a riskier project to back than say like a comic book or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do a lot of board games on Kickstarter, and like you know, even if they don't support it, you still get that original board game. So it's you st- at least you get something out of the deal. That's, but I've waited yeah. over three years for for games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, uh, yeah I. I teased something to you guys. I, I saw Joe. Joe, I, I, we'll talk about that later. I saw Joe and Jake in person a couple weeks ago. But I told you guys that I had a uh, that I had a dream, and I was going to tell you about it late on an episode. Yeah, uh, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I had and it was like I never. I don't have that many dreams, and if I do, they're just like clips, like short little clips that I can barely remember. And then by the time I fully o- am awake, I forget the entire dream. This one was pretty fucking. Eh, I'd say semi-vivid. It was really weird, this dream I had. But I thought it was I thought it was fun and topical to not even topical to bring up on the podcast. Fuck it, I'm gonna bring it up anyway. I had I had a dream that there was a <laughs> that there was a female celebrity that wanted to have sex with me. Okay. Just um no one in particular. Oh no, it's definitely somebody in particular. Okay. I uh, Jake, guess. Just take a guess. Ha- Why Hazel. Ha- yeah, Hazel. <laughs> it was fucking it was the actress that played hazel me and her fucking getting it on you're not you're not you're not that far off um share huh share share yeah 
I thought you said chair, like a, no, like, like cherry from no. Pee Wee's Playhouse. No, yeah, no. I, I stuck my dick in between the cushions and went to town. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> made, made the pterodactyl watch. Well, 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 I'm gonna fuck you in your cushions. I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, uh, Joe, you got a guess? I'm still laughing about the Pee Wee thing. <laughs> How do you like that, Cherry? I know you said it was close with uh, with. Uh, it's not that bad. Jeez, it's not that bad. <laughs> I have no idea who you got. It, it was Martha Stewart. Nice. <laughs> so anyway, hold on, hold on. So I have this dream. I'm in a hotel. I'm in a hotel, and and uh, and Martha Stewart's in the hotel. And for one reason or another, Martha Stewart wants to hook up with me. So I'm thinking, like, there's a lot running through my head, right? Like, number one, she's as old as my mom. Number two, it's Martha fucking Stewart. <laughs> Number three, I've never thought about Martha Stewart in that way. And number four, I'm going to fucking do this, right? So it's like. (laughs) Oh, God. So hold on, hold on, hold on. So it's like, I think I don't know where this fucking thought like crept into my fucking brain when I'm dreaming. But I do remember on Twitter a few weeks ago, you know how I'm flipping through on Twitter and it shows you what's trending. There was something that was trending about Martha Stewart, and I guess it was like this saucy, spicy pic that she fucking put up of herself. And it was her in an apron and nothing under it. So it's just like it's Martha and her two Stewarts. You know what I mean? And so, yeah. And so, you know, it it wasn't like I saw it and I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, Martha Stewart, you know, and like shut the door and just start jerking it. It was just like one of those things that I just saw. But then here I am in the dream and Martha Stewart's wanting to bang me. Right. Here's the problem. I'm staying in the hotel room with my mother. (laughs) (laughs) So it was it was it was like one of those. I felt like it was like uh, it was like. It was like Ferris Bueller trying to do something behind their parents' back, yet I'm an adult, and yet I'm not trying to skip school. I'm trying to fuck Martha Stewart. It was, yeah. it was, it was, a, it was a wild dream trying to figure out a way to bang Martha Stewart. And never, so if I, in, like the, in the dream logic, were you all three in the same room? No, 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 no. No, and th- no, we were not all three in the same room. It was it, just trying to find an excuse to tell your mom of why you should be able to go. It was like that classic sitcom trope where it's like the guy is trying to keep two people away from each other, but still, you know, like, you know, like, uh, <laughs> yeah. like an episode of Saved by the Bell where, you know, Zach brings two dates to the dance, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like that. So it was like, yeah, mom, I'm I'm gonna go down by the pool, and then like I'm running to Martha's room, right? You know what I mean? It was like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but I gotta run back to mom, you know. So it's like, oh no, this is the Mrs. Doubtfire dinner scene. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like the Miss. It's like Mrs. Doubtfire, but I'm trying to bang, you know, Martha Stewart. <laughs> Basically the same. Yeah. Hello. And I'm looking at these pictures and trying to reconcile the fact that I'm looking at a picture of an 81 year old. And I'm like, I don't know. 
Oh man, oh, pictures really happened. That's yeah, they're, these are real pictures. Oh, I and, thought that was just dream. No, yeah, man. They're actually pretty hot. I'm not gonna lie. Where's <laughs> the one year old? I don't know how to feel about this. I mean, dude, I just like I just I was wanting to fucking you know knock the centerpiece off her Thanksgiving table and just take her right there. You know, the one that she made. You know. <laughs> <laughs> She does have the persona of a teacher, so it could be a wild night. Yeah, man. How old is she, Joe? Said she's 81 on Reddit. That, that can't be true. That can't be true. There's no way she's fucking 81. <laughs> just, I'm just reporting on what I, what I read on well, Reddit. Well, go to, well, then fuck Reddit. Fuck Reddit. Go to, find the, uh, just type in, in Google, how old is Martha Stewart? No, she and Snoop Dogg had like they're like buds, and I think they had like a TV, like a web series or something. Sure, she's eighty-one. She was born in nineteen forty-one. Holy wow. fuck! She really is eighty-one. <laughs> she's fucking eighty-one. No, what project does she do with Snoop Dogg? I swear, like that. She buds. may be eighty-one, but her favorite number is sixty-nine. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like, it was a crazy dream. It was a cra- I never got the banger in the dream though. So There's a lot of Freudian stuff happened in that dream. Too. That's unfortunate. Did you wake up before it happened? Basically. Oh yeah, like I'm getting ready to, and then I like oh, and I, then I wake up, and it's like no. <laughs> <laughs> I woke. I just got blue balled by Martha Stewart. I woke up and I was like, where the fuck did that dream come from? <laughs> And why could why couldn't I have dreamt about anyone else? <laughs> she was going to show you how to make some pound cake. Uh, I'm going to show her how to make some pound cake. <laughs> eighty-one, jeez, he looks great for eighty-one. Yeah, I know. I didn't believe it. I know. And she, yeah, and she served prison time. Yeah, she, she served hard years. time. That that usually does harden someone. Else, <laughs> she, so, I mean, you almost served her hard time. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. All right, let's see here. All right, what do we got here? What do we got here? All right, you guys ready to jump into good pop, bad pop? Yeah, do it. It's time for more leftover reviews with good pop. Good Pop, Bad Pop is where we talk about the things of the previous weekend or weeks that we either watched or read. Sometimes we rate these things, and if this is your first time listening, this is our rating system. The rating system is simple. If the leftovers don't like something, they toss it. If they do like something, they suggest you taste it. And if it's brilliant, it gets a Tupperware rating. If all the leftovers love it, then it gets the pinnacle of success, a Tupperware party. All right, real quick. I, uh, just a bunch of shit that I watched that I'm going to blaze through and talk about here real quick. Watch The Redeem Team on Netflix. Highly recommend this one. If you like basketball documentaries, it is a Tupperware. It's about the 2008 men's USA Olympic basketball team. Uh, the you know 2004, they lost. And so this is like they're trying to come back and win it. And uh, Kobe... Bryant joins the team, and I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's fucking fantastic. I mean, between this documentary and the, the next one I'm going to talk about, Kobe had me crying. Kobe had me crying over the past couple weeks, man. Just like, this guy was legit. His worth ethic in, uh, in the gym and on the court. 
just incredible. They're just a, just an amazing player. Um, I mean, the guys when they would fucking get on this team, they would go out and party at night and shit like that. And they came back. They're coming back to the hotel one night. It was LeBron, Carmelo, and a bunch of the other guys, and they saw Kobe all suited up. And it's like four in the morning. They're like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I'm going to the gym." I'm, and then I, I'm going to the gym. I'm going to work out. Then I'm going to shoot. And so like the next day, LeBron and Carmelo. No, it was, I think it was yeah, LeBron and Carmelo joined. And then it's like. It just rubbed off on the whole team, and I mean, they won. So it's a fantastic fucking documentary. I highly recommend it. It's called The Redeem Team. It's on Netflix. Absolute Tupperware. Loved it. I finished Legacy, the true story of the L.A. Lakers. Absolute Tupperware. Fucking loved it from beginning to end. I mean, it, I watched that one too. Yeah, it. it was so good. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. It's a Tupperware. So um, yeah, highly recommend. I. I the Kobe stuff had me fucking in tears. I'm not going to lie. It just had me in oh, fucking yeah. tears. It did. Um, so, Brian, for you know, HBO, um, I, when I looked at their upcoming stuff, I think there's going to be a four-part docuseries on HBO um, about, about Shaq. Okay. That's coming out next year, I think. Awesome. Yeah, I'll be watching. Yeah. Absolutely. Um I, I've, I've watched the first two episodes of uh, the new Randall Park comedy uh, blockbuster on Netflix, um, which is well, I've I mean, heard terrible things about that. It's 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 a wild show because you got to think like this show is on Netflix and Netflix was kind of the one of the big reasons why blockbuster is not around anymore. So it's like yeah. it's kind of mind blowing in that way. Um, it is. Uh, I'm telling you, there's nothing spectacular about the show, to be quite honest with you. I love Randall Park. Don't get me wrong. But there is really, like, there's nothing remarkable about the writing, the acting, the comedy. Uh, I mean, and you're, you're talking about Randall Park's in it. J.B. Smoove is in it. I mean, this should be a lot better. But they've, it's really not, like, R-rated comedy. It's not TVMA or anything like that. So it's just kind of like a kind of just throw away like it really feels like it's just like a show that you would watch like even on the disney no nah, no nah, not disney channel i would say it's like a vanilla it reminds me of like NBC a NBC sitcom it reminds me of a tbs comedy like when tbs was starting to do comedies back in like the oh. mid 2000s yeah. is, is that's yeah, yeah. it reminds me of a tbs comedy so it's really not that great i i i'd say if it's late at night and you've got nothing else to watch and you want to try it try it but i don't think that you'll want to finish it i would still rather just go to antenna tv or pluto tv and like watch old episodes of family ties or three's company rather than this to be honest with you it's not anything great and it's sad because i love randall park and i think it's a great concept too with with blockbuster um I am watching. I'm getting caught up on The Walking Dead. I'm on in, like in the last leg of season 11. So I've got about five episodes left. And I'm not just saying this to say this. Season 11 has been fucking really excellent. It's uh, the, I think the, like, the last time I got emotional watching The Walking Dead was the death of Glenn. And I got emotional again watching it this week. Um Maggie's son, Maggie and Glenn's son, Herschel, is now older. He's wearing um, a hat that looks very much like Glenn's. If it, if it, 
it, it could very well be Glenn's hat. I'm not 100% sure, but he looks very much like his dad. And it's like there was a moment where he came face to face with Negan. And Negan told him, like, yes, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bad man and I'm the bad man that, that killed your dad. And so the next time this boy saw Negan, he held a gun to him. And you could just, you know, it's just like it, it, it kind of connected me to that moment where Glenn died. And it was just really fucking super emotional. And I thought it was really well done. Uh, Maggie and Negan, uh, Ma- Negan's been protecting Herschel, uh, the young boy. And um, Maggie is warming up to him, which is just wild because they're getting their own series, the Maggie and Negan show. And then there's going to be a Rick and Michonne show and a Daryl Dixon show. And they're calling this the Walking Dead universe. I'm going to watch these and handpick which ones I'm going to stick with, if any. So we'll see. But I've really enjoyed season 11. I know when you tell people that you're still watching The Walking Dead, they're either like, oh, yeah, I watched that, or they're just like, oh, my God, you're still watching that? And like, yeah, I'm still watching it. So, uh, But I am enjoying this season. And then I did... Joe, we finished Andor. Yeah, I'm current on it as well. Fucking A, man. I'm, I'm telling you, this is... Uh, I thought nothing could be better than The Mandalorian. It's better than The Mandalorian, hands down. I... I agree. It, it's just an entirely different type of narrative that's not really focused on like a, a monster or adventure of the week. And it's it's just a very real take and, and a very gritty take. And I don't think I've ever seen anything else that quite portrays the Empire as well as this show does. No, it, it really no. shows why entire planets of people across the empire were willing to risk their lives and start this rebellion and continue this rebellion because it's just untenable to live in this world that the empire has created. And man, Tony Gilroy has just knocked it out of the park with this show. So is this like, it, cause I haven't seen, I, you know what? I don't, my viewing habits been really off honestly recently. So I have not watched any of Andor. Um, it, is it a political thriller then? Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know if you'd call it a political thriller. It's like, did you watch Rogue it's One? It's part political yeah. thriller with the Mon Moth, uh, with the Mon Mothma stuff. Yeah, I, that, I suppose that storyline totally is. Yeah, it, it's it's. I mean, it's part that, but it, it, there's a lot of like, you know, um, when you think of people starting a rebellion and you know just moving these pieces around and 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 trying to to get a little bit stronger and the empire is in such a place that they've kind of been a little cocky and a little too overconfident and nobody will challenge them and uh and you know you've got a guy like andor who can kind of see the weaknesses in it you know Mm -hmm. not only did was there a weakness in the death star by the time we get to a new hope I mean, there's there's you know there's some chinks in the fucking armor of the empire that they're chipping away at in this series, and I'm loving it. I it, it's it's the best Star Wars I've seen in a long fucking time. And if I have to put it up against the Mandalorian, I like this way more than Mandalorian. Um, you know, give me just two solid seasons of this, and I'm happy. Andy Serkis was fantastic, Joe. Oh my gosh, you that that episode ten had two. I can't believe in one episode of television they had two of the best monologues in all of Star Wars. Yeah. That that one that Luthen does at the end of the episode, the basically I've I've made 
my my mind a sunless space. That entire speech that he gives, that he, he shares his dreams with ghosts, and he's damned to use the tactics of his of his enemy against them. It's just unbelievable. It's just I get chills just thinking about that speech. It's wild to see a creator that doesn't give a that really doesn't care about Star Wars kind of like be able to. You know, do what he wants to. And I don't think that Tony Gilroy gives a fuck about what Star Wars fans think of this. But I'm telling you, I love it. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I fully don't get the people that the the takes where they're like, oh, this is boring and I hate it. It's, ah. it's, I just don't like it. It's like maybe now that I mean, because next week, episode 12 is going to drop on Wednesday and then the entire first season will be out. And so I implore people to go back and give it another chance. Yeah. And watch because it is one of those shows that I mean it just continues to build, and because it was like for the first half of the episode it was like one through three and then three was the big one and then four through six six was the big one but then it seems like after six every episode has been consequential and really really great. I loved every episode. I don't care what people say. Ah, oh, it's slow. It's boring. I don't get what they're doing. Oh, okay. it's not for you. I love it. Tupperware. Yeah, Tony, Sorry. Tony Gilroy described this first season as like the education of Cassie and Andor. Yeah. And it really goes through because from where his character is in the first in the first episode to where he is now by the end of the 11th episode, he's gone through this incredible story arc of not giving a shit about the rebellion and just being a mercenary to by the end of this season. Who's trying to play a cassette tape much- right now? I'm trying to open a beer. I'm so sorry. It sounds like you're trying to play Van Halen's Jump on your 1983 Magnavox boombox or something. I was trying to open a beer. I'll mute. Sorry. Yeah, mute. (laughs) Yeah, this whole first season has just been like the, the education of Cassie and Andor. And really bringing him to that character that we know that we know in rogue one by the time we see him in rogue one he's been part of the rebellion for a long time this is who he is he's fully committed and that's not who he is at the first episode of andor we're seeing him become that character and it's these different events that he went through and these brushes with the empire that shaped him and and also brushes with these other rebel fighters well, I, I, I didn't. I didn't. Into the person he is. I didn't care about Andor and Rogue One, Joe. Don't watch. I don't care. <laughs> don't fucking watch. I mean, it's been a crit. I mean, critically, it's gotten a lot of acclaim. Um, yeah, well, you know, critics to audience, it's it's either like everybody's on the same page or just it's divided. Audiences love it. Critics hated it, or critics loved it. Audience, hate, it's just wild. It's wild. Yeah. I don't know. I love it. I saw I, that. Uh, I saw that they're actually gonna like try to push it onto more people, and I think it's this Wednesday. ABC proper is airing the first two episodes during yes. prime time. Yes, they are. I, I mean, I'm telling you, I would watch. I would watch the premiere episode in the theater. I would pay to watch it, and I would watch the finale in the theater. Fuck, I'd be tempted to watch the whole goddamn season in the theater. <laughs> That's what I was just going to say. The whole thing is so cinematic. It is. I mean, I remember going to see Rogue One, and they showed, like, the extended clips from the show, and just the the audio and everything just sounded amazing in the theater. I was just like, holy shit, man. What an experience this would be to watch, you know, with a, with a, with a bunch of Star Wars fans and just enjoy this. Um you know, uh, uh, speaking of things that I saw in the theater, I did see uh, I did go to uh, an early critic screening 
of uh, Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. And uh, saw that on Monday, and I did put up a bonus episode with Connor, and I tweeted about it. Uh, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. it. It's definitely you know different than the first movie, but I thought the mystery was great. I thought the cast was great. Some standouts, I thought, were Kate Hudson, um, definitely Janelle, uh, Janelle Monet, and uh, Dave Bautista was fantastic. Edward Norton was very good. Of course, Daniel Craig kills it. Um, it was a lot of fun. I had a lot of laughs. Uh, I went. It was a critic screening, so I'm there with like a bunch of Chicago critics, critics from like the Mary Sue, a bunch of these different publications and stuff. And they were very engaged and laughing throughout most of this movie. Um, I didn't expect that to, to to be in a critic screening where they were just hooping and hollering and having a great time with the movie. But that's that's the way it went down. It was it was a fantastic movie, and I. I hope people go out to the theaters and see this one, and then because I I do feel like it'll be. I kept as I was watching, I was like, man, how fun would this be watching it at home? I don't think it'd be the same experience that I that I got here. So, I I don't know, man. I I, I thought even the first one was quite the experience if you oh. saw it with a packed crowd. Oh, it was absolutely. Yeah, I went to like the we. I think you did too. Uh, didn't we both go to the early screening? Yes, yes, and it yeah. was it was a full theater, and it was, I mean, it wasn't critics, but it was very much like the scenario you described, where people were just so engaged with it, and it, it really made it even better than it already was. Yeah, yeah, I think people are gonna love this one, especially if they go see this one in the theater. So I give it a, I give it a, the highest of Tupperwares. I absolutely loved Glass Onion. Um, yeah, yeah. Ryan Johnson just knows how to work with an ensemble cast. I think like everybody got a chance to shine, except for Catherine Hahn uh, didn't get a ton, um, and Jessica Henwick didn't get a ton. But everybody else was just fucking great. Uh, mm, that's a shame. Hahn was one of my favorite announcements of someone that was going to be in the movie. Yeah, and, and you may watch this and think like, "Oh, Hahn was fucking great." What are you talking about? But I just felt like. Um, she plays a she plays a governor who's going for a senate position, and I think she was fine. It just I just don't think that her performance uh, in this and what she was given was as memorable as like you know Manet, Batista, Hudson, uh, Norton. Um, so that's that's really where I'm coming from with it. Um, John Wick 4, the trailer dropped. I was all over this shit. I've been signed up for the John Wick text messages since John Wick 2. And so they sent me a text message and they're like, uh, and it, it's a link that I could click on. And I went to it and it was a YouTube link and it was count as a 24 hour clock counting down uh, John Wick four trailer and i was just like holy shit this shit's gonna fucking drop and i and and so like it was gonna i think it was gonna drop at like 9 a.m central so i'm there sitting there waiting and then i watched that trailer and uh i'm just if 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 you're watching this trailer and you're like oh man i didn't see a lot of action in that trailer you're out of your fucking mind oh my god like it, there's so there, it doesn't show you like entirely like full action sequences, but it gives you so many teases of different action sequences that are going to take place during this movie that I was fucking I, my mind was blown. There's a scene of him on a horse in the desert shooting at guys on other horses in the desert. I was like, what in the 
fuck is going on with this globe-trotting John Wick movie? This is nuts. And Donnie Yen's in this bitch. And Donnie Yen's at the end of the trailer. And they're fucking sword fighting. There's uh, car chases with the fucking car door ripped off. And John Wick fucking shooting. I was just like, this movie looks insane. You got Bill Skarsgård playing this guy in a high up position that he's got a challenge to get himself out of this mess. Since all the assassins are after him. After what happened after the last movie. I am just... I am chomping at the bit for this one. Joe, I didn't get to listen to the entire interview uh, with Collider. Did you Did you listen to that? Yeah. Yeah, that was a great interview with Chad Stahelski. And um, yeah, uh, so a few takeaways from that. He said the movie is going to be roughly like around the two and a half hour mark. So it's going to be the longest of the John Wick movies that we've seen so far. Fuck you, um, Jake. I want it. <laughs> two and a half hours. Fuck you, Jake. Fuck you. You haven't even seen three. Stop it. It's nonstop action. Yes. Give me two and a half hours of John Wick. You fuck it. You party fucking pooper. <laughs> uh, Bill Skarsgård's character, the Marquis, is basically playing like he's he's not really the antagonist of the movie, but he's this guy that's coming in that's kind of relaying the power structure of, of what's going on. And it's due to the, the aftermath of what's taken place in these first three movies. So there's going to be some sort of power shift going on kind of in the in the upper echelons of of you know this high table that all these different families sit at um i'm super excited to get hiroyuki sonata in this he's apparently going to be playing like a a longtime friend of john wicks and we did get a scene briefly in the trailer where it shows hero um it, it shows uh hiroyuki sonata and uh donnie yen fighting with swords i can't wait to see oh, that jesus shit. christ I know. Can you believe it? No, this is insane. <laughs> and, uh, Chad Stahelski was talking about, you know, those two on set and, you know, working together and just how amazing it was to see. And how basically everybody turned up on the studio that day. All the stuntmen wanted to see these two, you know, performers work together. And he was talking about how Donnie Yen coming from, you know, the Hong Kong style yeah. of shooting and Hiro Yuki Sonata coming from, you know, the Japanese style, that it was just really interesting to see these two huge names in martial arts cinema, you know, come together and, and, and work together for the first time. Well, they, and, um, like, like over here, we, with the stunts and stuff like that, it's like we treat everything with like fucking, you know, with gloves on, you know what I mean? Like little mittens and shit. We're all careful and shit. And like over there, it's like Jackie Chan can break his back, all this other shit. They don't care. Oh, yeah. Those those Hong Kong stuntmen, it's like, oh, the scene says that I have to kick you in the chest. Guess what? I'm going to kick you in the chest. Right. Yeah. And if it's full yeah. force, we expect you to get up and do the next take. Yeah. And, and not be a little pussy about it. And so it's like, that's why those Hong Kong martial arts movies are so bombastic and crazy. It's because, yeah, a lot of times these stuntmen are really getting hit. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's like, you know, like when we hear a story of like Dolph Lundgren and Stallone in Rocky IV, oh, yes. Lundgren accidentally hit Stallone. It's like a big deal. And it's like, these guys do it all the time. <laughs> I know Stallone's like, I don't want you to really hit me. I want to see what it feels like. And didn't, didn't Lundgren basically put him in kidney failure or yeah, something like that? Yeah, he fucked him up. Oh, my God. <laughs> so maybe don't ask a professional fighter to really hit you. Um, uh, one of the things, not much has been said about Scott Adkins' character yet in this. Okay, um, yeah. And IMDB has him written down as Killa. Now, as they were going through the names of some of these other characters, uh, for instance, Shamir Anderson is known as the Tracker. 
And Chad Stahelski basically said, yeah, his name's pretty self-obvious. That's what he does. He's a tracker. And then there was another guy, um, uh, Clancy Brown, is playing a character that, um, of course, they don't have his name listed on IMDb. Um, but basically he's, he's like the guy who's kind of like the, this judge that's coming in. I can't remember what the name was, but what I'm getting at is all these different character names. It's very like indicated, uh, indicative of like what that character does. And so Scott Atkins character is just named Killa. And so it's like, what the hell is that going to be? Is he going to actually be the main antagonist in this? I just think it's interesting that he's a big name in martial arts and we didn't even get a single peep of him in this trailer yeah that's unfortunate really interested to see what they're going to be doing with him and also really interested to see how are they going to be mending this fence between winston and john wick mm-hmm. because from the end of of number three it seems like those two had a bit of a falling out but the way that this scene this trailer is shot it almost seems like they're kind of mended fences somehow so i'm really interested to see how this movie's going to pick up and start running and how it's going to get these pieces in place to what we're seeing in this trailer uh, June, are, do you watch the John Wick movies? No, I've never seen any of them because I heard about the dog in the first one. I'm oh, like, come no, on. I'm never going to watch that. I'm not going to watch that. No. Okay. Well, he gets revenge on those people. The bad I guys get that get their comeuppance. I'm not, I don't know. I don't like the whole thing. Of, I don't I don't know. I just like I'm not knowingly going to watch something that I know where the dog dies. Like that Tom Hanks movie that came out on Apple last year, Finch. Like, I made my husband, like, watch it before me because I was like, if the dog dies, I'm not watching. Yeah, I'll see. I'll make I'll make exceptions like, I, you know, I don't Marley and me. I will not watch that, you know. So <laughs> no, never. I won't watch it. But, you know, it's have you, have you never watched it. No, and I never will. But John, oh it, yeah. John Wick is John Wick, you know, and I mean, without the dog getting, you know, killed, it's like that's that's a big Oh, that's just a big part of that movie. So, um, yeah, it's sad that it happens. But, you know, at the end of the movie, no. they tell you no animals I mean, are harmed in the making. As much as my dog has been an asshole um, for a couple of days, I, you know, I just, that breaks my heart. So, no, I've never watched any of the John Wick movies. Oh, that's sad. But I watched it's the fucking trailer. Awesome. But I watched the trailer, and yeah. it does, I mean, the action looks crazy. Yeah. Absolutely crazy, but it looks fun. Let's hear Jake shit on this thing. Come on, Jake. I thought it was an okay trailer. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. Buckle up. (laughs) I didn't watch watch John Wick 3, so I wasn't really sure story-wise where we were at with this thing. Um, I was excited to see Ian McShane still involved in the storyline. Um, yeah, kind of a long trailer, though, right? I guess a long <laughs> for a long movie. Two, two and a half minute trailer. And I, oh my God. Oh, I'm sorry you had to suffer through that, Jake. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I need to watch John Wick 3. I feel like it's been so long since I've seen any of it that I kind of just need to do the John Wick marathon to get back into it. I feel like I'd be lost if I picked up John Wick 3. Oh, God. Yeah, watch it. Go go back and watch them all because, oh, God, there's so much. I'm just not the biggest fun. sequel guy, and I, I thought John Wick 1 was brilliant, you know, like a 9 out of 10. And then I thought John Wick 2 was like a 7. And then it's like, well, if the second one's not as good, then what do I need anything after that? For? Ah, that's – those are your – that's that, – yeah, the, those are opinions, man. I, I love – that second one was – I loved the second one. I thought the third one – I thought the third one was even better. And then uh, 
Yeah, man. I'm just, I'm down for fucking four. I cannot wait for four. Joe, where are you at with this one? Oh, yeah. I, I Well, number one, I don't know how you watch the ending of number two and then don't immediately want to watch the number, the third one. Just well, it didn't way, exist. I, well, that's, I, I, that's true. And, and if you haven't gone back and done a rewatch, but. Well, I mean, even after, if you watch something, you know, like after I got done watching Back to the Future, I was just like, holy shit, I can't wait to see the second one. So <laughs> you can still have those feelings. Yeah, that's yeah, true. I, I did not, though. Yeah, that, that I mean that's fair. I I think no, it's not. <laughs> I've, I've talked about this on the podcast before. I I was a little bit desensitized to gun violence in movies, and I saw John Wick kind of as one of the biggest culprits of that. I just was not in a headspace when John Wick three came out. Yeah, I know. To go spend over two hours watching a thousand people shoot at each other. Oh man, I love it. I just want to see John Wick pop people in the head for fucking two and a half hours. I fucking love it's, it. It's just so much more than just gun violence and shooting. <laughs> no, people. no. And, no, and I, I, it is, it is gun violence and shooting people, but he's doing it at such a high level and just knowing the, the real world training that Keanu Reeves actually put into it. And so it looks legit the way he handles weapons and stuff. It's, and, and just the fact that this this movie was created by you know the director's a stuntman yeah and and they he's got that eye to know how to make an action movie and and the fact that with each sequel he's bringing in more and more exciting people for him to fight I mean we had Mark Dukaskis as kind of the the big bad in the second one or, or in the third one in the second one it was. Um, was it common? It was common. Yeah. Yes. And, and he played a really great foil in that 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 fight that they had that ended up you know kind of finishing out on the subway. Oh, that was so oh, good! Holy shit! And then the third one also with Lawrence Fishburne's character of the, the Bowery King was so cool. And then Mark Dukaskis, and then we also had uh, Yanya uh, Yayan Ruin who played Mad Dog in the Raid. Yeah. And oh, um, uh, I, the the actor's name is slipping my my mind but he was also in the raid movies eco us him and yayan what's that was it eco us no it wasn't eco us no i'm trying to think oh i know exactly who you're talking about um but i don't know his name either he had that excellent fight scene against eco us in the the kitchen in, yeah in yeah. the raid two yeah and so with him and yayan ruin teamed up together fighting john wick in the third one dude i went back and rewatched that fight scene like in its entirety earlier, just because I was like, that is like one of the best fight scenes in all of John Wick. That the, I'm also just a huge Yayan Ruin fan. So I mean, anytime he shows up in something, I'm excited to see him in a John Wick movie. Get the fuck out of here! And so going into the fourth one, it's like, how are they going to do any better than that? And it's like Donnie Yen, motherfucker, yeah. boom! And also Scott Adkins. It's, yeah, this is, and this is going to keep going. In that interview I was listening to earlier, they were talking about like. The studio is basically already saying, great, what are your plans for John Wick 5? And so it's like, oh, keep this motherfucker going, man. These movies are fantastic. I'm telling you, that 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 final scene that they show in this trailer with Donnie Yen and the sword and, like, the bullets getting, you know, hitting the hitting the blade and shit like that. I was just like, this is insane. <laughs> it's like some Jedi shit. Dude. It was amazing, man. I cannot wait for John Wick 4. Anyway, let's jump into some of the stuff that we watched this week. Um... Don't worry, Jake. We'll take a break here soon, buddy. Oh, yeah. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it. See, when I bring that up, it's either one of those moments where he's like, well, what are, you, what are you talking about? I don't need one. I'm good. 
Like, he gets all, like, offended, like he's never wanted to take a break before. And, like, where did this come from, Brian? Or he's just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, very grateful. Yeah. Very grateful. It's either it's either defensive or it's just like, oh, yeah, okay, we're on the same page. It's <laughs> Listen, it's very rare that I don't need the break. So when the few and far time between time I know, but you act – you act – you act like I'm a fucking crazy person when I'm like, oh, don't what? don't worry. I yeah. What, Brian? What? <laughs> you do. I'll be like, yeah, we could take it. And you just, you're, you're just like, what? Where is this coming from? This left field comment of a break. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> like he has the bladder of a long haul trucker or something. No, no shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll get back to John Wick. I it just it was kind of a phase I went through. And just ever since, like, not being as sensitive to that kind of stuff in movies, I just haven't got back to John Wick three yet. So maybe John Wick four is the excuse I need. God damn. What are you doing? What are you doing? Taking fucking you, you taking uh, bubble baths and lavender oil or something? What the fuck? <laughs> For sure. What the fuck are you doing? still don't understand that John Wick 2 was better than John Wick 1, though. I'm not saying that. Who said that? I mean, what's the point? If you can't if you can't go bigger and better, then just hang it up. It was, oh, man, come on. Get out of here. Get out of here. Get out of here. Oh, my God. It's, it's a fantastic movie. It's a fantastic movie. I feel that way about every franchise, though, though. Once, once the sequel's bad, I, I, it's hard for me to care. It wasn't not bad. Even, it wasn't bad. It's not as good or better than eh. I right. thought it was just as exciting as the first one. That It's broadening the story and carrying it forward and in, in, enlarging it, enriching it, and giving you more history on certain exciting parts of it. Yeah, they killed two dogs in the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, June. Spoilers. That's why they call it John Wick 2. <laughs> Each successive movie, they kill one more dog. <laughs> one more dog. Yeah. I can't wait till they do the 101 one Dalmatians crossover. <laughs> John Wick hunting down Cruella DeVille. <laughs> no, John Wick just popping off dogs. Aww. Wow, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing I'm back. Do <laughs> it. Is that his catchphrase? Well, that in the first one. Okay, I, I didn't know. Did he say it in the other two as well? I don't remember. I don't think he did. He has moments very similar to it. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk As about, most sequels do. Let's talk about this next thing so Jake can take his precious little break. Let's talk. <laughs> I'm still just rubbing it in. How did you know I was going to be crocheting during my break? 38 at the Garden. Uh, this is on HBO Max. This is a uh, basketball documentary. You guys talk about way too many basketball documentaries. Yeah, I guess we do. <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> Point guard. He has charged. Yeah, you know, I guess I'm not going to entertain your complaint. I'm just going to concede to that and talk about it anyway, you fuckhole. Uh, point guard Jeremy Lin, an undrafted Harvard graduate, shocks fans, stuns his teammates, and galvanizes Asians around the world during his landmark 2011-2012 season with the New York Knicks and sparks the Lin sanity craze. Um, yeah, this is uh, 
The whole yeah, the whole Jeremy Lin thing. I remember this. I uh, you know I'm big into the basketball, and I was definitely big into basketball this year. I had a I had a fantasy basketball team that year, and uh, I remember after Jeremy Lin went off the first game, I was just like, holy shit! I fucking dropped a player. Jeremy Lin had been undrafted in the fantasy draft, and I picked him up. And uh, what a great get for me that year on the fantasy draft. Uh, team uh, that I had because uh, Jeremy Lin did explode that year. Um, it was it was it was a special moment in basketball. It really was. And uh, watching this documentary just kind of like brought me back to that time in uh, 2011, 2012 um, with it because it was it, it shocked everybody. Like where the fuck did this come from? And I didn't like you know I think I needed this documentary to kind of like figure out like you know why was this guy as good as he was at that time? Where did he come from? Because I had no fucking idea. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, you've got a guy who you know his parents were pushing him towards academics, and uh, he was a great player. And it's crazy to think that this guy just kind of like you know, slid down in the draft. He won a state championship. He was named California State Player of the Year, had zero scholarship offers. And and I, I do think it comes down to the fact that the NBA scouts, the NBA GMs, kind of have this, like, this stereotype of, like, Asian basketball players, unless they're Yao Ming, they got to be like seven foot tall, like Gigi Wang or Yao Ming or something like that for them to get any attention. Like you don't hear about Asian point guards in the NBA. And this guy had some skills and it just, he went under the radar. And it's, I mean, so many times in this documentary, I felt like this guy was just going to like, you know, you get the feeling that there were many times where he was like almost ready to give up on his dream. Like, you know, he's living on some, he's like sleeping on some, on a, on a fellow teammate's couch. He's like living on these nine day contracts from team to team, you know, and how stressful that's got to be to be like on a nine day contract. I think you could only go through like two or three before they have to sign you or let you go. And it's just like, what, that's just not the way that puts so much pressure on a player. I don't know, but I think some of that pressure is like what molded him into the diamond that he was that year for the Knicks. But I, I give this a Tupperware. I, I was blown away by his story. Uh, I thought he was a very cool, personable dude. Um, I was wrapped up in the Linsanity back in the day. Um, it was awesome to see like all the um, the the Asian, not only just the Asian fan base that he built, but like seriously, like. You know, the, I think everybody was just kind of blown away by this kid. It was nice seeing Tyson Chandler getting uh, some time to talk in the documentary about him and Jeremy. I was a big Tyson Chandler guy because he was drafted by the Bulls originally. I actually have a Tyson Chandler signed jersey. Um, I, <laughs> I, I thought he looked at me and I threw it up at him and he was looking at somebody else and it hit him in the face. And he kind of gave me a dirty look, but he signed it anyway. <laughs> Um, he was on a stage. He was on a stage, and people were throwing stuff up at him so he could sign it. He would look at you, and you'd throw it up, and he'd sign it, and then throw it back. Anyway, but I loved it. And there's, you know, they of course they had uh, the game where he scored 55 against the Lakers uh, against Kobe Bryant, and uh, just incredible watching that again. 
you know, uh, no, it was 38. I'm thinking 55 Jordan. <laughs> I was thinking about Jordan's 55. The time he scored 38. But uh, just just an incredible fucking documentary. I Tupperware it. Um, June, what did you think about 38 at the Garden? Oh, this was a Tupperware uh, for sure. Um, and I like that in addition to, you know, his fellow teammates and coaches, um, you have a lot of voices in this documentary from the Asian American beauty. Um, you have, you know, a, a Ronnie Chang, uh, Ronnie Chang, who's on the daily show. Um, and Lisa Liu, wait, yeah, Lisa Liu, she's a, um, CNN correspondent, but I mean, to hear those perspectives too, as to why Jeremy Lin was so important to the Asian American community. Um, and for me personally, just because, um, the company I used to work for like this year, um, one of the reasons why I left though, but like that, racial discrimination against Asian Americans. Like that's something that like I have actually felt very recently and it's shitty and it sucks. And I don't know, this document is so just what I'm going through in my life personally, very much resonated with me. Um, because it, I don't know, suddenly being faced with, you know, the stereotype that, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's something, um, I don't know. It's, it's it sucks to have to, to experience that. And yeah, I mean, he was, he was a hero for the Asian American community. And it's so funny because he is, I feel like even he's still very downplayed when it comes to, when you talk about like history of basketball and stuff, I, I don't think he gets enough mention. So I'm glad that this documentary came out. Yeah, it was, a, it was a great story to finally fucking kind of come yeah. out and break down and hear other people talk about it. It was very cool. Because I, I was definitely following him. He was on my fantasy team. And, I, like, game after game after game, I'm like, this guy's still lighting it up. Joe, what did you think about 38 at the Garden? Yeah, this was a, another very engrossing uh, basketball documentary. I just continue to love watching these bas- basketball documentaries. It's it, And it's so funny to me because I've never been a sports guy. And it's... I, I see the appeal in going to live events, but watching sports on TV, I just can't do it. But there's something about these documentaries where it's like they take it and they turn it into this dramatic story of of hardships and, and triumphs. And, and they're just always so amazing. And this is just another one that really hit all those levers for me. It is a total Tupperware. Um, you know, not being a sports fan, I, I wasn't that familiar with Jeremy Lin. But, you know, the the phrase Lin Sanity was just so prevalent in the zeitgeist that I'd heard that before, but I didn't know anything about where it originated from. And so this was another one of those documentaries that was very educational for me and fun too, because it's like, I don't know what happened in the real world on this. <laughs> Even going into it, you know, 38 at the garden, I had no idea what the hell that meant. And then by the end of the doc, I was like, Oh, I get it. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, it was, it was fantastic though, because this one as well as being a cool story about, you know, somebody trying hard and succeeding and making their dream work and getting into the NBA it was from a further perspective of of being an Asian American and having to work through that that discrimination. And then and the doc isn't shy about diving into those issues and discussing them and shining a light on them. And I think that that's fantastic as well because it is something that needs to have a light shined on it, especially in the aftermath of COVID and all that, in which. You know, there's there's real increased uh, attacks on Asian Americans and stuff like that. So to have a doc come out like this, where it shows an Asian American succeeding in something that most 
people would not think that it would be possible. Even a lot of these NBA stars where they were talking to him, they were just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, there's Jeremy's and he's a great kid on the team. But, you know, obviously he's not going to go anywhere. And then when he had that game where he just went off and like really gained the respect of like a fur- at least a further level of respect from his teammates. And then he was just off like a rocket after that. And it was just such an incredible story. I mean, you know, like what what did we get? What was it last year? We got the the Serena and Venus Williams movie, mm-hmm. and I mean, you know, I think it's just uh, uh, you know, and, and you you didn't see you know black girls play tennis and just you know kind of dominate the sport until the the late nineties, you know, early two thousands when they were doing it. I think it's 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 access and opportunity. I think anybody is capable of anything. Right. Um, and actually, Ron, just one thing I wanted to add, though, and when you say about access and everything, one thing that I like about the, what this documentary also, what I really appreciate and why I really did appreciate the number of um, like Asian voices that they have throughout the documentary, you know, and the commentary, um, you know, Jeremy Lin, it's not just the external factors, right? Like trying to get into trying to create a career in basketball. I mean, even within the culture, like when you are our first generation, you know, Korean American, Chinese American, Japanese American. I mean, one of the things that he joked about, like he got, his dad happened to really love basketball and that was sort of his end. But for the most part, most immigrant parents, they're not, I mean, it is a stereotype, but I guess there is a kernel of truth to it. Like my parents, the most important thing were grades like grades, like getting good grades because, and the belief that, and because the belief is that if you make straight A's, you're going to go to a good college and then you're good. That's how you move up in America. And like, so academics were so important. And like he joked how his mother was like, no, play the piano, like the extracurriculars that are sort of imposed on you as a first generation Asian American. It's like the classics, like do something that is regarded as high class, something in the, one percenters like play the violin join orchestra you know make the best grades and you know your professions it's like go be a doctor go be a lawyer and um so even within that culture like that's hard enough to break out of and so i appreciated that for you know that's sort of added layer well think about you know, yeah, it's just crazy though it's like you know i guess asians asian americans and you know just think it's like a pipe dream to make yeah. it to the NBA. Here's the thing. It's like for anyone, it feels like it is. I mean, it's like, the, what are the chances of making it to the NBA? It's you, you might have just as good odds of winning the lottery as to making it to the NBA. So for Jeremy Lin to, you know, basically prove everybody, not only prove everybody wrong, prove the GMs wrong, prove the scouts wrong. Um, it's an incredible fucking accomplishment. Yeah. So, but it allows other, you know, when, you know, these younger, you know, you have other younger Asians, you know, who are children when he was in the NBA. It's like, if you like basketball and you're good at it, you know, enjoy it, like actually pursue those. Yeah. And um, to be like, I could actually pursue that. And so, um, yeah, so I just I really love that perspective, too, on it. Yeah. Yeah. Jake, what did you think? Yeah, I loved it. It was an absolute Tupperware for me as well. Um, I'm right there with Joe. I had heard the phrase Lynn Sanity 
But if you asked me what it meant, I couldn't have told you at all other than I've heard this phrase, you know, 10 years ago. So I, I, I too found it very informative. I found it very powerful. Um, I thought he was very charming, how humble he was with all of his experiences. Uh, I loved his story about almost not even getting into the arena because he didn't have like the pass or whatever. And I just that kind of thing is unbelievable. Um, yeah, and I thought it was very powerful for Asian Americans to hear his story, and um, you know, was kind of a little bit saddened by the reality of the epilogue that, for you know, as many steps forward as he took, it, things aren't really at a better place at all for Asian Americans, if not at a worse place. So there, there's still a lot more work to do. I thought this shined a great light on that, and uh, yeah, I thought this was one of the the better basketball documentaries i've watched in the last year yeah yeah uh, 38 at the garden you can watch it on hbo max i would highly recommend it it's absolutely fantastic and we are going to take a break and we'll be right back hi i sound like morgan freeman i bet most of you do some online shopping with amazon it's just so easy I myself logged in today to buy adult diapers. No, I'm not embarrassed. I have zero shame. And I really don't give a fuck what you think. I'm at that age. You'll get here too one day. And don't think that you won't, you naive asshat. One day you too will be just like Jamie Lee Curtis and shitting your body weight and Dan and yogurt. And the next thing you know, you'll be on Amazon ordering adult diapers saying, holy shit. That freckled face fucker was right. Anyway, the whole point of this is to tell you that PopCultureLeftovers.com has an Amazon shopping link. What that means is when you click on the link from their website, it helps the show. It doesn't charge you extra at all. You just shop like you regularly would, and Amazon takes care of the rest. It's easy and convenient. Just like these diapers. I literally blew up this diaper while recording this ad. Hashtag truth. All right, hey, we are back. Had to take a quick break there so I could rub one out to the thought of Martha Stewart, Jake. <laughs> Do you think, okay, I if I bang... I blame you. I have I did too. If I bang Martha Stewart, is that considered elder abuse, Jake? No, I don't think so. Now, it seems like she was the one really trying to initiate this whole thing. Oh yeah, in the dream, it was like Martha. She was one. She was wanting to get it on with me. It was like it was up to me. You know, I mean, consenting adults situation going on. It was, it was like, yeah, nobody's trying to. I'm not trying to rape Martha Stewart. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, that'd be really fucked up. If- Why the fuck would you even think that for a moment? <laughs> yeah, God. <laughs> No, it was two adults. We're, we're of age. Just wanting to fuck. Yeah, she's definitely of age. Martha just wants to get her fuck on, Jake. Yeah, I don't blame her. 81 and still feeling it. Good for her. Good for her. Good for Going her. Going out for a young stud like you? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. You know, we could do it on a pile of, like, those home and garden magazines or something. I don't know. <laughs> is that her magazine? Martha Stewart's Living, I think, is what it's called. Oh, yeah, uh, correct. And then she didn't she the other one, real simple. I think that used to be hers, and then she created her own. I don't know. I've got a dick, June. Okay. 
episodes of Oprah were when Martha Stewart was her guest because I learned many <laughs> lessons. Like, I know how to fold a fitted sheet like a boss. Oh, my to God. Oprah and Martha Stewart. Again, I have a penis. Everyone should know how to fold a fitted sheet. Yeah, everyone should know how to fold a fitted sheet. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a single episode of the Oprah show. My mom used to watch that shit all the fucking time. Fucking love Oprah. She's... I love Oprah. Oh, I got nothing against Oprah, but I it's just, you know. You've got a dick. Slot. Yeah. <laughs> You've got a pe- Jake, you got a penis. Hey, you know what? She gave people cars and ended up causing them more financial trouble than she anticipated by giving them those cars. But, you know, she tries. Way so. to go, Oprah. Oh, that's a legendary <laughs> moment where everyone everyone had keys under their seats, right? Look under your seats. She gave everybody a car, but then mm-hmm. for some people, if you live in, like, New York or California, the property tax on that car can be, like, astronomical. So it caused that it was Just sell the fucking car. Weird. Just sell the fucking car. All right? <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, some real winery shit. I really want to hear that story from oh, someone poor who's me. got a free car. Yeah, shut the oh. fuck up. Just shut the fuck up and sell the fucking car. Stop being a cunt about it and just sell the fucking car. I remember opening up the newspaper when I was a kid, and you'd go to the like the classifieds and the like the buy and, buying and selling portion of the fucking paper, and people would be like, one on a game show, and they're trying to sell a fucking boat or the fucking barbecue set or the fucking dune buggy that they won on whatever fucking you know (laughs) stupid ass game show they went on because they didn't want to pay the taxes on it so they just wanted to you know they just wanted to sell the goddamn thing and make a little bit of a profit so just sell the fucking car that she was so gracious and gracious enough to give you jesus christ people i know can you imagine like having somebody give you a brand new car and then you having the audacity to come back and be like, well, I'm not happy because you didn't pay the taxes and the license and all that. This is just going to end up costing me more money. And it's like, wow, if I handed you a, like a wrinkled up $100 bill, would you bitch that it increases in it? Most likely, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about new movie that came out this week, hit theaters. Uh, the Menu. Uh, a couple travels to a coastal island to eat an an exclusive re- at an exclusive restaurant where the chef has prefer- prepared a lavish menu with some shocking surprises. It's directed by Mark Mylod. Uh, I guess he's behind uh, Shameless and Succession. It's written by Seth Rice and Will Tracy and uh, produced by Adam McKay, Betsy Cook, and Will Ferrell. Uh, it features an ensemble cast that includes, is it, is it Ralph Fiennes? Is that how you say his name? Ralph Fiennes? Ray? Yes. I thought he says it Rafe. Is it Rafe Fines? I think it's Rafe. I think that's how he says it. He, you know, it's it's you know, it's fucking Ralph. Okay, your name. It's is spelled R-A-F-A. Ralph. I guarantee <laughs> you. I guarantee you, it's fucking Ralph, and he's just being pompous. No, I can't stand people. Okay, look, there's there's an HBO docu series about this, but there's a South Carolina attorney. There's this whole big thing, whatever. It's sort of like a Dateline murder mystery, whatever. The guy's name is A L E X, so Alex. The last name is M-U-R-D-A-U-G-H, which normal people would say Murdoch. Oh, no, it's Alec Murdoch. And, like, that's how I pronounce I'm like, dude, your name is Alex Murdoch. Like, just don't do not do that. Like, don't don't make – yeah, whatever. I don't know. The that's a name well. shaming going on this episode. <laughs> I'm just saying, if your name is spelled a certain way – like just that's your name. No, let's just own up to it. We're shaming a lot of names this episode. Get used to it. It's probably not going to be the end of this fucking uh, name uh, shaming lambast that we got going on. 
Yeah, might do it. Might do it for the next movie. I might shame one of the co-hosts on this episode's name by the time we're done with this fucker, Jake. <laughs> Let's talk about your name. No, I'm kidding. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's pronounced. It is pronounced Rafe. Rafe Fines. You pompous fuck. Dick. Yeah. Anya Taylor Joy, Nicholas Holt, Hong Chow, Jeanette, Janet McTeer. Uh, Reed Bernie, Judith Light, and John Leguizamo. I was blown away. See Judith Light, who's the boss in this movie. Um, and She's like kind of a resurgence. Like she has. She has. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, you've got uh, a, a group of people going to this exclusive restaurant for a world-famed chef. And... Um, and, uh, yeah, the, uh, murder and all this crazy shit starts happening at this restaurant. And um, I, I thought, you know, there, it's, it's uh, this is how I kind of explain it. I think it's like the seven. It's like the culinary version of seven. You had seven. It was like the seven deadly sins. And in this one, it's like the seven deadly courses. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I viewed it, and and I and so I for that I that's an interesting that's an interesting take. Yeah, um, that's just what I got out of it because oh. you know in 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 you know in seven there's like this master plan leading you towards the end of the movie where you get like you know what's in the box and then it's like <laughs> this each course is leading you towards something else and and so i i and, and and i felt like this was the culinary version of seven and uh i i fucking loved this movie i thought that it had many moments that were comical especially when they would you know throw up you know like um, the the course, what course they were on, show you the ingredients, or just say something snarky about it. I thought the cast was wonderful. I laughed many times, um, and it was just creative. And I was I was always wanting to know like what's going to happen next. What's the next course? I was like always looking forward to like what's the next course, and like who is behind all this? Like what is who who's the mastermind behind all this? And like what is the purpose of all of this? And um, I loved like the different the the group of people that he gets in the same room. You've got uh, Ralph Fiennes plays the celebrity chef. You've got Anya Taylor Joy who's there accompanying Nicholas Holt's character. He's like this foodie fanboy. Um, you've got John Leguizamo who's playing like a an actor, a washed up actor trying to find you know life after acting and and uh, and. Uh, Trying to find. He said, he, he said in interviews that he based that performance after Steven Seagal. Oh wow! You know that character doesn't have a name; like he is just the actor. Oh wow! Yeah, movie, movie star is how he's listed the in the credits. Star, or the movie star, the movie star. Like so, even the care like, he's just generic washed-up actor, which and is great. I can't remember what I've seen this guy from, but I always like seeing him in stuff. I think he's really good. That Arturo Castro, who plays like one of those business Broad city. Okay, Broad city. Uh, I never watched that, but I've seen him in other things. Yeah, uh, but I I like oh, seeing him. You know in... what he was in, Brian? He <laughs> was in that show that you liked that we reviewed with you, um, Apple to Oranges, the Apple original show with Joseph Gordon Lovett. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Okay. He's the roommate. Yeah. He's the roommate. Yeah, I like that guy. I love this movie. I... I, this is an absolute Tupperware. Um, I, I think a taste it rating would be more fitting because of the <laughs> <laughs> the movie. But I no, I'm giving it a Tupperware. I actually want to own this movie. I I thought it was fantastic. I I just kept wanting to know like like what's the next course? What's this going to lead into? And you learn more about like these different characters and and um, I was hanging on everything and like there's certain things that the movie will do to like get your attention like you know the the head chef julian will like clap his hands and like all yes chef everybody like comes to attention and shit it was just wild and like eat and just looking at like the different courses that they serve them like what are they going to serve them so it's not only am i wondering like what's going to happen here but like What's the food going to look like? What's he serving them? Um, one of the funniest things is when they serve just the condiments for the bread and no bread and basically insulting them the whole time. Um, the food. But they don't get it. But they don't get that they're being insulted. I know. I, I and and uh, the the food critic, her character, she was uh, Janet McTeer playing the food critic. Her mm, and good. and like her. You know, little her lackey editor. that came with her. Yeah, like I think it, was, it was her editor for the food magazine. Well, I loved their dynamic, and I, yeah. I thought that the characters were despicable, and I just loved seeing a lot of these people kind of get their comeuppance. Do I think it was a little? I don't know. I don't want to spoil the movie, but I am here to say the menu. Um, I yeah, if this was a if this was a restaurant on Yelp, I'd give them five stars. It was fantastic. So um, yeah, Jake, what did you think about the menu? Yeah, I'm right there with you on pretty much all of that. It was an absolute Tupperware for me as well. I um, and I saw this with a pretty packed crowd, and there was a lot of moments where I was laughing hysterically that I feel like I was the only one laughing in my crowd. I don't know if people did not expect what they were seeing. At first, I was questioning whether or not it was meant to be a dark comedy, and I'm pretty sure it was. I, I just had a lot of... Uh, a lot of people not really getting it. But yeah, I I thought the way they doled out the information on all the different characters that were at the restaurant was absolutely brilliant. Like it it didn't like have flashbacks to tell you who these people were. You just kind of had to catch the context clues as you went to these people's ethics and personalities. And I, I thought the way that was handled was was just tremendous. Um I thought Ray Fine's um, lead performance was so good in this. Just one of the best performances from him I think I've ever seen. And yeah, I was right there with you. I thought the the different menu stuff that they said, like in the ingredients, it was all just absolutely hysterical. Um, the mess really had me rolling. Um, yeah, this was just a really funny and at times thrilling thriller. And um I thought it was cast perfectly, and I, I just couldn't wait to see what the next thing that was going to happen was. I, I was on the edge of my seat this whole time. All right. June, what did you think? Oh, this was an absolute Tupperware. Um, I knew nothing about this movie going into it, and so it wasn't until um, the credits started rolling and I saw that Mike Mylod was the director of it, and then I saw that Anna McKay and uh, Will Ferrell – we're also executive producers and I, and it clicked though, like at the end of that, I was like, of course, like these are the guys behind the show succession, which is one of my favorite shows. I am so excited for season four. Succession is just a brilliant, brilliant show. And, um, the vibe that I was getting off of like watching this, I was kind of like, this is Willy Wonka meets white Lotus. Like I got a lot of white Lotus vibes from this movie. Um, you know, along with that, um, 
I don't know if many people watched this. It was called Nine Perfect Strangers. It was a Hulu original limited series. Oh, I Nicole, wanted to see that. It was one of Nicole Kidman. It was like another like ensemble show with like really big names: Regina King, Melissa McCarthy, uh, Tony Cavanaugh, uh, Michael Shannon. Like really big names in the show. And um, I think that one, the Nine Perfect Strangers on Hulu, it kind of flew under the radar because it was very reminiscent of White. Like it, it unfortunately like came right after White Lotus. But I just the one thing I really appreciate about this movie, though, is that, um, yes, it's making fun of this sort of this pretentious culinary cultural crowd. But it never, at least for me, I don't think it in any way is disrespectful to the actual craft of the culinary arts. You know, um, I think what is more is making more fun of people that like the, the consumer you know, of this kind of cuisine, these multi tiny course meals with the, uh, I think the act, there's actually a term like modern, modern cuisine. It's when they use um, like, what is it? Molecular gastronomy, right? Like they're using the different chemicals to like deconstruct food and everything. And so there is this sort of like sect in the culinary world though, where it's very pompous and it's silly, right? To normal people like us, like, I mean, this is the amount of money that they're spending on what's supposed to be an eight course meal. I think, what do they say? They were paying like $1,200 a plate. Like, it's insane. For the, and the amount of food you get on these plates are so tiny. Like, you're getting zero food. And so I, it's definitely criticizing that culture. But I do think that it does pay a tremendous amount of respect to the actual art. Like, you know, to the, you know, to the chef and like that sort of a, and especially with the story, you know, with uh, Ralph Fiennes' character, you know, this is a man who loved what he did, and now it has turned into something that he absolutely hates. So I don't. Know, I just thought it was a very brilliant, like, just fan, like, fantastic film. Yeah, awesome, Joe. What did you? Uh, what did you think? Uh, dude, I'd been looking forward to this movie since the first time I saw a trailer for it, and I thought the trailer did a fantastic job of getting me just intrigued enough to go see this movie, but without telling me anything about what's going on. And when I got back from the theater and I was trying to tell my wife about it, I was like, you know, I, I really don't want to give anything away for this movie other than to just say, was she, was she, was she making a puzzle? Is she doing a- <laughs> She's in between puzzles. Were you looking at her like, Oh my God. Oh my God. This is where we're at in our marriage. My wife's doing puzzles. Jesus Christ, Lindsay. <laughs> It's a wonderful chill. Hey, Lindsay, can you put down the the puzzle piece for just the, Yeah, that's a corner piece. We'll look into it later. Can I tell you about this movie? <laughs> <laughs> this is what they were talking about when they said for better or worse, right? <laughs> These goddamn puzzles! <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Joe. Uh, but no, I, I had the most amazing experience with this movie. And it, it's one that I highly recommend everybody to go see. This is a Tupperware for me. All the performances in it were great, and 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 I, I kind of piggybacking on what June was saying. This is it's a dark comedy that pokes fun at these different cliques of people that that are all obsessed with food. You know, whether it's the foodie guy that that you know he he wants to own all the different um, you know kitchen stuff to make all this food, whether he knows how to use it or not. Uh, there's the the movie star who just wants to 
you know, have the prestige of eating at some expensive restaurant. There's the the business jackoffs that, you know, they're just spending money and having a good drunken time and they don't really care about what they're doing, but but they like the status symbol where where they're at. Or there's the rich couple that have gone and I mean, didn't they say they've been to the restaurant like twelve times? Eleven or times like that? in yeah. two years. Like it is basically it's a distraction for them. Exactly. And so it's it's just painting this picture of all these different people and then the chef's actually hating these people. And and as far as dark comedies go, this one was brilliant because it just walks that line perfectly. But it's and, funny. Uh, That's what's surprising though. The thing is like yeah. I like I remember I saw the like the, the one trailer and um and that really aside from the trailer, like I not, I knew nothing else. Like now had I gone in knowing like the who are the creatives behind it, I would have I would have gone in like expecting the comedy. Like for me, the comedy, like there's a, it's, there's a lot of, a lot of comedy in this, like that I wasn't expecting, but now it makes sense knowing who's behind it. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there was lots of scenes in this that had me laughing out loud. And I love the way that they did it with the text on the screen. Uh, I think one of my favorite parts in the movie is when they bring Nicholas Holt's character back into the kitchen and they present him with a chef's coat and then have him cook. Well, all the chefs. Oh, don't don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. I, I'm not going to say don't more than it. that. It's yeah. just, it was one of my favorite parts of the movie. And, oh, yeah. It was um, so tense, right? Like, I was like, <laughs> well, because I was expecting, like, see that it creates the tense moments, though, where you're kind of like, there's a lot of, you know, they're in a kitchen. You know, there's, like, cast iron skillets and, like, weaponry in this area. And, like, that, I don't know. Like, there were certain moments where I'm, like, waiting for someone to just take the cast iron skillet and, like, crush someone's skull in. Like, it's just weird. Like, just weird vibes that just keep you really edgy. and it, But in a good way, like, where it's an enjo- it's actually, it's entertaining and it's fun. Yeah, I, I and I loved Anya Taylor-Joy's performance in this and just the character that she played, you know, where she was kind of the... the the one that really wasn't supposed to be there. Also the uh, kind of the, I don't, I don't exactly know what her role was, but she was kind of the one that was like speaking for the chef um, played by Hong Chow. Uh, she played she Elsa. And she was oh yeah. She was great. I love She her. was fantastic. The whole time I'm watching her, I'm like, I know I've seen her before. And, and she played, uh, I think it was lady Trudeau like, in Watchmen. In, yep. She was. Um, yeah, she's, and fantastic. she's fantastic. She was also I in that agree. Pete Davidson, uh, Kaylee Cuoco movie that we just watched. Oh, Meet Cute. Yeah, she was in that too. Oh, excellent. Um, yeah, I, I just thought all the performances in this were fantastic. This is a movie that when it comes out to buy, I'll be buying it. Oh, yeah. Just highly recommend everybody. Go see this in the theater. It's it's so good. Go yeah. see it in the theater, but like I can't wait for it to like be available on streaming or you know, I'll buy it digitally, whatever. But um, because I, the whole time I was in, like, and then like after seeing that it was done by the Succession guys, like I was like, I have to watch this with subtitles because these guys, like Mark Mylod, and um, like he's so good in like the um in the episodes where he directs Succession that like he's some of his best stuff of the episodes of Succession are when like the entire cast is gathered for something, whether it be like like one was like a conference, um, a shareholders meeting. Right. And so you have everybody gathered in these rooms and, you know, you hear all of these like conversations like happening, right? Like you have all the main characters in one room, but you're focusing on this conversation here, but you have these other people behind or off to the side. And 
what's great like i love watching succession like those scenes of succession with subtitles because you're like you can see the dialogue that's happening in the background too and i think that would just like really enhance those dining room scenes you know when they're going from table to table but you can still hear snippets of conversations of everyone else around them and um so like i'm just i'm like i'm just really looking forward to like being able to watch this with the subtitles yeah, I think this show this is going to be a really great movie to rewatch too. I think once mm-hmm. you kind of already know what's going on and you already are familiar with these characters and who they are, seeing the things they do in the first half of the movie might be a lot more rewarding. I th- um, I'm hoping that because I don't think people are going to go to droves and see this in the theater. Unfortunately, I I didn't see it with a packed crowd. There was two other fucking people there. No, so. it was no one. Like I think it was. Uh, maybe four or five other people in mine. Like, yeah, yeah me, and, me and Michelle were surprised at the turnout. We saw it on Friday night at 7.45. Yeah, that's probably because it was. A, I saw it on a Saturday at 12. So, you know. Okay. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> Makes that all the a, difference. Jake, that is surprising, though, because there was another big movie, the uh, She Said movie. That also premiered this weekend. And I feel like the audience for the menu would probably be the similar or the same to the one for like She Said. You know. Oh yeah, perfect date movie. She said. Yeah, exactly. So, Especially first date. Take them on the first yeah, date. Definitely. Go see. She said. That's perfect. Nothing awkward about that. At all. Nothing awkward. Yeah. I took. I think. I remember. I, I remember uh, taking a first date to go see Fear <laughs> with the Mark oh, Wahlberg. Oh. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, yeah. I had a great time. I know we're going to see each other again. At, at the, you know, at the end of the night, <laughs> I said everything very quietly and calmly. You know, <laughs> <laughs> wow. And while you, while the vein is popping out of your neck. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I showed her that I carved her name on my chest, yep. and I put full Eva on it. And then you beat your chest repeatedly yeah. while staring at yourself in the mirror. Your dad did this to me. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember that scene where like he fucked up his his red Corvette and he's like, uh, I busted your I busted I busted both your cherries. Yep. <laughs> oh shit. Wow. Oh my god. Fucking fear. Anyway. Oh. Whatever happened, like we, we are we we don't have those like trash movies anymore. What happened to those? It's, it, like cruelly, like cruelly eight. Like there was like in the nineties, you did have like cruelly liaisons with one wild thing. What about that know? Anna de Armas uh, Ben Affleck movie? I forget what it was called, but I feel like it was kind of in that vein. Yeah, but these are like aren't these like straight to streaming now? Yeah, well, yes. Yeah. The, so that's it's not, yeah. they're not it's not June's right. It's like they they. The mid-range kind of movie like that has been taken out of the theater. Like Poison Ivy. Remember that? Drew Barrymore? Yeah. Poison Ivy. Oh, I'll never forget. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The Roundup. This is on uh, Video On Demand. Uh, a police officer travels to Vietnam to extradite a, sus- a suspect and discovers a murderer who has been targeting tourists for years. Uh, it's a South Korean crime action film directed by Lee Sang-young. It stars Don Lee from uh, Train to Busan and The Eternals. And uh, I didn't know this was a sequel, guys. This is a sequel to a previous film uh, called The Detective. 
and um so no i just now found that out yeah i i realized that it was a sequel because there's like a moment in this where like another supporting character joins him and a couple other guys at a table and it's like a moment where we're supposed to know who this wacky character is and i was like this feels like a sequel moment to a character that was in an original film. So I looked it up, and yes, this is a sequel to a film. I had no idea, and it didn't matter. I don't think it affected my viewing of this movie at all. But um, I want to know what you guys thought. Joe, what did you think about the roundup? Yeah, I had a lot of fun with this movie. Um, In my notes, I wrote down Korean Jack Reacher. (laughs) (laughs) The way that this guy goes around just kicking ass. Oh, and then they they play that kind of like twangy music when he like yeah. you know starts saundering mm-hmm. in, you know, and like wow, I was like, okay, yeah, this is yeah, fun. he's got his kind of little theme electric guitar, <laughs> yeah. that plays when he's ready to go around and start punch people. And man, this guy fucking hits! Mm-hmm. Like when this guy connects with a punch, like people go flying, and it is so cool to see that in a in a movie where. You know, you get some of these baddies that go up against him and they start using martial arts and they might get some hits off on him. But as soon as he connects, like those people are fucked up. Did you and catch it's the so uh, similar to his character in Eternals as well? Did you where, like he had this power to like do super punches, you know? Did you catch the, the train to Busan joke? Oh, no, I didn't catch that one. He's fighting that guy in the convenience store and the guy bites him and he goes, what are you, a zombie or something? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did catch that one. <laughs> I was like, yes. I, I love that kind of... That's something that, like, Schwarzenegger would put into, like, some of his comedies, you know? So. Yes. Yeah, and, and this movie kind of had that feel where it had, like, this throwback feel of... It was almost like you were watching, like, an 80s action movie that was, like, just brought forward to 2022. And I had so much fun with this movie. It was a Tupperware for me. Uh, I'm excited to know it's a sequel. I want to see the the other one with it now. Uh, the the first one, d- does it have the same main character? Yeah, yeah, it's Don Excellent. Lee. Yeah. Fuck yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of this guy. I, I've really liked both the movies I've seen him in. I've not seen Train to Busan yet. I've only seen, um, not to say that I liked Eternals, but I liked his role in Eternals. And, you know, <laughs> disclaimer. <laughs> yes, big, big disclaimer. <laughs> Joe's like, I'm going to put an asterisk here. <laughs> I don't blame you. I liked his character. <laughs> yeah, I liked all the scenes with his character in Eternals. Or, er, uh, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm getting all mixed up here thinking about Eternals now. Yuck. Um, I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking about that sex scene on the beach, but it's me and Martha Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, it'd be a bit more passionate than that. No, it'd look about the same, Jake. <laughs> Hang on, just real fast. Okay, the, I'm just going to, I'm sorry, this is nothing to do with, but you mentioned the Eternal. So, last night we saw Wakanda Forever yesterday, and the first trailer we got, I'm not kidding, it was for the Wolverine Origins movie that came out like 15 years ago. What? What? What are you talking about? That was about? the very first trailer, like when my husband and I went to go see Wakanda Forever yesterday. This makes Played no it sense. Say it's a re-release, or no? It was like this May, no year. <laughs> That's weird. That the is one, fucking weird. Up. And this the one with like Gambit and like Will I Am from the Black. Oh, movie. I remember. Yeah, I'll never forget. <laughs> like y'all, that was the that was the first trailer. Didn't was, they fight the Blob movie. in the ring? Yes. Yeah. It was I'm fucking Kimi from Lost. 
But yeah, oh my god, you mentioned the Eternals because, um, and just remind me yesterday we saw like Black, we saw Black Panther, but yeah, just that was weird. So no one else got this then when you went. Did people react to that trailer? Were like people no. like, turning to each other I, and going, what the fuck? No, it was just me. Mm. That's strange. Well, yeah. It's like you but fell into a momentary like quantum tunnel or something and just saw the no map. shit. Like yeah, I think I think what happened is like like that show Quantum Leap. Like you leaped back into that theater about seventeen years ago. <laughs> so weird. It was so weird. So like, do you? That didn't happen to you guys? No. No, I, I definitely would have been bringing by you by, by just by our reaction. I don't think there's no way it happened to any I of us. I would have been able to wait until the podcast to tell Brian about that. that yeah. Like, I would have been texting live from the theater. Yeah, yeah I had to take a like, picture. I was just like, what the fuck? So I, you know, because I'm gonna, I told my husband, I, I, he heard a good thing about the menu, so I think we're gonna go and see it. So while we're back, I'm going to ask the theater people and be like, why? Like, who gave that to you? Did you? No, she's going to go back. Oh, okay, okay. I'm going to go back. I'm going to ask and be like, well, who gave you? Like- we need, Jake, we need to follow up on this when June comes back. We'll follow so up. Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm disappointed <laughs> that this hasn't happened already. Yeah. <laughs> actually, I would, I, would, I would actually, if you had a direct phone number to them, I would yeah, call them on the, the podcast. podcast and yeah. be like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's so weird. Yeah, it's the weirdest thing. All right, back to back to the roundup. Sorry, I'm going to round this podcast back up. <laughs> Get back to the roundup. I love the villains in this too. I, the it villain's so name scary. his his he, he was scary. His name was Kang. Yeah. yeah, I noticed that too. I thought it was great. Yeah, um, I'm I, I I really enjoyed this movie too, Joe. I'm going to give it a high taste. It. I really love. I love Don Lee. I fucking love him. He's a Tupperware. But I'm going to give the movie a high taste. It. Um, I thought I loved it. It was bloody. It was funny. Uh, I, all the stabbing that went on in this movie was just insane. Um, the action scenes on the parking deck were amazing. Um, all the camera work that they did during the fighting scenes, I thought was just top notch. Uh, and then that fight on the bus is worth the price of admission for this fucking movie. It's so fucking good. Just seeing Don Lee punch this guy through a fucking window, throw him around, Fucking incredible. It's a high taste for me. I really enjoyed this movie quite a bit. And, uh, yeah, I want to go back and watch The Detective now because I I enjoyed this. You don't get this kind This reminds me of, like, those 90s action movies that, uh, you know, we're seeing a little bit more of them trying to, you know, make a resurgence here. But they're not, like, big theatrical things, you know, anymore. It's like you got to watch them on VOD. They're very far and few between. And, um but uh, I, I did I did enjoy this quite a bit. Jake, what did you think about the roundup? I was at a Tupperware on this. I thought this was just so excellent. I I mimic what you were saying about the camera work. It was some of the best like camera work I've ever seen in a movie like this. Like it, and man, those knife blows, the, the the foley work on the sound effects with those knife thrusts, just like really brought me into the movie. I was pretty quickly invested into this movie and what was going on and uh it's hilarious finding out it was a sequel because the more i've been thinking about that it kind of has all the sequel tropes right where it's the second one so we're going to go to a different country than we went to in the first one where someone that was probably one of the bad guys in the first movie is like basically the joe pesci lethal weapon trajectory is what's going on here with that character like oh we had a lot of fun with him in the last one so now he's going to be more of an accomplice in this one it felt like and uh, it's hilarious finding out this was a sequel. I, I very much would like to uh, 
watch the first one after seeing this one, especially if it's the same director and crew. Um, yeah, man, the, the second he walks into that, like, underground Korean casino and that action scene starts, I was like, yeah, I am really fucking digging this movie. Tom Lee's fucking awesome, dude. I love this guy. <laughs> Absolutely. He needs to be in more mainstream stuff. He's such a great actor. And, and for an action hero, too, it's like, dude, put this guy in more stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't so much about, like, the ability as it was just the charisma and the presence of him in this movie. And they they sold his just brute strength so well with the sound effects mm-hmm. and the camera work that it never felt, like, ridiculous or phony. Like, sometimes when you see them try to pull off this kind of brutality, it gets all, like, wire-foo ridiculous. And I, I thought the way they played it here just really made the character seem that much more intense and that much more powerful. And I also had written down that Kang was just a great, despicable fucking villain. And God damn, yes. It, at any point, I thought he could kill anybody within two fucking seconds. And anytime he showed up on screen and he was behind someone, I was afraid for that person's life. He was like fucking Gary Oldman in like The Professional. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes, that is an excellent analogy. <laughs> Leon yeah, the Professional. He's just so unhinged. Yeah. Yeah. It, they always say like a hero's only as good as his villain when it comes to movies like this. And I, I thought he was just the perfect counterpoint to the lead here. He fantastic. He was a great villain, one of the best villains I've seen in a long time. So, yeah, great movie. I, I'm telling you, like, you can't stream it anywhere right now. But if you get on Amazon Prime Video, I think it's like a five dollar rental. I, if you love action movies, if you like Don Lee, it, it's worth the five bucks. It's worth the I five bucks. Bought it. It's, it was only twelve bucks to buy. There you so. go. After oh, I watched it, I just I just went ahead and purchased it. There you go. Yeah, that's the that's the roundup on uh, video on demand it'll probably hit streaming sometime you know i I was thinking like it'd probably show up on that high ass service that i have what's the first one called again uh the the detective i believe okay i'm gonna put that in my notes yeah yeah uh let's see here yeah june didn't get a chance to watch that one you should watch it june i think you might like it i will there you go yes all right (laughs) <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. They're going to show the X-Men 3 trailer before it yeah. watches it. Yeah, it was so weird. Because I remember thinking, like, I kept, and my husband has no idea, right? But, you know, he's the only person, you know, he's, I, just, I kept going, like, this is so weird. Like, this movie came out, like, 15 years ago. And then I was like, wait, is this for real? Like, I remember being like, what? New X-Men movie? And it was just so odd. And then it just, it was just a regular trailer. I can't, then I was like, oh, is this maybe like a Deadpool 3 trailer? No, I just kept waiting for something like to actually ha- Nope, it was just a normal trailer. So yeah, when we go see the menu, I'm going to ask the people at the theater, like, who gave you like the trailers to show? That is weird. So after that trailer, did they show like more current trailers? Yes. Then the very next trailer was that new Jonathan Majors, uh, Oh, Devotion. That yeah. narrows it down to three movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's in so many. But yeah, Devotion, it was that. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. Anyway, jeez. Oh, 
Uh, weird. The Al Yankovic story. This is uh, on uh, Roku channel. So if you have a Roku device, you can stream this on your Roku. It's free. The unexaggerated true story about the greatest musician of our time from a conventional upbringing where playing the accordion was a sin. Weird Al Yankovic rebels and makes his dream of changing the words to world-renowned songs come true. An instant success and sex symbol. Al lives in an excessive lifestyle and pursues an infamous romance that nearly destroys him. It's directed by Erica Powell in his uh, feature directorial debut who co-wrote the screenplay with Weird Al Yankovic. The film is a satire of uh, biopics and is loosely based on Yankovic's life and career as an accordionist, accordionist and parody songwriter. I don't think I've ever said the word accordionist in my entire life until just then. You handled it very well. Thank you. I, I kind of stumbled there for a moment and then picked myself back up, got it out. And uh, yeah, accordionist, Jake, I've just... It's not one of those words that I use on a daily basis, or ever for that matter. It stars Daniel Radcliffe as Yankovic, along with Evan Rachel Wood, Rain Wilson, Toby Huss, Arturo Castro, and uh, Julian Nicholson in supporting roles. We talked about Arturo Castro just a moment ago, totally forgetting that he was in this fucking thing. Who did he play? Who did he play? I don't even remember. Was he one of the people at the party? I don't know. They're saying starring him. Oh, no. He's, he was, um, he, he was. Oh, he's Pablo Escobar. Yeah, he's Pablo. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Perfect casting. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I will, uh, I'll start off with Jake. What did you think? I know you're a huge Weird Al fan. Um, I, you know, I'm a big, I, I want to hear what you say. I, I, I'm an Al fan too. I'm, an, I, I'm curious as to what you thought about this. Yeah, this was wild. Um, I, you know, I was very excited to see this movie. There's been lots of publicity about it from Weird Al himself. I'm I'm a giant fan of Weird Al. Um, I must be an idiot because I took this at face value until I saw the movie. I don't know. I just, for some reason, I thought this was going to be a legitimate telling of Weird Al's life, like an actual biopic. And, you know, within five, ten minutes of watching this thing, you kind of realize the joke. And it made it all the more hilarious to, like, while I'm watching it, realize that this is just a completely out-of-control fabrication of everything I know about Weird Al's real life. And, um, man, I've watched this movie three times since it's been out. You don't even have to have a Roku to watch it. You can go right to Roku.com, stream it right off your phone. Don't even need the device. So if you're a fan and you're thinking you can't watch this, make sure you do. Um, I thought all the performances were just so inspired. I thought Radcliffe was was fantastic. Um, Evan Rachel Woods' Madonna was absolutely hilarious. Uh, the Dr. Demento performance was so funny. Um, I could just go on and on. I mean, the moment where he's telling his dad to stop beating the door-to-door accordion salesman to death. And he's like, you're killing him, dad! I was just on the ground fucking dying from that till the end of the movie to the party scene in between to weird al was very famously never like done any drugs his entire life but there's just so much drug use in this movie it's absolutely (laughs) hysterical um and i don't know if you guys know this about weird al but his parents died in a real tragic like gas leak there was no it was uh wasn't it it was carbon monoxide oh Oh, okay yeah and i I was really surprised that this is how he was going to like 
you know, portray his parents in a movie, in his first life story movie. And that just kind of shows the the sense of humor this guy has to be able to do something like that. And, uh, man, everything about this movie just fucking slays me from beginning to end. Uh, it, it's one of my favorite movies of the year, honestly. It, it was an absolute Tupperware. I, I think it's comic genius. I, and I'm also very, very glad that I got to see Word Out Live before it was too late. Yeah, I didn't like this movie as much as you. Um, I thought it. I thought it was, there was one joke that just kept playing out throughout the entire movie, and um, I didn't think Radcliffe was good. And I would have rather. En- I would have enjoyed this movie if. And I was talking to Connor about this before we watched Black Panther because he enjoyed the movie, and I and I, I I liked it, didn't love it. Um, but I just wanted, instead of Radcliffe, I just wished Al would have played himself and he was like, Oh, just kind of like wet, hot American summer, this thing, you know, like just have the older actors pretending that they're younger. And like, yeah, that's what I would have liked. I know it's a biopic and I know they always cast somebody different in these biopics. I thought Radcliffe's performance was uninspired and I don't think he has like the energy level or the comedic chops of of uh of weird al i thought he was pretty dry and boring and um yeah i didn't really i didn't hate this movie but i didn't love it so it's just a middle of the road taste it for me i feel like that's a bit of the joke to to counter what you're saying i i don't think daniel radcliffe was ever instructed to be weird al yankovic as you know him yeah yeah it might be i just didn't uh just didn't work for me. I'm sorry. It just, it just, the movie just did not work for me. Sadly. No, I get that. It was like the, the one joke that they kept. You know, it's like the. I felt like they just found creative ways of just retelling the same joke throughout the entire movie. Um, you know, so I don't know. It just didn't. It wasn't. It wasn't the favorite. My one of my favorite movies of all year. Sadly, and I love Weird Al. I just I. You know, I prefer watching just going back and watching UHF or like his old what was it? His old comedic documentary that he came out with like back in the eighties. I, I Jake, I couldn't tell you how many times I fucking watched uh, the that. unauthorized yes or something like that. Yes, yes, yes. I, I probably growing up, I probably watched that thing twenty times. I thought it was the funniest fucking thing ever, and um, this just didn't. This just sadly didn't do it for me. Joe, what did you think? Yeah, I, I've been looking forward to seeing this one. Uh, I was very intrigued by the fact that Daniel Radcliffe was going to be playing him. And it was, I mean, I'd been hearing news about this for a very long time before I found out that this is tongue in cheek and it's not a real story. And even going into it, I was, I was on the fence of like, is that what this is going to be? And then the, it it started off with kind of like a, a note from weird Al. And then I was like, okay, yeah, that seals the deal. This is, this entire thing is going to be bullshit. It's all just going to be tongue in cheek comedy and that's what it was and a lot of the jokes really worked for me when when he was a kid and he was like invited to go to the the party and they're like it's a polka party (laughs) like that's actually a fucking thing and he'd been playing the accordion in secret and all this shit like all that stuff was very funny for me and and i liked how it, it worked in some like real life stuff like 
Like apparently when when he did record my Sharona, he really did record it in a public bathroom because they liked the acoustics. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like little things like that, I thought were really, really funny. I thought Evan Rachel Wood playing Madonna was hilarious. Um, I'd be really curious to hear what Madonna's thoughts on this are if she ever actually sees it. Um, She's not spoken about it yet. (laughs) Amid all the other weird ass shit she's doing online recently, um, she probably should say something about this. Better sense of humor about it. I would hope she would understand. I mean, come on. Yeah, and and with with all the different celebrity cameos in this, it's almost like every single role you're seeing has a, a different big name. That, that you can recognize, you know, under the makeup and costume. And it just seems like they had a lot of fun making this. This, uh, when I was done watching it, I think I spent the next two days going back and like reviewing some of like Weird Al's, you know, kind of greatest hits that I've loved growing up. I remember the first time I ever heard of Weird Al, um, what my, my best friend when I was in elementary school, his older brother got like a, a VHS tape for Christmas that had a whole bunch of stuff on it. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of Weird Al and I got to see all these different ones like 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 eat it and and you know like a surgeon and like all these different classics of his um and i've just loved weird al ever since and and he's continued to to be relevant like throughout the years and and just he has this real gift for for parodying these songs and coming up with these nonsensical lyrics and and i love that he wears you know his his geekiness and his nerdiness on his sleeve and yeah, th- this movie was a high tasted for me. It's something that I that I could probably go back and watch again, um, but you know, it's it it just didn't absolutely blow me away like a like a Tupperware would. But it was still a very entertaining movie. Yeah, June, what did you think? So it's funny, like Jake. For some reason, I thought this was going to be like an actual biopic, and not like I wasn't. I just didn't know like then what. I didn't realize it was going to be like a satire of biopics. And so um, it's just so I'm glad I'm not the only one. Jay, like that makes me so relieved <laughs> because yeah, I had no idea. But um, the only thing I knew is that Daniel Radcliffe was, was playing Weird Al. But when I got like what this was going to be was the first celebrity cameo, you know, that very opening scene, you know, in the emergency room, you know, I saw that cameo and I was like, oh, okay, okay, this is not, Okay, I get it now. Um, you know, I had a lot of fun with this. I thought this was it was very silly, but also kind of, you know, in a weird way endearing. Um, I I think Daniel Radcliffe is really funny and I love that he's taking these like he's not scared to take these really weird, like kind of really like off the walls kind of character because it was a couple years ago. What's the movie? It was an Amazon movie, I think. It was an action film where he had like Guns, uh, guns like, akimbo yes like he, you know there's like he's i think he's really funny um and i'm glad that he's doing a lot of comedy um and he's not and they you know yeah he's like i'll take these weird crazy roles and so i i thought he was really good as weird al like i thought he i thought he channeled like the weird al sort of like the energy and everything i don't know i just i thought he was such He's very magnetic, like, you know, like, just watching him my, do this. And, my choice, so. real quick, my choice for Weird Al was uh, Blake Anderson from The Workaholics. That's who I wanted. Oh. The wild, curly-haired guy from yeah, The Workaholics. Yeah. And, okay. he, and he's a huge Al fan. So um, I was like, it just makes sense to get Blake in there. He's already, 
He's already got the thin mustache. He's already got the hair. He's funnier than Daniel Radcliffe. Fucking. He, he played it straight on purpose, though. That's the joke. Yeah, but that, it just, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't like it. I didn't like his performances, Al. I'm my sorry. One, my one thing is, and as much I thought, okay, I thought Evan Rachel Wood, I thought she was really funny as Manana, and, you know, it was nice to see her playing comedy. You know, I'm just, I think, really, the only thing I know her from is um, Westworld. And, um, you know, that is, which is not a funny show. <laughs> <laughs> and her character is not a funny character. So, um, and I thought she was, and I thought, you know, I was like surprised, you know, she can pull off comedy. Cause I think a lot of, I mean, comedy is harder to pull off than drama. I think every actor says that. And so, and not every dramatic actor can pull that off. And I thought she did it really well. But for whatever reason, as much as I liked her performance, that middle part, that second act of the movie, like that, I don't know. It kind of went a little slow for me. I don't know. I, the momentum of the movie, I think, for me, slowed down in that second act. But um, and then I think it picked back up, you know, when like he goes and reconciles with his parents and everything. Right. Like so. Um, so for me, it's, it's a high taste. It just because I did feel that second act for me was sort of lacking. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, weird. The Al Yankovic story on Roku. Jake, you said they could watch that just on the app. It's it's available. Yeah, just Roku, just Roku.com. Not even an app. You can just go to the website. There you go. Uh, Pepsi, where's my jet? This dropped on Netflix. Uh, the year was 1996, and the Cola Wars were raging. Despite Pepsi's celebrity-soaked advertisements, Coke still held the bigger market share. So the second place brand decided to roll out their biggest campaign ever called Pepsi Stuff. It featured a soon-to-be infamous commercial implying that if you just bought enough of their products, you could use Pepsi points to purchase sunglasses, leather jackets, and maybe a Harrier jet. Pepsi executives assumed the astronomical price of the military plane was set high enough to indicate it was a joke, but college student John Leonard saw it as a challenge and decided to call their bluff, enlisting the help of mountaineering buddy Todd Hoffman, Leonard hashed out a plan to score the grandest prize of all, even if it never existed in the first place. Shot in a rollicking, irreverent style and soaked in the music and culture of the mid-90s, Pepsi Where's My Jet sits down with Leonard Hoffman, Leonard Hoffman, the commercial's creative team, and a truly unexpected cast of tangentially involved public figures to tell the legendary tale of the kid who sued Pepsi for a fighter jet and become the hero of a new generation. And uh, I remember this story. I I remember this story when it came out. I remember seeing it on the news. Um, and then it kind of like went away. And then I, I, you know, I remember, you know, even about a decade ago, you know, uh, hearing people talk about this again. And um, and then we get this documentary. I'm like, oh, my God, we get the, the full fucking story. We get to hear this guy's story. And it's, it's fucking wild. I remember when the commercial came out thinking that I, I, I felt like there were a certain group of people when they put the, 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 the Harrier jet on the screen, like there's this kid who lands a jet in his uh, schools right in front of a school uh, on the lawn there. And uh, it's 7 million points. They put it up on the screen, 7 million points. I, 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 felt like when I saw it as a kid, like, oh, it's, this is clearly a joke. There's no way you could get 7 million points. And then I do remember, like, discussions with my friends who had the booklet, and they're like, I don't see the jet in here. Like, they thought, like, you know, they're taking it at face value. Like, they're offering a fucking jet. I'm like, this is insane. 
So to watch this documentary and like how far this fucking goes, um, I was blown away by this document. It's a four four episodes. I I watched two two. I woke up at like three in the morning and started this thing, and I'd watched two episodes. Went back to bed, woke up, and then watched the other two episodes. I <laughs> I couldn't stop myself. I, I was kind of obsessed with this story, and I had to know more. And uh, you know, I, I was. I think what's what's so great about this is the characters, the, the the real life people that were involved in this. I I loved John Leonard. I thought he was great. And then you get invite, you get uh, introduced to his uh, uh, rock climbing buddy, his adventure buddy, Todd Hoffman, who has tons of money that you don't know where it came from. He's just like. He's this guy. He's the money behind all of this. I know. Yeah, yeah. He's, but the thing is, he's a cancer survivor too, and he's got yeah. such a, a bubbly personality. Here's the thing: like in this documentary, they start talking about like how this guy's a cancer survivor, and how while they're doing this documentary, he finds out that it's come back, and they're talking about this, and then they go back and they start talking about this whole fucking Pepsi thing, and I'm like, I have fallen in love with this Todd guy. At this point, and I'm like, wait, so is Todd okay? Is Todd like I want to? Is Todd all right? Why? Why are we talking about this fucking jet? I want to know if Todd's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, it, you, you find out who they get involved in their legal team and all of this. They find a loophole. They find a way that they can purchase this Harrier jet for about seven hundred thousand dollars. Uh, through this contest and what's wild about this commercial that they ran is they didn't have like the you know the the uh, asterisk at the bottom and the and the all the the legalese and shit saying like oh this is not real this is just a this is just a satire you know this is bullshit it's just a joke and so you know he took it as a as a legitimate offer for a harrier jet at seven million points and uh he's taken pepsi to court um and uh, yeah, uh, I Tupperware this. I thought it was. I thought it was. I think what what really worked for me is just the like John himself and Todd. I, I really liked these guys, and um, following their story and their friendship. And uh, I'm I'm rooting for John and Todd throughout this entire fucking thing. At the end of this, I want to ask you guys what like. Do you think he's owed this jet? But anyway, Joe, what do you think about uh, Pepsi? Where's my jet? I remember when these commercials were airing, and I, I I don't remember, I don't recall hearing about the lawsuit, but I definitely remember the commercial with the kid landing the Harrier jet and saying that it beats taking the bus. And <laughs> You're right. The the best part of this documentary to me is this story of friendship between these two kind of main characters in it. And and I love that even in present day, like they're still hanging out and and we keep getting clips of them like going on like some sort of mountain climbing adventure together where where they're going out into the mountains and they go and summit something. And I I thought that that kind of B story showing what was going on in in present day with them was was really really wonderful. But just in terms of the story itself, I, you know, leave it up to like a, a young guy who's like a climbing guide that's like, how can I do something to try and make some money? Oh, 
<laughs> let's see if I can do this and this will this will fuel the lifestyle for a little bit longer if I can make this quick buck this way. And the the fact that he actually had an investor that was willing to go along with it as well and just the that first scene where where they go and meet with Pepsi's lawyers and you know Pepsi's lawyers are just not taking them seriously at all and they're just like, you know, haha, okay, yeah, what what do you really want here? And and the kid just keeps sticking to his gun saying, I want the jet. And and I, I as much as I like those characters, I, I tend to agree with the side where it's, you know, yeah, this is tongue in cheek. I understand that that they didn't put small print on the ad and and if you really want to split hairs on like a legal level, okay, sure, this constitutes an offer. Um but I, I I think that first meeting that he made with that he did with those lawyers. I don't want to give anything away, but I, I think he made a critical error in that. That I almost think that you know if you were to speak to that person today, he'd probably say, "Yeah, you know, in hindsight, probably should have done that." But I watched all four episodes of this. I, I watched it all in a row. It was hard to put down, and and also just knowing that it was four episodes, it was it was a pretty easy watch, and it, it's enough of an engrossing story that I wanted to know what was going to happen. And and especially when when they get teamed up with um, uh, the the guy who goes on to kind of end up being a kind of a high profile scumbag lawyer, but this was like before he was ever a lawyer, and it it starts to look like hey they're really going to get some traction going. And this kid's doing like talk show circuits now. He's doing radio appearances. He's really getting the story out there, you know, trying to garner sympathy and strong arm Pepsi into I guess giving him a fucking Harrier jet. Um, which, which, if you don't know what a Harrier jet is, if you've seen the movie True Lies, a Harrier jet is it's a, it's a jet that can hover, basically. Like the 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 jets, the jet engines on the wings will rotate down so that the jet can just hover in place. It can it go can backwards happen. too. So. It can go backwards, but it can land like straight down, and it can like take off like straight up. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty incredible. And in the thought of having, like, if you're gonna have any jet, like that would be the one to have, right? Like. Totally cool. It, be, it seems like it'd be easiest to like, you know, like it's better you can like immediately take off like standing like and like <laughs> land. Like, you know, I feel like that's the convenience of it. And, and what's great is that I love that they talked to a real Air Force pilot and she was like, Yeah, a civilian's not gonna get in this thing and be able to uh, like understand how it works. And I even love that the Pentagon weighed in on it, saying that, you know, no, these Harrier jets are not available to the public. It would have to be demilitarized. So all the weapon systems would have to be removed. Basically, it would have to be made so the thing doesn't even fly before the government would give one away. And so there's all these different ins and outs and ups and downs of the case. And and there's a wonderful moment in it where where um, uh, John and Todd kind of have to have a talk and be like, are we going to go with – is it Michael Avenatti? Cavanetti. Yeah. Michael Cavanetti. It's like, are, are we going to go with this guy's plan or are we going to stick with our original thing? And and that's where, like, the real friendship story in this comes through. And, and I think that that's the more beautiful thing is that throughout this, you know, multi-year legal battle, these two guys that started off as friends continue on as friends. And I thought that that was one of the most beautiful parts of the story. For me, this was a high taste it. Um, I don't think it's something that I would go back and watch again, but as far as just a four episode docu-series go, it's, it's absolutely worth your time. And I recommend people checking it out. Jake, what did you think? 
I'm at the other end of the spectrum of you guys. I watched all four episodes as well. Um, I just kind of felt like after two episodes, well, it's four episodes, so let's see how this thing ends. Uh, I don't know. I just think this was way too long and way too drawn out. And if you could figure out a way to tell this story in two episodes, it would have played a lot better for me. I I was pretty bored by the second episode and uh, just wanted some resolution. I thought the the way it was presented wasn't the most exciting. And I don't know. I just just the story was just silly to me. And I, I never really like really was invested that much in who's gonna win here. So I, I I don't know I didn't like this very much at all. Ah, see I love the the underdog story, the David versus Goliath story of it all. Like, can this guy fucking get one over on fucking Pepsi? And I loved it. June, what do you think? You know, I'm at a um, I'm at a case with it. You know, like I I did I thought the story was very interesting. Um, I I do think it was drawn out a little too much. I think this could have been, I think this could have been done in three episodes. Um. But and because one of the things that I don't think they I wanted them to push back more on Pepsi itself on the fraudulent. I mean, that this. I mean, when you hear about like how I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but like how the commercial was constructed, like there were decisions made in those meetings. Where it was sort of like, let's get people to buy our product. Right. And I felt like that wasn't pushed hard enough um but then again maybe i think the focus you know was more on the friendship you know between john and todd what's so funny though with all of these sort of stories though don't you feel like though like the the todd guy right like the investor the guy with the money uh, they're always like the same though right like they're always vague this like they're just a businessman who works in some unknown business right and they somehow made a shit ton of money. No one's not quite sure. And then they like to live like simple lives, sort of, you know, like on an island on the beach, or in this case, this guy is like in a yurt in the in the fort, right? It might like doesn't it always seem like there's always that guy behind these kind of stories, or is it? I don't know. Uh, what's what's another example? I just I feel like even um, like the Firefest guy, like the. Uh, main investor mm-hmm. like, he was a guy that like one that like like the bottle water like his like that guy like this guy was like super rich was like a huge investor but like I remember like being like what do you even do though waste like, management your job. so I don't know I just, it's just funny like I'm the, part of me is like well, who are these people where can I become friends with them because I would like a lot of money <laughs> for my ideas. <laughs> I think Pepsi should have paid the kid the value of the fucking jet. I think they yeah. fucked up. I think they fucked up. I think that they're 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 backpedaling, and um, I think that there's it was strategic at fucking having it at seven million points. I felt like they were trying to lower that number to make it so like. It seemed like it was outrageous, but people could still get 
that um, they, if people drank enough Pepsi, they could still hit that number somehow. Trying yeah. to get trying to get families to buy more Pepsi and get more Pepsi points. And the ad was different in different countries. Yeah, yeah, I do agree with that. That take a hundred percent. That Pepsi should have paid out the value of. The they should have paid. No out. argument. At they should have paid out. They, they they fucked up. You know, I mean, you know, the, yeah, the and kid honestly, the kid won in my opinion. Million, and thirty two million is nothing to Pepsi. Well, and the kid found a loophole. The kid found a loophole. They should have offered yeah. him. They should have offered him some money. Um, I I think if they had put that jet like in the catalog, and put seven million points on it there, that the I'd, I'd agree with you more. But just being that it was just in a commercial, and it was clearly meant to be facetious in the commercial. That that's where it makes me. It was clearly it. meant to be that in Canada where they had the fucking fine print, but in America well, they, put, they didn't. They and then in the original them. fucking you know storyboards for the commercial, they had it at seven hundred million points, which is uh, <laughs> like out yeah, of the reach. reasoning for why that was changed was laughable. It's bullshit. Yeah. So I think Pepsi. You know, this kid found a fucking loophole. I think he should be fucking rewarded for it. And because I think that they're in the wrong here. Fuck Pepsi. Yeah. And they could have easily spun it into good PR as well. Yeah. Like if they'd have done the right thing, it could have been a good look for them as well. Fuck Pepsi. Yeah, I'm a coach. Yeah. I did like the one thing I, I thought that one thing I did really love though is like everyone they interviewed, like we remember from the eighties, the, the Pepsi challenge commercials. Right, where you oh yeah, Coke yeah. I remember it was life. fucking. It was Bronson Pinchot who was doing the Coke, the the Pepsi so, Coke Challenge commercials. I actually really loved how everyone they interviewed, though. Like, I mean, they interviewed Cindy Crawford, yeah, because she was like the big face of Pepsi in the late in the early nineties. Like that Pepsi commercial, you know, on the side of the road. Like, that's an iconic commercial. Oh yeah. And, um, so like they did the pepsi challenge with every interviewer and they tallied up at the end and uh coke won (laughs) this this inspired me to do my own pepsi challenge and before we started recording i actually went and picked up a pepsi and a coke and i gave myself a blind pepsi challenge how did did you pick apparently i have a pretty refined palate as soon as i tasted the first one i was like oh this is coca-cola and i tasted the second one and i was like yep this is better it's pepsi i don't think that's a refined palate one is sweet as shit and that's pepsi <laughs> yeah yeah and one's bitter you are now you know listen to you thinking you're like somebody fucking showing up to the menu restaurant look at you <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, then I would be able to pick out the different spices in it. Oh, I'm I'm getting some hints of cardamom here. Yeah, hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> My refined palate can tell the difference between Pepsi and Coke. because <laughs> so, I'm from Georgia. Like I was, you know, I'm from Georgia originally. You know, Atlanta. You know, Coke, Coke is based in Atlanta. So, like, I remember growing up, like there was like nowhere had Pepsi. You know, right? Like at like any, you know, the restaurants or concessions like everything was coca-cola because we lived in georgia and i think the only time i ever bought pepsi was like i tried the pepsi clear don't oh, remember nice. that the, the yeah. clear pepsi uh, with the van halen song behind it uh, every, yeah. i remember crystal clear pepsi yeah that shit fucked with my head i didn't want to jump off making fun of joe's palate there so quickly um, <laughs> no, no, I was disappointed that we left. That. Yeah, yeah. Why are we leaving? Why are we leaving that when we get you know Joe and his refined Pepsi Coke palate? Get the fuck out of here, Joe. No, so apparently, no, I think so. Joe, have you ever been to the Coke Museum in Atlanta? 
No, no, I have okay. much better things better to do with my time yeah, than go so, to a Coke museum. They have like because like I did Coke in the Coke museum. <laughs> <laughs> I went into the I co- did Coke in just a regular old museum. I, I went into the Coke bathroom and did Coke in the Coke museum. There's <laughs> <laughs> so many mirrored surfaces in this museum. Yeah, I snorted coke off some fucking dinosaur bones in a museum one time. So. I fucking I fucking snorted coke off one of those polar bears' asses. Apparently, <laughs> 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 at the Coke Museum in Atlanta, there's like, um, like you can taste like coke from like where like in different countries. You know, because here in America we use corn syrup, but like. In Mexico, they use sugar, so it does taste different. So I was didn't know if Joe and his refined palate like ever, you know, <laughs> experienced that. No, this wait. is the most bullshit I've ever heard, June. I'm sorry. Yeah, this is kind of. I love you, but that that didn't Hang do him on. any favors. Right? Yeah. Come on, come on, June. Let's get back to Fine. making fun of Joe. <laughs> Joe's <laughs> like with my refined palate. <laughs> I remember with Joe. If Joe and a starburst. <laughs> if Joe, yeah, Joe's like the different fruit. Hawaiian punch and what else, Joe? What else, Joe? Potato um, juice. Yeah, lace potato chips and ruffles. Get the fuck out of here, Joe. <laughs> yeah. When when Joe shows up to that museum, they pull out like the red carpet for him. Oh shit! <laughs> oh shit! The cola sommelier is here. Yes, Joe is like Joe. Like takes it and swirls like a stemware around his nose, and it's like. <laughs> <laughs> this is an like a monocle. This is an this is an eighty four. Ah, mm, yes, pungent. Mm, ah, what a sassy taste. Ah, yes. Ah, this is the this is the eighty seven. This comes from the plant uh, in Detroit, Michigan. Ah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, not as much carbonation as you'll get out of the one in Georgia. And yes, uh, Joe's so, Joe so pompous, he turns British when he's doing yeah. this shit, too. <laughs> and he's wearing one of those suits that has tails. <laughs> I'm lifting a pinky as I'm doing the blind taste yeah. challenge. Yeah, <laughs> you're classy, Joe. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I love what a giant failure that the, the Pepsi challenge was for you because you had such a refined palate. That's it's my good, no, the the best part about it is he said it. Making it blind. The best part about it is he said it with like he said it straight, like serious. Like I have a it's like fucking Dan Radcliffe right there. <laughs> oh my god! Let's get off Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Hang on, this is actually kind of cool, though. I mean, if you're ever in Atlanta, this might be something new. So, and the, what? Are, what are, you, are you part of the tourism board for fucking Atlanta? <laughs> what the fuck? You keep hijacking. Uh, come to Atlanta. Like, I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm sitting at the hotel room in fuck. Sitting in a hotel room in Georgia, and, and I, I turn on the TV, and I've got the tourism board trying to get me to go to Atlanta. <laughs> yes, I was just doing, just reading about it. I thought it was interesting. Thought I'd share. <laughs> June, I'm was, just, it, was it more co- more Coke Museum stuff? There was a. Com- I say I didn't. I had never done it before, and I was like, I've heard about this, and I was like, oh. And so as y'all were talking, I was just like doing some. I just looked it up. There's a commercial. How was your first time with Coke? Huh? <laughs> I don't know. There's a commercial with Joe, and he's like. Have you taken the Coke <laughs> Pepsi challenge? 
<laughs> Me and my refined palate, world, <laughs> world renowned. Not I even a challenge, that. yeah. It's not even a challenge. <laughs> this is clearly Pepsi. This did it? Clearly did Pepsi. it with my eyes closed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I refrained from smoking for forty-eight hours before the tasting. June, I'm sorry. I was just using comedy at your expense. That's I all know. it was. It, it's not an attack on. Yeah, well, it kind of was, you know. I thought it was legit funny that she was going back to museum stories. I know. Oh my god. <laughs> Next thing, we're going to be talking about Night at the Museum 3 or something here. Wow. <laughs> I've never seen any of those. Oh, they're good. Yeah, because, right now, because Robin Williams. Yeah, Is he in all three? He's in all three, yeah. yeah. And they're making another one, I think. No. Oh, boy. They're cute movies. They're fun little movies. The Wonder. Jake, I feel like you're, you're are you, you good? How's the bladder doing oh, over there? Oh, if you're going to offer me a break, I'd oh, love gee. to take it. Yeah, you know what? I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I was just gauging. Just dangle the carrot. Dangle the carrot a little bit. Joe Joe, Joe is like, is that a carrot or a... What, 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 I'm trying to think of another vegetable that's similar to a Excellent. carrot. <laughs> Some sort of root vegetable, perhaps? Perhaps, perhaps a, a radish? A radish or a rutabaga? What's a rutabaga? <laughs> It's like a. It's a little bit like a potato. Like you cook them very much in the same way. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. the texture is very similar. Is that a is that a common thing that you eat over there, Jake? The the rutabaga. I, I actually do very much like rutabagas. Yes. How many how, how many rutabagas have you consumed this year? I'm curious. I don't know. It maybe I, I I think they're good when you make a stew. Like it's a it's a great stew vegetable that's not used very much. Like it, yeah. you chop them just like a potato and put them in the stew. I, I think they're really good in a beef stew. This is the kind of shit, Jake. We'll be talking about a rutabaga, and then I'll get an email about a rutabaga. Like we'll be talking about anything else. I we talked John Wick Four trailer, right? I'm not going to get a fucking email about a John Wick Four reaction. I'll get the email from the guy. That fucking he, that that's like you know what Jake's right. Rutabag is pretty damn good. I'll get that fucking yeah, email. Rutabag in a stew. He knows what he's talking. Jake about. knows what he's talking about. Rutabag in a stew. I don't know why Joe thinks he's got the refined palate over there. It's fucking Jake clearly with the rutabag stew. Is there a ruta? Hey June, where's a? Is there a rutabag museum anywhere in the U.S.? I don't, I don't know. I don't need to. I don't really want to Google that. But all right. You've museum shamed June. I think I have. I think I think I, I think I museum shamed June off the episode. No, <laughs> June. Dude, I, I think we need to take a break so we can talk about how great Coke museums are. And get June back into this. Oh, look, look, look at Jake trying to spin this into a fucking break. <laughs> oh, no, I, I think we need to take a break. No, anything, anything to get a fucking break out of me. It could have, we could have been talking to <laughs> Jake. Jake finds a way to spin a rutabaga conversation into back into taking a break. I'm worried about June's attitude. This is the kind of thing you accuse. No, just I'm, I'm yeah. Highly insulted. What you? Jake's like, oh. As soon as we take a break, Jake's like, oh, thank God, I was doing the pee pee dance the entire time over here. I hear it every fucking time. Every fucking time out of you. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God, I was doing the pee pee dance over here. It's the only dance I can do well. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is off the rails and stupid. 
Hey, uh, I agree with off the rails, but I, I'm finding it very inter- entertaining. No, but no, no, no. It could be entertaining, but I'm also saying it's stupid. We it's talked stupid. about we talked about rutabaga. I have I, I have no idea what a fucking rutabaga even looks like. I just know it's a funny word. Mm. Yeah, it does. It looks like a. It's like a purple. It looks like a turnip. A lot yeah, of times, people good. think they're turnips, but they're a little bit more bumpy than a turnip. I, I was rutabaga shaming earlier. Like, like yeah, Jake, tell me about your rutabaga eating habits, you fucking rutabaga eating motherfucker. What the fuck was that all about, man? Who, what, what fucking... I think, you, I think you thought I was bullshitting that I was even consuming these things. No, 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 no. I know you well enough. Like, like when we talk rutabaga, you're serious. Like, you're like... <laughs> like dude, I know... <laughs> I know you, man. I know you. Like you're you're not, you're not bullshitting. Jake's like this is a rutabaga family. We're a rutabaga family. <laughs> we got one year. We got a rutabaga so big we called it the mega rutabaga. Is what we called it. Get that turn up out of here. Yeah, get that turn up out of here. <laughs> <laughs> you better turn that turn up around. <laughs> No turnips better turn up in this household. <laughs> this is dumb. I said it was stupid, Jake. Let's take a break for Jake. Yeah, I, you convinced me that it's stupid, too. It is dumb. <laughs> it is. I've won 80. J- Joe's just happy that we're not talking about his fucking Top Chef palate over oh there. Oh, my God. <laughs> he literally read my mind. Yeah. <laughs> listen, oh. listen, listen to fucking. Until I live that down. Listen to fucking meme. Gordon Ramsay over there. <laughs> I can tell the difference between juicy fruit and big red with yeah. my extraordinary palate. Oh, uh, well, those are easy. What are you? Uh, oh God! I, I I smelled it. I only smelled it, and I can tell you it's a fruit stripe. Get out! Get out of my face with this fruit stripe gum. <laughs> Joe, can you tell the difference between Sierra Mist and Sprite? Uh that one. Years ago, I worked in a convenience store. And oh I my god! Really, there's really a, there's, Jake, I'm shocked. Time. There's a fucking story to this. And, and so a coworker went and got Seven Up, Sierra Mist, and Sprite, and I was able to correctly identify all three. So suck it. Oh. <laughs> I want to. I want a twenty dollar bet one time because I was um, fictitiously claiming at a poker game that I could tell what color an M M&M and M was just by the taste. And I was. <laughs> I was awesome. I was lying out my fucking ass, and then you know I went as far as to say I, I would bet twenty dollars that I could name three in a row, and I fucking just by pure luck was able to get all three correct and win the twenty dollars. <laughs> incredible! It was it was incredible. The gods shined down on me that day. Those people still believe that I can tell the color of an M&M just by the taste of it. Oh my god, there's going to be a documentary about this on Netflix next month. <laughs> oh man, I was so scared. It's going to be called It's going to be called It's going to be called M&M's Where's My 20 Bucks? Yeah. <laughs> Let's take a break. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. <laughs> Don't join the pop culture leftovers Patreon. We will eat both of your arms and then both of your legs. And then we will eat your face right off your head. You will be this armless, legless, faceless thing, won't you? Rolling down the street like a turd in the wind. Head over to Patreon.com and join now for only $6 a month. 
All right, hey, we are back, and uh, we're going to be talking about a movie on Netflix that dropped called The Wonder, which is not about Joe Stark's amazing palette, which is also a wonder in itself, Jake. Yes, yes. <laughs> I would have rather watched that movie. Yeah. Set in the Irish Midlands in 1862, the story follows a young girl who stops eating but remains miraculously alive and well. English nurse Lib Wright is brought to a tiny village to observe 11-year-old Anna O'Donnell. Tourists and pilgrims mass to witness the girl who is said to have survived without food for months. I think they said that she hadn't eaten for four months and she's living off uh, manna from heaven. So she's like this blessed you know, child. And it's directed by Sebastian Lelio from a screenplay by Emma Donahue, uh, Lelio and Alice, Alice Birch. It's based on the 2016 novel of the same name by Donahue. Florence Pugh leads an ensemble cast that includes Tom Burke, Nia Malgar, uh, uh, I don't know, a bunch of fucking people in this movie. Uh, I guess Syrian Hines is in this, Toby Jones. Um, I didn't really like it. No. <laughs> this movie was trash. Can I can I review this movie real quick? I I her palette sucked. Her palette yeah. sucked, Jake. She didn't need anything. Go ahead. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> I tossed this movie. It's the first truly bad movie I've ever seen Florence Pugh in, honestly. I was surprised at how much I disliked this movie. I found it to be really pretentious. Uh the way they opened and closed it was eye-rollingly bad. Um this movie had some of the worst music I've ever heard in a movie in maybe the last 10 years. It was just all like, ooh, 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 ah, ah, ah. And it really got on my fucking nerves. Like about halfway through the movie, I was just so checked out on that fucking music. Um, the plot was super boring. It just drug on and on and on and on and on. And, uh, yeah, I didn't care about the characters or the people or the story they were trying to tell. And, yeah, I, I did not like this movie at all. Joe, what did you think about The Wonder? Oh, the real wonder is that I finished this movie um, because there was multiple points that I wanted to check out. And and really, it was. I, fuck, they, there's just no redeeming good qualities of this movie. Like the entire time you're watching it, like what you think is going on is going on. And, and Jake, what you said about that pretentious beginning and end. Holy shit. This movie was so smelling its own farts with that beginning and ending scene like that. Like when it first started. Like I, I like paused it and double checked to make sure I was watching the right thing. I was like, "This is a period piece. Why are we seeing a movie, a movie studio, in the beginning of this?" Oh, that and was so dumb. It, it detracted so dumb. from the movie. It did. I, 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 Dude, I totally yeah, agree. It absolutely detracted from the movie because it takes you out of it. And it's like from the very start, it's like, "Yeah, I know I'm watching a movie. I'm sitting on my fucking couch and I'm watching this on Netflix." But to actually start off with a period piece and. It just really takes you out of it from the very beginning. And and this this focus that keeps going on about, it's about stories. Remember, we told you it's about stories. And it's like, why? This is this is the dumbest story ever. And and like as it goes on and like when 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 she starts getting to the bottom of what's really going on with this girl, it's just multiple layers of just ew. <laughs> with what's really going on it just as the girl like tells more and more of her story to this nurse it just gets grosser and grosser and i i, di I didn't like this at all and and it, it 
I, I feel terrible saying that because I love Florence Pugh. I'm a huge fan of her. I think she's an incredible actor. I just thought that this movie was just boring and needless inside and out. Yeah, I'm going to toss it on this one, too. Um, like, There's one part in this movie that just made me think. And it had really nothing to do with the actual movie itself. There's like uh, um, the, the the young girl has like all these different cards of different saints and shit. You know, she's very religious and she's looking at this card of St. Celia who heard music playing in her heart. And uh, Florence Pugh's character says, oh, you know, wouldn't that be nice? And I was it just made me like step out of the movie for a second and think of like, wow. Yeah, if these people wanted to hear music, they actually had to go somewhere and listen to music. Like, you know, this is like before, elect, like, I think electricity, was, I don't know when electricity was invented, but the people didn't have, like, electricity and shit. But Yeah, that, that's crazy to think about. I think about that even in more modern terms, how it's like if I wanted to listen to a CD, I had to either know someone that physically had that CD or buy it myself. Well, yeah, this is, well, like, you know, I was just thinking about this from, like, that time to, like, this time to where, like, now I can just pick up my phone and listen to any fucking song I want to. I can listen to music at any time. These people didn't, like, these people, like, enjoyed music. They just didn't have the luxury of listening to music the way we do anytime we want to, unless they played their own music or they went somewhere, you know, to listen to me. You actually had to physically go somewhere to listen to music, and it just... It's like, holy shit. Like, that was like the most enjoyable part of this movie for me was like that moment where I was just like, wow, man, we're at a place where we can just fucking, there's my phone. I can listen to Spotify. I can listen to whatever the fuck I want to. Anyway, June, what'd you think about The Wonder? I mean, I don't think this needs any further discussion. I toss it to you. I was so bored and just the. the, the, the plot, you know, the twists and turns of the story itself, like. I, I just didn't care. Right? Like, I, I don't know. I just... just the, and then it just seemed to... It kind of... It, it, I don't know. It, it just seemed... Like it was trying too hard. Does that make sense? It seemed yeah, like... Totally. It seemed like a fucking book that I guess maybe was somewhat popular that doesn't really uh you can't make a really good screenplay out of it you know like it doesn't no, I mean, it just it was just trying too hard and i just yeah i this was not a movie i needed yeah it was not good yeah the wonder on netflix guys it's it's not good let's move on um <laughs> it's not good uh a christmas story christmas um jake i believe you didn't get a chance to watch this one uh so it's going to be me june and joe on this one this is uh based on the humorous writings of author gene shepherd this beloved holiday holiday movie follows the wintry exploits of youngster no what the fuck i'm reading the original god damn it i looked up for the synopsis for the fucking christmas story christmas and they're giving me the fucking the first movie jesus fucking christ I don't have the synopsis for this. Anyway, this is a sequel to the 1983 film A Christmas Story. Uh, Peter Billingsley reprises his role as Ralphie Parker alongside Ian Petrella, Scott Schwartz, Artie Robb, and Zach Ward uh, returning as Randy Parker, Flick, Schwartz, and Scott Farkas 
Um, and uh, yeah, uh, Ralphie's got a. Uh, st- Shouldn't he be called Ralph as an adult? Don't you think? Or no, I Rafe. it's Rafe. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was fucking as soon as it came out of my mouth. I was like, "Fuck, let's go with." Yeah, Jake beat me to it. Um, but uh, he's got a wife and kids now, a son and a daughter, and um, they recast the mother, the uh, who's now the grandmother in this one. Didn't the actor who played Flick? Didn't he get into porn? Probably in real a life, name like that. How do you not? Well, in the movie, his name was Flick, but now, did he go on to flick the bean and porn? I think he fucking did. The actor who played Flick, I put fuck Flick in the Christmas. Is fucking porn story? Yes. <laughs> Get it to porn. Let's find out. Oh, he was in a 2000 movie called Booby Trap. He played Agent Big Knob. Oh, Agent here, Big Knob. Here's an article from the from the Sun. It's called uh, "Hung with Care: A Christmas." <laughs> <laughs> That's the greatest name for a Christmas theme form form I've ever heard. Uh, a Christmas Story. Scott Schwartz starred in porn years after he ironically stuck his tongue to pole. In a, in a <laughs> All the jokes write themselves. Yeah, Christmas Story. Scott Schwartz starred in adult film porn roles after his iconic performance as Flick in the scene where he got his tongue stuck to the frozen pole. Uh, that's yeah, it's true. It's true. But uh, Scott now fifty-three. I'm trying to see. Yeah, it's true. He's starting porn. I thought I thought that I thought that was a memory I had. Anyway, <sighs> boy. Uh, so the dad is dead in this one, and uh, this is about Ralph's family and him trying to carry on the Christmas tradition. It takes place in 1973. And um, Jake, I found this out. I, I actually found this out before you watched the movie. Um, Bob Clark directed a Christmas story. Bob Clark, also, I watched all three of these movies over the past two weeks. I told you and Joe about this. Bob Clark also directed Porky's and Porky's 2. Oh, and I had no idea that was the same director. Same director. And like now that, you, now that I look at both movies and how they're like period pieces and shit, you know, like in the 50s, it makes sense that it's from the same director. Just one so very wholesome and one so like you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there's a scene in Porky's 2 where two two characters are performing in a play and uh, one of the characters is supposed to be sword fighting and loses his sword and so th- they can't find another sword prop for him to use and so they throw out a mannequin leg just like the mannequin leg and the lamplight in the uh, Christmas story movie Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's how you can connect Porky's to a Christmas story, everybody. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, I don't know. I loved the Christmas story growing up, the original movie. It's something that we played at my house as a kid, and we all, I mean, I just remember laughing hysterically at Randy eating the mashed potatoes and the the dad, you know, fragile and the leg lamp and, you know... 
Ralphie cussing as they're changing the tire. I mean, all the <laughs> all these scenes are just like you know, just staples of our Christmas growing Christmases growing up. We you know would watch that movie, and I I absolutely loved that movie and how he would uh, use his imagination and fight against the villains with his Red Rider BB gun. This movie takes a lot of that kind of stuff and he's still imagining shit as an adult and I'm like, it doesn't fucking work with a fucking 40, 50 year old man. Um, and uh, But I think overall it has a nice, it has a sweet theme and it tries to remember, you know, his father from the original movie I'm just at like a, a taste it for this one. It's it's nothing that I'll ever watch again. I think my favorite parts in this were just seeing, you know, like the characters from that first movie in the same room together again. It was just kind of nice. So for that, I'll give it a taste it. And I think like the overall theme of it was sweet, but there's no way this touches the original. So I'm just at a taste it on this one. Um, Joe, what did you think? Dude, yeah, the the original one was like a Christmas staple. Like I, I don't remember a Christmas where I didn't watch that movie. And isn't it like TNT or TBS? They do something where they'll do like twenty four hours of yes. Christmas story where that's the only thing they'll play over yes. and over again. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's TBS. Yeah, and, and so this is, you know, a Christmas story. I've seen it so many times from childhood on up to an adult. I've I've introduced my own kids to it. It's something that they've seen over and over again. And so we, we all sat down as a family last night to watch this one together. And I was I was pretty checked out, like almost immediately. I was on my phone quite a bit. Um, I, I still stuck it out and I watched the whole thing. But man, there's just so much sequelitis at play in this. So many of the same beats that are just recycled and done in a slightly different way for this movie. Lots of lots of member berries. They couldn't help themselves, but constantly showing photographs on a wall that were just still frames from the original movie or just out and out showing you the fucking scene from the original movie. Like there's so much footage of the original movie that plays in this. It's just wild. And there, there were lots of times where it would show like it would zoom in on Ralphie's face and I'd just be like, God damn, every time it zooms in on this guy, he looks a little older by the end of this movie. I'm like, is Ralphie older than his mom? Did he drive his mom to the hospital and he was delivered? Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, it just seemed like they should have done the, the the time period in this a little bit differently or made his kids seem a little bit older. It's like, dude, by the time your kids graduate high school, you're going to be retired. He just, he just seems so old in this. And I, I agree. It was kind of cool to see those original actors in it again. But, man, the, the, just the amount of member berries and sequelitis going on in this, it just had me rolling my eyes nonstop. Uh but, you know, my kids enjoyed it well enough. My wife enjoyed it. Um, at the end of the day, this is just a taste it for me. It's not something I'd ever really want to watch again, but I don't think it's a terrible movie. I think that, you know, if I think that if you genuinely liked the first one and you don't like kind of hate it when they do certain things in a sequel that this movie has a lot of going on and you'll probably enjoy this. And and I think for the majority of kids that would watch this, I think kids would probably enjoy this. Um, especially with the way that, that Ralphie's kids kind of get the, get even with the bullies in this. I, I thought that was pretty clever and kind of funny. Yeah. Cause and, you can't have kids fighting. 
Yeah, exactly. They're not fighting, but we're going to have them do something else that's high. Because it's, it's 2022. <laughs> it's 2022. We can't show full on fucking. But the fucking... crazy thing about that, though, is that the time period, like we're in the 70s. Exactly. And in the 70s, it totally would just be an all out fist fight. Right. What do they do oh, instead? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. So do the, we want to spoil it? Like a snowmobile. And and so they, they knock them they, down their snowman. Every time the kids build a snowman, the bullies next door run it over with their snowmobile. I guess yeah, we're spoiling and, and so it. They need to we're spoiling it. We're spoiling it. I'm not. I'm not going to say what happens. You can. I don't care. We're spoiling it. Okay. Okay. So what happens is they they build a snowman around like a big cement block, so that when they go to to <laughs> take out the coyote logic it, exactly. But what's funny is that it's like that's super illegal. <laughs> like uh, uh, living in rural Iowa, it's like when it's winter time. There's going to be fucking snowmobiles flying through your front yard and shit. And if you do something like that, like you bury a steel pole, like like in your in your in your front lawn or something like that, so it only sticks up about a foot. And so then a the snowmobile injury, comes flying by and hits it. You're, like, you're liable. You're going to get in a lot of trouble. So well, it's funny also, that. Whoa, well, guys! That come on, we're talking over each other. Come on, hold on. Sorry. One at a time. One at a time. It's. Yeah, it's funny <laughs> that they put this as a plot point where it's like, wow, they're putting this idea in somebody said this is a super like you would be under so much liability to do something like that. They should have just leaned into it and just had a fight. I mean, for God's sakes, Ralphie fought the bully in the first one. It's 2022. We can't have we can't show kids fighting each other, Joe. But the, it's not I, how we resolve our problems in 2022, even though the movie set in 1973, Joe. But I'm saying, like, the injuries that you would sustain from being thrown from a sl- snowmobile, like, crashing into, like, a cement block, though, are probably going to be worse. I know. It's fucking stupid. Fight. It's like, fucking it is, dumb. It's dumb. <laughs> it's dumb. <laughs> June, what did you think about uh, Christmas Story Christmas? I mean, I agree with both of you on, on all points. Um, I mean, this is just a taste it. The best parts of the movie, it's when, um, you know, like, as adults, because uh, I think, um, is it Flick? Like, Flick owns the bar now, right? So, like, to see, like, the, you know, the, the childhood friends, now adults, like, having a beer. And I thought that was well done. And I and I thought it was very natural. Like, you know, these, you know, like, I felt like they, they, the chemistry was the same as what, you know, that they had in the original. And it's been 30 years. And so those were the best parts. But then just overall, though, it's... This is not a. This movie is unnecessary. For one thing, um, I mean, this was not needed. But it is. I'd say you know, with the holidays coming up, you know, visiting relatives, you're gonna have a lot of little kids around. This is a fun one to pop up, you know, just to enjoy yeah. the holidays. So yeah, it's not gonna. It's not. It's not like it's gonna take over every year, and it's not like TBS is gonna be showing this for 24 hours. No. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's talk about Fleischman is in trouble on Hulu. Uh, it's based on the New York Times bestseller. It's uh, the story of a recently divorced 41-year-old Toby Fleischman, played by Jesse Eisenberg, who dives into the brave new world of app-based dating with the kind of success he never had dating in his youth. But just at the start of his first summer of sexual freedom, his ex-wife disappears, leaving him with the kids and no hint of where she is or whether she plans to return. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg stars in this one. Lizzie Kaplan plays his friend Libby. Uh, Claire Danes plays his ex-wife, Rachel. Um, And uh, oh, yeah, Adam Brody. I love Adam Brody. Adam Brody's in this. He plays his buddy, Seth. 
in this. Um, Jake, what did you think about the two episodes are out? I know you saw the first one. What did you think? I liked it quite a lot. I'm going to give it a high taste. It. I'm definitely going to check out the second episode. I thought its sensibilities of comedy were were, were very funny. Um, a lot of times when a TV show or movie is showing a phone and showing the audience what's happening on the phone, I find that to be highly annoying. And I thought this did that in inventive ways that were quite charming that I hadn't seen on TV yet before. Like when he's getting like a text from a girl and then it's interrupted by a call from his ex-wife and stuff like that, I thought was played really well by seeing the actual phone screen and, and made it even funnier than it was. Um, I thought the cast was really good. I really enjoyed the uh, narration technique as well. I thought the the narrator was kind of the unsung hero of this first episode and made it just way more funny than it would have been without without that narrator. Um, yeah, I, I think this is a, a really entertaining, hour-long type of comedy drama show. I, I thought it was quite good. Way better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I've watched both episodes, and uh, I don't know, man. I'm fucking hooked on it. Like, I'm going to watch this every week. Uh, I'm at a Tupperware on this one. It's just, uh, yeah, I can't explain it. Um, His fucking, uh, his fucking kid, his daughter drives me fucking crazy, though. Oh, my God, she drives me up a wall. It's just, like, it just makes me happy that I don't have any for myself. Um... But uh, I, I did you guys? I don't know if you guys watched like the trailer for this one. I, I did, did not, not see the trailer. I watched the trailer before. I don't remember. I, I don't remember everything from it. I just get the feeling like something bad has happened to his wife. Yeah, yeah, I can kind of get that too. There, there's something that happens in the second, at the end of the second episode, that made me second guess that. But all throughout the second episode, I was like, did something bad happen to her? Yeah. It's wild, too. It's like his his wife has, like, this really successful career. And he has a successful career as a doctor. Makes a good living. But, I mean, he's not in, like, the stratosphere of his wife. And so he's constantly feeling like he's being knocked down a peg by everyone in, like, that he knows that's in her circle. And it, it... it's crazy to think that a doctor is looked down upon and he, and like what the work he's doing, he's saving lives. He's, he's, and he's really good at what he does, but you know, he gets like no respect from his family or like any of her friends. Of I'm sorry. Go ahead. This too. Sorry. That class of wealth. It's crazy. That, that, that upper echelon of society, like that's a real thing where like a doctor is looked down upon as a profession. Yeah, it's wild. I just, I, I was just like, ah, oh, I was kind of blown away by that. Um, like Jake said, with like the whole, uh, you know, app dating and stuff like that, and the way they use the screens, I thought was uh, was pretty funny. Um, I loved, <laughs> I loved him and his get-togethers with his friends. I loved Adam Brody. I just think is like his his buddy Seth and the way that character is we haven't seen enough of him but I love Adam Brody so much that I'm looking forward to seeing more of that character so I enjoyed him um I just feel like something sinister something bad has happened to his ex-wife and we're going to find that out within the next few episodes um she just has basically stuck him with the kids and they're supposed to be raising them you know basically like you know um you know 50% of the time he, she gets them and 50% of the time he gets them. And it, now it's affecting his job. He's, uh, 
it's a you know he's having to find uh, creative ways of finding people watching his kids when he's supposed to be doing other things and she's nowhere to be found um, we also get a bunch of flashbacks of like him and uh, his wife Rachel played by Claire Danes is you know when they're dating and stuff we're seeing the marriage kind of fall apart we're getting all these things kind of like doled to us you know little pieces at a time and um, yeah I'm, I'm hooked I don't know it's 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 a super addictive show after two episodes Joe what'd you think yeah, I agree. This is a super addictive show. When when it was on the list and and I just read the synopsis for it, I was like, ugh, okay, there's two episodes out. Fuck, let's get through them. And just within the first 10, 15 minutes of the first episode, I was like, oh, I was so wrong. This is it was, the way that, that they're giving you this story is perfect. And with the narration, the narration adds so much to it. And it makes sense with the fact that this is based on you know, a, a very successful book because they're kind of presenting it out with the narration behind it, where it kind of feels like a book. You're getting a little bit more out of the story than you normally would if it was presented in a in a, a different way. And the way it's like, kind of giving you like a linear a linear story, but also p- providing enough flashbacks to kind of flesh out this relationship that he had with his wife. It's really really fantastic. And and I loved how he pointed out that. You know, I'm a doctor anywhere else in the world except for in this few narrow blocks of New York City that you insist that we live in. I am highly successful. I think he says at one point that like he makes like 300K a year. And it's like, where else in the world is is that bad? <laughs> like in in the way that his daughter acts, like his daughter is already like this incredibly spoiled, just inta- entitled, just absolute brat. And so I'm really hoping that as this goes along, they, his kids and especially his daughter start to gain more of like an understanding and appreciation of just how good of a person their dad is, because he is this really, really wonderful, loving character. And it's hilarious that he's in this point in his life where he's divorced and, you know, he, he never, he wasn't popular with women when he was in high school or college. And now all of a sudden, like as a divorced, like middle-aged dude, he's, highly in demand and and the way that it tackles that with with all the text messages and just different random <laughs> nudie pics just like going across the screen because there's constantly all these different girls from the apps that are just sending him filthy pictures and stuff and the way that he's like tackling the dating with also juggling being a single dad um it, it's a it's a really fantastic story i i generally don't like jesse eisenberg and too much stuff i think he's pretty wooden in a lot of stuff he does but i really like him in this role and i'm really happy they dropped two episodes right off the bat this is one that i'm going to be watching week to week because i have to know what's going to happen and just because of of the way the second episode ended i i didn't really think that there's much that there's anything nefarious going on with the wife i i thought she's mostly just being incredibly selfish and but that could be i could be proved wrong with that because there are some other things that happen in that second episode where it does dangle this in front of you that that maybe something bad has happened um but regardless i'm going to be sticking with this one and watching it week to week because i I have to know what's going to happen yeah yeah june what'd you think oh sorry joe i don't think i rated this this was a tupperware for me i absolutely loved it yeah june what'd you think so i really do love this show um i does like get you from the get-go um i think it's 
done really well. I'm at a high taste it because um, I just I want to see how the rest of the season pans out. Um, I do have high expectations, though. Like, I'm very excited. Like, I will be. This is going to be one where I'm going to tune in. Um, when does this actually when when will the episodes drop every when, Wednesday? The first episode dropped. The first two dropped on the seventeenth. Thursday, so, okay. Thursdays, yeah. So, yeah. So on Thursdays, yeah. Like I'll be tuning in for the next few Thursdays to keep up with the show. Um, I just I didn't real. I knew this was Jesse Eisenberg was in this, and I knew Claire Danes was in it, but I didn't know like there are a lot of big names in this though. Like Lizzie Kaplan, I love. Um, I mean Josh Radner. Um, is in this as well. Yeah, he does show up. He just plays the Lizzie Kaplan's boyfriend. Yeah, her husband. Oh, husband. Okay. Yeah, her husband. So, um, and I don't know why, but you're Adam Brody. Like this is perfect casting. It is. I don't know why, but something just I I'm like he like I because I didn't know he was in this, and so when you see like the first time they get together, and I was like, oh shit, it's Adam Brody. Yeah. I was like. Oh my god! Like no one else could play this part. Uh, you're so right. He's he is so good at that kind of. I don't. How do you even explain it? Like just. Uh, oh god! Just like that. He's like the perpetual bachelor. Like yeah, perpetual it, bachelor. Thank guy. you. He's like you know like yeah yeah. He's like uh, not as intense as like a Barney Stinson, but you know he's kind of like out of that mold, right? Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I am very excited to see, you know, where all of this goes. Um, I do, I do wonder, I mean, right now, you know, Claire Danes, like she's, she is being portrayed as like a villain. And, um, I'm hoping like the way that it seems like the way the show wants to explore like relationships that, you know, it's not going to be strictly like she is just strictly the bad person in their dynamic. Right. Um, I, like I, I was thinking like in the, after the first episode, um, that the second, I was thinking like the second episode, we get to see things from her point of view, like a gone girl thing. Right. Yeah. Like, but that's so not I'm the way wondering. it happened. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I was expecting that too, Brian. You're yeah. right. I was kind of like thinking that this could be headed in a gone girl type of situation. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I. It's it's like it reminds me. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to think of like what else I've seen that this reminds me of. It reminds me of the part. Th- there's parts where he's talking about how he. There's certain like now that the now that the divorce is going through, he's looking back at certain parts of their relationship as like foreshadowing of you know, the, the, the relationship's demise. Like he's picking apart, like all these things that have happened throughout the relationship. And it kind of reminded me of like a, like a darker version of 500 days of summer where he looks back mm-hmm. on the relationship with Zoe Deschanel's character. Joseph Gordon-Levitt looks back at their relationship and he can kind of like see like where she was getting, where she was being very unhappy during the relationship. And he, maybe he's, you know, he had been remembering it a little bit differently, but he goes back and starts to remember all the times where she was upset. So I don't know. Um, I don't know. I'm just I'm really hooked on this fucking show. It's it's yeah. it's it's easily addictive. It's very. I, I I just I couldn't stop watching. So I'm ready for the third episode. I still feel something bad has happened to her. Like the daughter tried to text her and she wouldn't even text back. So 
that was pretty suspect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's called Fleischman is in trouble. I think it's an FX Hulu thing. I don't know if it premieres on FX a day before and then you get it the next day on Hulu or if the FX Hulu relationship is very confusing to me sometimes. It is because Same. I feel like because I feel like aren't there shows on Hulu? It's FX on Hulu, but these are not shows that ever aired on FX. That's true. Devs was one Correct. of those shows. Like, so that makes no sense. Then why are you calling it FX on Hulu? I think it's is just it- because it's like FX is basically the ones that's like the production company that's in charge of making these. And then they're they're licensing it's, them out to who to Hulu. I don't know. It's so weird. It is very, it's very weird. weird that they have that much like faith in that brand. Like apparently someone thinks calling it you know fx like adds this extra level oh it's we should watch this it's an fx you know like what was what's the best fx show of all time like the highest regarded fx show of all time fx has had some great ones fx has had some great fucking shows like nip i'm not ripping on fx no i'm just saying like i'm just saying like the americans the americans and i believe like was nip tuck part of fx which is super popular Nip Tuck. And then all of the, you know, Ryan Murphy stuff, though, like all the, of the uh, Ryan OJ, Murphy. the American yeah. Crime Stories, and then... FX was yeah. kind of like, you know, it started off and it was like, okay, they've got It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and that's it. And then then they started... Archer. Like, they had Archer. Archer. Then Nip Tuck was like their first big kind of like big deal. So, I used to watch a yeah. lot of FX shows, though. Like, Me too. Um, Dennis Leary had that Fireman show that I watched. Um, yes, 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 yes. But- I uh, what was it called? Rescue Me. Rescue Me, yeah. And then um, I know a lot. I mean, there's a pretty big Sons of Anarchy fan base. I only watched one season of Sons of I only watched the second season of Sons I've of never Anarchy seen a single episode, but I knew it was huge. I only watched the second season because I heard Henry Rollins was had a recurring role as a white supremacist, which is crazy because I love Henry Rollins. Oh, me like, too. I, I adore. <laughs> Adore him, and so you know, I was like, Henry Rollins is playing a white supremacist in this biker show. I'm like, okay, I gotta see what this. Is. My dream <laughs> is great. to if fucking Henry Rollins does one of his spoken word tours anywhere near me, I am so fucking there. Have you ever yes. seen him? I've N- seen him three times. I've never seen oh, him live. Nice. Ju- I've never seen him live. June. I've like watched he- all of his specials. I've read his book, but I've never seen him live. Oh god, he's so good. Like I've, I've seen him three times. Like. Because one of my good friends, like he and I, um, I think we were watching one of his uh, specials, like it, they, they get aired on MTV and we thought it was really funny. And um, I don't know, he like, this is like what made our like how we became friends, though. And so he and I like he was like, oh, Henry Rollins is on tour like every year when I was in college, like he would be somewhere nearby. And so we would just run over and see oh, him. He's awesome. fantastic live. Another yeah. another name on the bucket list for me is Eddie Izzard. Yes. That's a good one. Yeah. Good one. Rollins oh. has done Peoria before. I know. I didn't go. I need to go. I need if he's ever doing this again, I need to do it cuz I fucking I love Henry Rollins. I I grew up on his spoken word stuff. I yes. remember getting a a copy of The Boxed Life on on cassette tape when I was in like 7th grade and just like sitting in my bedroom and like my dad hanging out with me and like listening to like almost the whole thing. And just being like, wow, this is like it's kind of like stand up comedy, but it's not. It's not stand up. It's it's spoken word. It's mm-hmm. just yeah. him talking and telling stories. And, and he's he's led such an interesting life. 
and and because so much of his life was rooted in the counterculture, he's got a very interesting take on things. And I don't know if you've ever read his book Get in the Van, but I highly recommend it. Yeah. It's basically all of his journals from when he was in Black Flag. And man, it's it really paints a picture of, of how depressing life on the road can be and how exhausting it can be in a big Is that the one where he talks about the relationship that really fucked him up? I, I, he definitely talks about some relationship stuff in that. Yeah. Um, gosh, I've got a thumb drive here that's got probably about two gig worth of his spoken word stuff on it. It's it's. But you're right. It is it is an odd thing that he does though, because it is kind of stand up though. Because like I know in the time that I like you know it's his assistant. I forgot her name, but like he jokes how she like actually hates him. And so have you heard him like talk about his assistant who like screams at him all the time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so like that's like a recurring bit though that he talks about when he talks about his assistant and like he basically is like she hates me and so when he imitates her it's her just screaming just utter hatred at him but she's been working for him for so long yeah i, I think my favorite uh rollins spoken word is it's called eric the pilot and it's just this long story about how he had to get to this gig in tulsa oklahoma and his flight got canceled and so his management team instead booked him like a private flight and so he decides to take it against against all everything in his brain saying do not get on a private flight these are fucking you know like a single engine plane and then turns out that the guy flying the plane isn't really a registered pilot he's just a super oh, fan I have heard that one yeah. <laughs> oh scary did you guys know did you guys know that henry did you guys know that henry rollins was on an episode of unsolved mysteries Oh no way! No. Yeah, there was a there was a case because uh, I would watch uh, Unsolved Mysteries on the Pluto Channel, and I just happened to have it on like I'd say about a year ago, and they had a case, and Henry Rollins was in the episode. He was like involved in like this Unsolved Mysteries case um is that when his friend was murdered in front of him yeah uh his friend joe cole yep joe cole and like he he had to like run out of the house and shit like he was like he was worried about like him making out making it out alive yeah so i don't know if you can find that episode anywhere but it's pretty fucking wild man no i i remember the spoken word where he talked about it and like he was kind of in tears yeah talking about because he was his best friend in the world and and the cops basically treated it like, like, uh, oh yeah, your, your your boyfriend, yeah, he's dead, and he's just like what, and like it, it's 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 awful, what mm-hmm. kind of what what he went through with that, and really terrible what happened to his friend, and yeah, I don't think it was ever solved. Yeah. Oh, uh, real quick before we forget, we went and saw Jake, uh, Joe, and myself saw Bill Burr in Peoria. Um, oh, slight return was the comedy comedy tour uh, that he's on right now, and I give it a Tupperware. I had a great time, guys. Oh yes, dude, it was absolutely a Tupperware. Um, it, as soon as he gets around to recording this and releasing it on Netflix, you all are in for a, a very very good treat because it was a fantastic set. He just continues to evolve and and improve, which is amazing because, in my opinion, there's not a bad Bill Burr special. He's he's one of those yeah, comedians where I'll get I'll get into like a 
a thing where I'll be like, you know what? I'm going to listen to every single one of Bill Burr's specials in order today. <laughs> and I'll just play like all six of them. I think there's like six of them now. Nice. Hmm. Yeah, I Tupperware it as well. I mean, I, I agree that when people get to see it on Netflix, they're going to love it. But I mean, one thing they won't get that I really enjoyed was all the uh, hometown commentary that Bill Burr was giving us. <laughs> yes. And uh, I really, really appreciated all that stuff. But yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was great to hang out with both you guys live and in person. And man, what, what an event to do that at. Yeah. Yeah, that was great, man. I was, when I saw that he was coming into town, I was like, oh, my God. I I reached out to both of you. and I Because, I, Joe, I know you're a huge fan. And so oh, I was yeah. Like, yeah. No, that was quite the experience. I was, It was such a thrill to drive to Peoria and hang out with you guys, and let alone to see Bill Burr. I mean, it was just perfect. Oh, I laughed so fucking hard. I laughed so fucking hard, I think my face hurt. <laughs> it was great. It was great. Let's talk about the last thing on Good Pop, Bad Pop is, uh, the, is uh, Tulsa King. Uh, the series stars Sylvester Stallone marking his first leading role in a scripted television series. Stallone plays a mafia capo who just got out of prison and is sent to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where he tries to set up a criminal, orga- criminal organization. Uh, he, he completed a uh, 25-year prison sentence. And he sent to Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is a Taylor Sheridan show. I I love Taylor Sheridan. Typical. I hated this fucking show. This is. I fucking hated it. I thought. I think the I think the story's stupid. Um. God damn! I don't have a lot of positive things to say about this. I love Stallone, but I fucking hate him in this role. I fucking hated this show. This is an absolute toss it for me. I will not be watching the second episode. I, they leave you with like a, a cliffhanger at the end and I could fucking care less. I think this is the worst Taylor Sheridan fucking thing I've ever seen. Um, and I'm a big fan of Taylor Sheridan. This, I'm sorry. I just, I could, I, I had a hard time getting through this because I hated his, the main character so much. Like, just leave the you know leave these fucking people alone in Tulsa just leave them alone why are you going into this weed dispensary and bossing you know fucking being a dick to Martin Starr why I just hated this (laughs) I hated it this fuck this show Tulsa King sucks Joe what'd you think about Tulsa King yeah it, it wasn't awesome it had lots of moments in it where it just makes you suspend your disbelief and and be like, okay, I don't think he'd be walking out of this room after doing what he just did in front of these like mob boss guys. And then also the stuff going on in, in Tulsa, it all you just had to really suspend your disbelief. And it's it's a TV show, you know, whatever. And I agree, he's not the most likable character. And he played the the role very wooden, which is you know, I mean, I mean, I'm used to Sylvester Stallone being a little bit more expressive than he was in this role. I it wasn't a total toss it for me, but it was definitely a low taste. It I don't see myself going back to it. And I was browsing through Reddit earlier, and I actually came across a, a Variety article where they interviewed Stallone, and because this is the first TV series he's ever done, and um, he was quoted as saying, it's beyond tough. I can't believe some people have done this for four or five or six seasons. It's brutal compared to filmmaking. I'll never say this is a hard shoot again on a feature. It's a vacation compared to this. It really is. 
And when they asked him if there was going to be a second season, he made it sound like, no, I, I didn't like doing this. And maybe if they can shoot the next season in Palm Springs or if my wife and kids can be around more, I'll do it. But it sounds like Stallone went into this thinking, oh, it's a TV show. I'm a movie star. This is going to be simple. And then he was kind of shocked by how much work it really was. Which really, I, I thought that those comments were, were, were better than anything that was in the show. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. yeah. June, what did you think about Tulsa King? I mean, I think I liked it a little bit better than you guys. Um, I think it has potential. Um, I think I, it, I thought, I mean, there were parts that I thought were actually kind of funny. And I wasn't expecting any humor in this show. Um, and I do. I love Martin Starr so much. Like, actually, he's kind of like why I would probably watch the second episode. Because I just I like any I like him in anything that he's in. Like, I'm such a huge fan of him. So. um, Yeah, so I mean, but I, I guess I'm, I'm at like a, a taste it like. Probably lowish taste it. That's called a low taste it. A lowish taste it. A lowish taste it, which <laughs> not quite a low taste it. A little bit higher than a low taste it. Lowish taste it. <laughs> Joe, on your with your palate, what would you call that rating? <laughs> Come on, Coke King. <laughs> Jake, what'd you think about Tulsa King? Yeah, I didn't like it very much. I, I, I was going to give it a low taste, it, but you guys have almost talked me into a toss it. Um, in my notes, I had that I thought Stallone's character was just all over the fucking place. And I I had no idea how I was how I was supposed to feel about this character or how the writers intended me to feel about this character. Like you brought up, Brian, on one hand, he's harassing these poor like dispensary workers just for no reason i mean there's a reason that he's doing it but then on the other hand there's this weird chemistry between him and this driver that he just meets where he's like hey look at me i'm not a racist i'm a real likable guy it's like it just it wasn't complex It, it felt confusing like what direction they were trying to go with this character yeah like is he a scumbag or is he a class guy did he get screwed over or did he deserve what he got and i felt like the writers still haven't like actually decided he's answers he's beating the shit out of that guy at the dispensary and it's like the guy's just doing his fucking job you're coming in there fucking strolling in there trying to fucking you know you know, puff up your chest and take their money and shit. This guy's just, these people are just doing their job. Let them do their fucking job. Leave them the fuck alone. Jesus yeah, it Christ. Was very odd. It was very odd. And the only other thing I had in my notes is uh, Stallone very briefly at the beginning of the episode mentions that he wrote bad poetry as this character. And I would be interested in reading that poetry more than watching the second episode of this show. Yeah, I'm done with this show. It's Taylor Sheridan. And so yeah, when I see that name, there's like a certain level of uh, writing and uh, acting that I expect in, in anything from this guy. And this is fucking terrible, in my opinion. Sad. Yeah, not, not great. Not yeah. great. Yeah. All right. Let's jump into the pop culture leftovers news. Yeah, 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 yeah. Read all about it. It's a little of a news and there's no doubt about it. This news is gangster as fuck, yo. It's gangster as fuck, yo. All right. Uh, fast, fast. Well, what are you giggling about over there, June? I always, I always giggle at that. Bumper. Yeah, the, 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 the news <laughs> no is. Way. 
News is gangster as fuck. Why? <laughs> Every time. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll let June catch her breath here. I know, I know. Entrance to loan saying, don't say gangster. Thing, but, yeah. That's a gangster. <laughs> oh, Jesus, Joe. God, oh, Joe. <laughs> Stick to your palate, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Fast find the complex notes in the scotch. <laughs> Fast X's budget has exploded to 70% more than Fast 9's $200 million budget. The rap... What's that, Jake? I'm just... This story cracks me up. I've been following this this week. Yeah. The, uh, a, a report by the rap site's uh, sources close to the film's production suggesting the 10th movie in Universal's car-loving series has a budget exceeding $340 million. That figure is 70% more than the $200 million spent to make the 2021 film F9, The Fast Saga, and the priciest movie the franchise has created. Uh, the ballooning cost for Fast X, including tax incentive offsets, reportedly stems from various elements that have caused spending to burst Beyond expectations, such factors included improved salaries for the face of the franchise, Vin Diesel, and his castmates. Furthermore, production cost increases driven by inflation and pandemic testing requirements ensure the budget for this Fast and Furious sequel would be much bigger than the franchise's previous entries. They're worried about this thing making a a, a profit with this budget. It's going to make a profit. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah. And they'll, they'll be fine. I'm not worried. Yeah. I don't know. I just found that interesting. $340 fucking million for this movie. That's that's an insane budget. Yeah, I can't wait to see, like, the first cut trailer for this movie and what some of, like, the stunts they're pulling off that's really, like, amplifying this budget. Like, man. is that That's not what I read here. Well, no. What I read, the ballooning cost for this is tax incentive offsets, uh, giving Vin Diesel more money, uh, pandemic uh, testing requirements. I didn't read anything about uh, improved uh, special effects and stunts. Well, I mean, regardless, that's still a little bit of the gimmick of the franchise where every movie we have to go to the next level. Like, they go to space in the last one, for fuck's sake. Like, you know, they have to, they have to one-up that. I know it's just it's just like I get what you're saying and I know there's going to be tons of action and like what are they going to do to one up the previous movie but everything from this article doesn't tell me that 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 the the excessive budget is going into you know oh yeah we're we're going all out on the special effects and the uh and, no, and the No stunts. I get it I, the the budget is like this movie has to be made like it's a fucking machine but then everything else going on with the rising cost of all, like getting all these actors back for the tenth fucking movie, you have to pay them more and more every time they do it. So right then and there, you're ballooning cost. Then all the COVID measures. Well, and they're ad- they're adding uh, Brie Larson and Jason Momoa. Yeah, oh, exactly. So who exactly. All, so who, who all is in this cast now? I mean, most everybody's coming back except for like you know The Rock, Gal Gadot, um, uh, Statham's not involved. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, he is, right? Didn't they tease him at the end of the last movie? Is he? Is, I mean, the last movie, I thought they were actually teasing the next Hobbs and Shaw film, is what I thought they were teasing, Jake. Oh, okay. And I don't understand the Ben Diesel rock 
problem. Like, I don't want to. Let's not. Let's not. Let's not. That's a lot to unpack. That's a that's a completely separate. We'll do that on Patreon or something. That's a lot to unpack. (laughs) Explain to June the 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 situation between the Rock and Vin Diesel. I honestly don't understand. Right between yeah between uh, museum education and that (laughs) we could do a completely separate episode. I did not realize it was that crazy. Okay. No, well, no, there's a lot to it. You know, there's a lot to it. I don't think we can just kind of sum it up really quick. It's more than a sentence. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Just, I think it's just, it's egos, right? You know, it it comes down to egos. That's the way I read it. Yeah. Yeah. did it now? Did the did the did the riff happen because of filming one of these movies, like the Fast and Furious movies? Is that what caused it? Like she's trying to suck us into this, Jake. She yeah, wants to do this. I didn't know if it was something before they filmed the movie, or was it because of the movie? Wouldn't it be crazy by the end of this episode? Me and June have like this huge kind of like rock Vin Diesel feud going on. By the end, by the end, of, oh, going on. Okay, it started. <laughs> it started. Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> I wonder at what point in the future they can't continue to make sequels because just the cost of making, you know, Fast and Furious 14 or 15 is is so prohibitive just because their cast has gotten big. They're all demanding lots of money. Um, and, And also, if the egos keep going, I mean, how many different directions can they pull this before they have to just start taking different cast members and making their own spinoffs like they did with Hobbs and Shaw? They're I think this is the final movie. There's two more movies left, and yeah. it's over. Is what they're advertising. I think ah, okay. on, if they wanted to save a bunch of mo- a, b- a bunch of money, I think that they could replace Vin Diesel with uh, a potato, and nobody would know the difference. <laughs> is Hobbs and Shaw the only spinoff? So, so far. Okay. Yeah. News from Dark Horizons. Uh, Mangold squashes Indiana Jones 5 rumor. Uh, one of next year's most anticipated films has to be the James Mangold-directed fifth Indiana Jones feature, which will mark Harrison Ford's final stint in the role. The film also stars Phoebe Waller-Bridge as Indy's goddaughter and an adventurer in her own right, along with Mads Mikkelsen as the villain. Uh, with plot details under wraps, there have been plenty of fan theories popping up as to what the story is about. One gained traction on Twitter claiming that a test screening had been held in which it was revealed the filmmakers replaced Indiana Jones with a woman at the end. The same report claimed test audiences were very unhappy with this. Mangold squashed the rumor quite succinctly, confirming in a Twitter response that there have been that there have not been any screenings of the film and anyone saying show should not be believed. Quote, it's up to you who to believe. An anonymous troll named Basement Dweller and Doomcock, or the actual director <laughs> of the film, no one will ever replace Indiana Jones, not in any script, not in any cut, never discussed. So, for the people out there spreading the rumors that Phoebe Waller-Bridge is going to be uh, donning the moniker as the next Indiana Jones, it's 100% bullshit, and... You know, Ford says that he's taking the role with him when he dies. Um, does Disney agree? Probably not. Do I think that they should fucking recast Indiana Jones after Harrison Ford passes? Absolutely fucking not. What is her her character's relationship to him again? Goddaughter. 
the 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 son, like the Shia LaBeouf, that's not a part of this at all. Fuck no. No. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I mean, the last. Time Are you upset him, by that, June? No, not at all. But I was just like, oh, okay. I thought he had a kid. I guess. Are we just forgetting that didn't happen? That yes. he doesn't have a kid? No, I mean, who knows what they're going to talk about in this movie? I mean, we could get a quick scene of him talking about mutt dying or something. I don't know. Or they just might not address <laughs> it at all. I mean, yeah. you know, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So, we'll, you know, I think that uh, I, I personally, I think it'd be a dumb move to pass it on to anyone, male or female. I don't uh, it. I didn't like the idea of Shia LaBeouf taking on. Like, you know, they kind of teased it at the end of that one with the, the yep. hat the hat <laughs> blowing his direction. And he's trying to put it on his head, and, and Indy takes it away from him, and he says, fuck you, Peanut Butter Falcon, not today. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's I, go ahead, I think Joe. This is one of those instances where they do just need to let the character die with the actor. And, and if they want to reboot it sometime years down the road, Sure, why not? That seems to be something that they do, but I don't see them ever being able to replace Indy with anybody that could do it better than Harrison Ford. So no. why even fuck around and why try? Why try? Like, see, if you're going to do that, wait until I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. You go. Do you think? Do you think they would ever kill Indiana Jones on screen to go ahead and cement that point? They can, I, listen. I mean, I've talked about this before. If you're watching like the old Indiana Jones, the young Indiana Jones show, which is supposed to be canon, Spielberg said it's canon. In those episodes, they have an old Harrison Ford with an eye patch, and he's still fucking alive. So if Harrison Ford dies in this fucking movie, it's bullshit. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Yeah, that would be Hilarious. bullshit. If anything, just make him lose his eye in this to get us closer to that old man indie from that that series. Yeah, I, it's supposed to. It, listen, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be canon. And so, Is that series still going on? No, 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 no. no. It's from the nineties. It's from the nineties. But no, they like Harrison Ford reprised the role as an old Indiana Jones. Oh, okay. And you know, it's it's about a young Indiana Jones, but there's scenes where they have like older Indiana Jones in it, and like Harrison Ford reprised the role and had like an eye patch, and he's still alive, well into his 80s in this series. And so, and it's Spiel, uh, yeah, Lucas and Spielberg, I believe one of them has said that this. I think it's Spielberg said that it's canon. And so until they say that it's not canon, I don't think that they should touch that. I mean, you're just you're asking for fans to just come out of the woodwork and start talking shit about this new movie if they kill off Indy by the end of it. So just I don't I just I don't see a need for him to die in this movie just because Mangold killed, you know, Logan <laughs> Wolverine <laughs> doesn't mean that he's got to kill every fucking, you know, character that's aging out and dying so no kidding if he does kill indy on this the next thing that he picks up if it's part of a franchise that actor's got to be given side glances right <laughs> right exactly <Yeah. laughs> uh let's jump into marvel news Marvel.
Marvel news. You know what I don't understand is those fucking commercials for these fucking new prescriptions that are coming out, and they show people on like the tandem bike or they're fucking in a kayak and all this shit. And at the end of it, they say, uh, "Don't use if you're allergic to <laughs> Cosentix," or "Don't use if you're allergic to Tremphia." Like, okay. How the fuck would I know if I'm allergic to this thing? Does that make sense? Only one, only one way to find out. Yeah, it's like, what the fuck? Am I going to play Russian roulette with this fucking prescription drug? <laughs> like, and I always the like side the... effects are contradictory things. Like, side effects include constipation and diarrhea, and it's like, what? How can you have both? Both at once? <laughs> fuck. I always <laughs> like how these sense. commercials never tell you what the drug is actually for, but they recommend that you ask your doctor about it. Yeah, and ask so your doctor. Like, yeah, am I just supposed to go in? Hey, I saw this commercial. Like, what about this? And they're like, yeah, you don't need that. That's, you know, that it's it's, it's weird that they can't tell you. <laughs> and I wonder if it's a legal thing that they can't tell you what it's actually for. It must but they be. Can, but they can still advertise the shit yeah, out of they it. Like, they, they like to tell you if it's for erectile dysfunction, right? Yeah, I mean, certain things they'll tell you, but other things it's just... Or sometimes doctor or sometimes it'll doctor. give you erectile dysfunction. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I just feel like it's so weird for, like, don't use it if you're allergic to Cosentex. Like, like, that's a known fucking thing. Like, don't use it if you're allergic to whatever the fuck. It's like, how the fuck would I know? How would anyone know if they're allergic to this thing? It makes no sense to me. Like, who do I call? You have to ask your doctor about. Yo, hey, am I allergic to this? And then your doctor's like, I don't fucking know. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Ask your doctor if such and such is right for you. Hey, doc, is this right for me? He's like, fuck no, it's not right. You're allergic to that. How do you not know that? Yeah, yeah, Jesus. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you saw the commercial with the couple kayaking, right? Mm, it's weird. Let's talk about what's going on with Chris Hemsworth and Thor. This is uh, what's going on here. Sounds like he's retiring. It's pretty sad. I, I read that he's got one of the genetic markers that he's predisposed to maybe have Alzheimer's. And so he's wanting to spend more time with his wife and his kids. Oh. And that if he's going to come back to the role, it pretty much needs to be Thor's swan song where they kill him off. I don't understand. But see, the thing is, it's like I was looking like if you have because they're saying, yes, they're saying he has um, a genetically uh, predisposed. He's genetically predisposed to Alzheimer's, which affects the rest of your life. Like they're saying that it's. The biggest risk, risk factor, I'm reading this like off the internet, the biggest risk factor for Alzheimer's, it, may, it mainly affects people over 65. Above this age, a person's risk of developing Alzheimer's disease doubles after every five years. One in six people over 80 have dementia. And then studies of family history say that if you have a close relative who has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, the most common form of dementia in older adult, adults, your risk increases by 30%. So is he just at risk or is like or or is this something like it's this like this isn't cement. This is concrete. Like he's going to. I think it's at it's just at risk for now. See, I don't understand. Like, why can't you just like try to live your life regularly? 
I don't understand. I don't. I, I guess he just got scared, and he realized yeah. that like if he rolls the dice bad and he does get it, he'll regret if he missed all this time with his family so he could film five more Thor movies. Okay. I think that's where he's at with it. Yeah, and I think there's also, you know, you hear, I mean, early, you never really know when the dementia, when you will start to experience the dementia. Like, you hear about the early onset dementia. Yeah. And, like, that, that's unknowable, too. Like, yeah, he's young now. Normally, the, the you know, you, it normally doesn't progress until you're, like, into your 60s, but you do hear about people, like, in their late 40s and 50s who sometimes start experiencing dementia earlier, so... You know, it's his decision. You know, yeah. he's got to do what's right for him, and I mean, that's commendable. To I mean, it's a hard decision, and yeah, I remember. I, well, I just remember it's 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 kind of like it's all over the map with him. He he, and I'm not saying he's wishy washy. And this is sad news. I'm saying like there's been times in the past where he's like. You know, I'm going to take a little break from acting. I'm going to spend more time with my family in Australia. So what did they start doing? They started filming all his stuff in Australia so he could be with his family more. Mm-hmm. And then the next moment he's saying, like, oh, man, I can't see myself never playing Thor. I'll continue to play this character as long as I can. I really think some of this comes down to not him looking for an excuse, but him basically looking at his future like this is a real thing that could happen to me and you only get one life and this Hollywood stuff I've been blessed I've made more money than I'll ever fucking need but family's more important and you know what I kind of fucking love that about the guy yeah 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 I agree with that is that maybe this was his kind of come to Jesus moment where he's really looking at the state of things and yeah I mean really hit the nail on the head too that with he's made enough money to where he can go and and live a comfortable life with his family he probably doesn't need to act in anything ever again right and and this might sound like a little bit of a callous take on it too but i wonder if it made the decision any easier with the poor reception that love and thunder got well he kind of had didn't he have like they were like i read some articles like like he kind of like uh it was kind of like a little jab at taika watiti like you know He's, he's like a he. There's a quote I can I can pull it up if you guys really want me to. But he, he said something like, uh, you know, I don't know if he's a genius, a mad genius. But I don't know if I could work. I, do you want me to see that? What I he, in the article they were calling it kind of like a jab at Taika. Oh, that's unfortunate. Well, that's how they read it. I don't know. Yeah. In seeming dig at Taika Waititi, Thor star Chris Hemsworth says he refuses to work with any more mad genius directors. It's not really how I took the quote. This is from an article from BoundingIntoComics.com. And let me read the exact quote. Speaking to Vanity Fair. So this is from a Vanity Fair article. He says... uh, I'm just at the point of my life where I'm meeting with different directors and people say, oh, yeah, look, he's a mad genius. He's mad, but he's a genius and he'll make great films. I'm like, is that who I want to spend my days with? Huh. Four months, five months of shooting, and then you got press and possible reshoots and so on. I don't know. I guess you could take that both ways. Mm. He's like, is that who I want to spend my days with? 
you know, he's wanting to spend his days with his family. Kind of a, like, it's something he didn't really need to say. He's definitely talking about Taika there, right? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, which, I mean, I thought that that was, like, one of, like, the best filming experiences, like, with Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, but listen, I mean, that next, like, and I think Thor Ragnarok was great, and I think it was, like, uh, I think it was, I think it was, I think Thor Ragnarok was brilliant. I just think, like, and I've said it before, I think, like, with Thor Love and Thunder, he tried to do the same trick, and he's a one-trick pony. I think his comedy's great, but I think we were wanting something a little bit darker from Gore the God Butcher. I don't know, something with a little bit... I don't know. I, I, just, I, think, I think the comedy was just a little over the top. It was like, oh, you, you saw what I did in the first movie. I'm going to give you, you know, uh, Thor, like, you know, Thor 4 now with uh, 100% more Taika. You know, it was just like too much Taika with TD influence in this. And I feel like I would like to... Where does Hemsworth want to take the character? If he comes back and plays Thor again, which I think, like, you know, maybe... I think he'll definitely be coming back for Secret Wars. But, like, what was what's what's his vision for the Thor character going forward? Like, fuck what Taika has to, you know, think about the character. Like, right now, I want to know what... I want to. I want to know where Hemsworth wants to take the character. Just like I mean, just like what, well, what, what what Cavill's wanting DC to do to give him more creative control over his Superman, right? What would what would Hemsworth do with Thor? Go ahead, Jake. Well, I mean, currently he wants to figure out a way to write him out of the story. It sounds like. Oh, Are I know. We talking about a hypothetical world where Thor is not retiring. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. He's 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 trying to get out of this. I, I get those quotes, but part of me is wondering, like, what would Chris Hemsworth want to do with his character? What would Chris Hemsworth wanted to do with, like with his character in this last movie? Is that really like what he wanted from this last movie with his character? I don't know. I'm just probably not. Like I think if he had the foresight to know that that potentially could be his last Thor movie, I, I can't imagine that that's how he'd want to end it. Can you, you know? listen to this? Listen to this. For as much as I love Ragnarok, can you imagine if fucking Thor: Love and Thunder was directed by the Russo brothers? It would have been way better. Way better. For sure, the Gore the God Butcher storyline would have been much more in the tone of the comic book. And arguably, it's it's the best storyline of Thor that there is. And Kind of a waste. God damn. What we, what we could have had. Kind of a waste. Uh, um, one of the things that I go back to with this is that after, after the Dark World was pretty universally panned by everybody... Then there was all the stories floating around that Chris Hemsworth didn't want to play Thor anymore. And he was talking to Kevin Feige. How can we do this different? They bring in Taika and Ragnarok is this huge success. And now Chris Hemsworth on top of the world again. He's saying in, in interviews, I just want to keep playing this character forever. And then he has another down, you know, another downer film kind of with, with Love and Thunder to where it didn't get near as much critical in audience praise as Ragnarok did. And so now, you know, take the Alzheimer's and all this off the table. Now he's back to say, no, I don't want to do this character anymore. I want out. And, and so is, you know, and at the risk of, of, of sounding crass, it does this Alzheimer's diagnosis or finding out about not really diagnosis, but finding out that he has the markers. Is this just something that makes that decision easier because he's at a, a low point with the character kind of like similar to after dark world. 
I no, I think you're asking the right questions, yeah. man. Yeah, I do too. And the thing with you know, I remember it seemed like I mean, no, no, it's not it seemed like this is exactly what happened. You bring Taika Waititi in and he opened up a new avenue for this character like Thor suddenly it's funny. You know, like and so and it seemed like that was a lot of fun to play Thor that way. It was a very different way of playing Thor. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It seemed like this is this was the direction. I mean, I don't know. It seemed like everyone was very happy with this, the way that Thor's evolution went. So I, I don't know exactly what would have. I mean, if it really is just the poor reception of this fourth movie. Hmm. It's 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 sad. I. Uh, hmm. We'll see what. Ha- yeah, hopefully, hopefully they can get him to come back at least for uh, Secret Wars. For Secret Wars, he would definitely be missed. I mean, if the whole point of that movie is to have anything and everyone, then that would be a glaring omission. If one of the, you know, so maybe the, the three biggest stars of the MCU wasn't in there. So, is that what? Like, is that going to be, like, the next ensemble, like, the next Avengers-level movie, the Secret Wars movie? Avengers, well, the, the Kang Dynasty. It's the of Kang and Secret Wars. Yeah, it's the Kang Dynasty and then Secret Wars. But Are it's, we done with, like, Avengers movies, then? Like, they're called Avengers. They're called Avengers, yes. Okay. So there's got to be some sort of an Avengers team involved in this. So. Um, let's get into some Marvel rumors. Uh... Yeah, uh, I I can't remember where I saw this. I apologize. Uh, The character description for Thunderbolt Ross, Red Hulk, in Captain America New World Order. Uh, This is the description that I saw that's been uh, thrown out there on the Internet. The former Lieutenant General of the United States, Army and Secretary of State, now President of the United States, using radiation siphoned, transformed Ross into the Red Hulk. So everything that we kind of talked about... Uh, in our uh, last bonus episode with the rumors and everything, and I talked about how I thought that uh, Ross could be president by the time, because they keep mentioning the president, you know, in, uh, they they mentioned the president, you had Val mention the president in uh, Wakanda Forever. We don't know who the president is now in the MCU after the blip. And, uh, yeah, it looks like we're going to be finding out that it is uh, General Ross, played by Harrison Ford. And he's going to be turning into the Red Hulk. That's the rumor. That's Dude, awesome. That, I know, and that'll be wild. Like, how, how is that going to be handled if, like, a sitting president of the United States can Hulk out? <laughs> I assume that'll be a secret, that the, the general public won't know that that's a thing. At least at first. That's my thought as well, because just looking at how, I mean, and granted, these are examples from the She-Hulk series, but just how freaked out people got about the abomination being able to change at will, and then also how freaked out people got when when Jen changed in front of everybody and kind of, all of a sudden she went from being this lovable hero to, or this lovable celebrity to, oh my God, this is a fucking Hulk and she's upset. Like, I just can't imagine how that would go with like a president. Like it would have to be just an absolute shitstorm. So I think you're right. I think it's something that'll have to be hidden. Oh yeah, yeah. Which uh, which is wild since the government wanted to uh, know who all the superheroes were, all their identities, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
um, if, if that or I was going to say if that desire anymore. oh one at a time everybody Sorry. we're getting a little crazy like a fucking circus <laughs> I was going to say in the past this level of control or this desire from control has always come from Thunderbolt Ross yeah and so to actually have him be the one that can change you know if he's the one that's calling the shots then it might be pretty easy for, for him to get away with being a Hulk and also keep it secret at the same time yeah uh, Scooper on Twitter, can we get toast? Was it can we get some toast? Yeah, is tweet is teasing. Adamantium is going to be showing up in Captain America four. So uh, yeah, they're and 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 underneath that post was uh, a gif of uh, Wolverine's claws popping out. So they're not saying they're not saying that uh, we're getting Wolverine. They're just saying the metal adamantium is going to be teased in Captain America four. Wonder what that that's all sense. about. That we would get adamantium for Wolverine. I mean, that's a fun tease. It would, it would give a little bit more substance to what Wolverine has going on with his claws, which was never really given too much in any of the previous X-Men movies. We've already gotten a Wolverine tease in the MCU, if we're to believe what we saw from She-Hulk when she's looking in her laptop, and then on the laptop there's an article about a man with claws getting in a fight in a bar, which very much sounds like Wolverine. So this is just taking it to another level and bringing adamantium into the MCU. And which so, is stronger? Adamantium or vibranium? I always thought that uh, that I always thought that there were Captain America's shield was wasn't it a blend of adamantium and vibranium? Correct. And it was the strongest that had ever been made. They lost. Didn't they lose the recipe for that, Jake? Yes, because he his shield ends up breaking and he's not able to uh, reproduce it. Right, and so everything post cap shield has been of lesser strength um as far as a metal so that's what i that's what i always i would i always as a kid i thought adamantium was the strongest uh it seemed rare at least in the in the in the comic book universe at the time yeah i always thought that was there a what if issue where where the the shield cut Wolverine's claws? I don't remember that. Or is that just playground talk? I don't remember. But even in that case, we're not talking about pure vibranium. We're talking about the alloy combination. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. 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 That's um. It'd be weird to bring adamantium back when so much of the story is revolving around the government's want for vibranium. Like, I wouldn't want to uh, take away from that storyline. So it'll be interesting how they do that. Yeah. Uh, Daniel RPK is saying that Daredevil Born Again will likely be rated TVMA. That's interesting. Oh, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. yeah. So we'll have to, we'll have to wait and other, see. I want that, that – I want this uh, fourth stairwell scene or – you know, prison scene or whatever. The <laughs> hallway scene. The hallway scene. <laughs> I need another. I mean, what are they going to do now? What the first? Yeah, the first. What was it? Season one was the hallway scene. Season two was the stairwell. Season three was the prison. So I'm like, 
What are you going to do this season? Well, I mean, Feige is saying that do not consider this Daredevil Born Again to be season four of Daredevil. That's what he's saying. So I That's think so confusing. It though. is. How it is not. And it seems like some actors have been invited back and some haven't. I keep hearing that. Uh, what's his name that played Foggy? That that actor is coming back. But I'm in a recent interview. Mighty Ducks. I yeah. His name. What's his name? He's from Mighty Ducks. I forget his name. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in a recent interview that Deborah Ann Wall had. She said she's not been invited back. So it's confusing. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where I think that they're going to pick and choose <laughs> the, the continuity of this character going forward. I don't know. It is weird. It is weird. Um, it, it's like they're trying to have their cake and eat it, too. By saying, hey, these are the same characters from the Netflix show you right. loved. But don't consider this a, a, a sequel to that. <laughs> it's like it, it does put them in this weird territory where they're trying to have it both ways. Where, yeah, because I mean, they do that kind of shit. Like, and, oh, sorry. I was going to say, like, I mean, unless, you know, they're not anything impossible to do. You're not going to, like, reboot the entire fucking story with the same actors. Like. I just don't see how you go back to an origin story, like starting from the beginning. No, it's not. I mean, we saw no, the character. No, no. The character's established in the She-Hulk series. Yeah. Well, oh, in the She-Hulk series. I know we saw him in Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. So it's we're not getting, you know, like just with, uh, so I don't think we're getting, we're not going to get an origin story again. I think we're just like, we're dealing with an established daredevil. I guess the question is, is there anything in this new season of Daredevil that will be a 100% tie-in to the three previous seasons? Will there be anything that kind of, like, cements, like, yes, this is coming straight out of that Netflix series. Like, this is the same Matt. Not just the actor playing the character. This is the same. Because we don't really have anything definitive at this point. Yeah, we haven't really seen what his current relationship with uh, Kingpin is. Right. So that'll probably be the most defining factor that'll answer that question. Mm-hmm. With how season three, with how season three ended, where Kingpin, because I forgot where Kingpin ended up at the end of season three. I think it's. I think it's just interesting though that you know Kevin Feige has come out and said that don't consider this season four. So I think that's kind of like our best gauge at this point. It's just weird. Uh-huh, it is weird. Uh, Great Phase on Twitter says, uh, talking about, uh, like, after... Oh, basically talking about, like, what series can we expect after uh, what we know is coming out. So Great Phase says, like, after Agatha, Daredevil, and Wonder Man, the only stuff that seems to be really moving is Midnight Angels and Vision Quest. I may throw Nomad in as well, but nothing else is rumored. Uh, but nothing else from the rumored stuff seems to have moved much. So, looks like... Uh, it's Midnight Angels. You saw Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Yeah. Tell me what Midnight oh! Angels is. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. There you go. Um, so, yeah, Midnight Angels, Vision Quest, the Vision series, and then uh, a Nomad series is possibly being uh, tossed around. Um, I wonder who would be playing Nomad. I don't know. 
because that yeah, was kind I of the character. What, yeah, you, sorry, Joe. Well, wasn't that kind of the character that Cap was playing at the beginning of Infinity War? They, they a version of a that. version, yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. think they came out and name dropped him as such, but that was just my understanding of right. it. Who's Nomad? Sorry, uh, I don't was, know. Wasn't it in the comics? Wasn't it fucking Submariner? Wasn't Namor Nomad? <sighs> Fuck. I mean, I still have some Nomad comics. I thought he like I thought Namor got fucking amnesia and forgot who he was. That sounds right. I'm trying yeah, to there's, there's been too. several characters that have appeared in comics under that name. That's yeah. definitely one of them, though. I don't think I'm crazy. I don't think you are either. Jack Monroe. Jack Monroe is like fucking Namor, though, I thought. Bucky was name it Nomad for a while, too. That happened for sure, but that wasn't the original. There's, they've got three listed. No, they've got four listed here. Uh, Edward Ferbel, Jack Monroe, Ricky Barnes, Ian Rogers. I'm pretty sure the Jack Monroe one is Namor. Hmm. My guess is they would make an original character to be Nomad. Or uh, could it be... After the events of the Thunderbolt series, we see what happens to uh, Walker, and he becomes Nomad. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, it could very well be Bucky as well, right? Yeah, that's true. It could be a Bucky series. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Uh, At Film Odyssey, uh, MCU. At Film Odyssey, MCU. This is something that I said that they should do in a previous episode for Deadpool 3. And this is what they're saying. Yes, they're planning on having Channing Tatum in Deadpool 3. (laughs) Yes. I have said that, you know, the whole Channing Tatum gambit, you know, I I pegged him as Chambit. Chambit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is it going to happen? Is it finally going to happen? It sounds like, you know, it's, what's crazy is like, you know, you see uh, all these uh, cameos and like, you know, you get the uh, the different cameos in in these movies. Like, you know, Channing Tatum had the cameo in the, the Bullet Train movie. And then, you know, with, with a... Uh, I guess is it, has it been out long enough to spoil? Nah, I won't say it. But no. you just see you see characters like you know I, you, you see like these actors, this group of like Brad Pitt, Channing Tatum, Ryan Reynolds having fun with each other in their movies, and um, I can see this happening. I would love to see the Channing Tatum version of Gambit fully realized in Deadpool three. I think it'd be fun. Yeah, I think he would do it in a heartbeat, too. Oh, yeah. What was that, Joe? Well, it's just such an amazing place to put him because the the way that we understand that this could be shaking down is that the TVA is going to be involved, so that means alternate timelines, variants. So, I mean, they can really pull out the stops with doing all sorts of fun shit with this. And so it just makes sense that this would be a logical place to put, like, Chambit. Well, I think at Chambit, if Chambit shows up, in 
and like they're in and, and this movie it's the TVA and they're bouncing through the uni- the the multiverse and they're going through like the different uh Fox universe and revisiting those Fox franchises. It'd be funny if Chambit shows up and Deadpool breaks the fourth wall and he's like Dude, your movie didn't even fucking get made. You're not supposed to be here. And we just see him walk away, you know, yeah. just walk away all sad and shit. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Thing, sad though, old is, music. <laughs> when fan casting does become a reality, though, I think this past summer, I mean, that did happen in a Marvel movie. And it, I don't think it it seemed very mixed on whether or not that fan casting realized met expectations. This is a joke. Well, yeah, I'm but, not saying like we're, I'm not yeah. saying like we're getting like like Channing Tatum is going to be our gambit going forward. This is just a fucking Deadpool three oh, joke. Okay, it's okay. just a fucking just Deadpool three joke. Okay, you know that's all it is. To introduce like I thought you meant like to introduce him. Fuck after no, and then- they're just like, dude, your fucking movie didn't even get made. You're the wrong motherfucker. Get out of here. You know, like it, I don't think that it's. No, they, they, if they're just using him, it's just for a gag. It's not for. Okay. Here he is. Here's your future gambit. I, don't, I mean, it's not like they've done stuff like that before. <laughs> no. Yeah, but I'm just saying it's a Deadpool three movie. Yeah, that's true. And it's the multiverse. I think this is just a gag. That's true. I think it would just be a gag as well. Like I don't think that he would have like a lot of runtime. Or a lot of screen time in it. I, I think it would just be used to something really small as a nod and wink at a kind of a if you know, you know type deal. We, yeah, exactly. And we, you know, and for other people, it'd just be like, oh, Channing Tatum showing up in this movie. Ha ha ha. Yeah. It's, but, you know, like, I don't even know if, if Feige has plans for Gambit at all with his X Men going forward. You know, it'll be interesting to see, like, what X Men he has plans for. Is he going to go with, like, you know, uh, giant size X Men, and just go with like the Nightcrawler, Colossus, Storm, or is he going to go classic? You know, um, it'll be and interesting. The, the Oliphant who played Gambit in the Wolverine movie—is that so, who played him? Uh, Taylor Kitsch. Oh, yes. Taylor Kitsch. Yeah, from Friday Night Lights. Oh, okay, for some reason, I don't know why I thought Timothy Oliphant. Hmm. No, nah, it was Taylor Kitsch, which I was hoping would be another breakout role for the guy. Uh, no, I was hoping, yeah, another, because like, I loved him as uh, Riggins on uh, Friday Night Lights, and I was just, I mean, the guy can't fucking catch a break. Um, let's see here. Oh, Taylor uh, Kitsch was also in the Terminal List on Prime Video, and he was fucking great in that. Yeah, I didn't get too far into that series. I know you loved it, Joe, the farther you went. Um, I think the last thing I saw, man, was he in that uh David Koresh, like oh yeah, he was in. Wa- it was called Waco. Yeah, that that's the last thing I think I've seen him in. Oh, he's been great in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was really good in that. Yeah. Uh, Grace Randolph is saying, uh, "I'm hearing they want Daphne Keene back as X23." Oh yes, please. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Be a waste to not use her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, oh, uh, if you didn't listen to our Quantum Mania spoilers episode, it's fine. I'm not going to spoil anything here. All I'm going to say is that Casey Walsh is saying that they changed the ending for MODOK. So it's, this is just a heads up. Everything that we talked about in our spoiler episode about what happens with that character could change by the time you see the movie, Jake. Huh. 
I wonder what led to that decision. <laughs> uh, I could tell you maybe off air. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll pause. Hold on. Uh, and then let's see here. Oh yeah, Winston Duke, who plays Mbaku in Black Panther, discussed the status of his character at the end of Wakanda Forever. And it's just what we thought during our episode. So, spoilers for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, if you haven't seen it. He did an interview with Esquire. He said, quote, It's kind of cool, though, being revealed as the king of Wakanda at the end of the movie. That's huge. So, whatever that entails, it's going to be a fun one. So, yeah. Shuri not showing up. Him showing up to the ritual being the only one and sounds like nobody challenged him he's going to be the king of wakanda which doesn't mean he's going to be the black panther it only means he's going to be the act he's going to be the king of wakanda and the acting black panther is going to be shuri so some people thought that he when he showed up that it was just you know a joke like ha 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 no it's i think that's he went, I mean, he, that's what I took it as. I mean, yeah, same. I yeah, thought, same. I, I thought it was as simple as that. No, no, it's not, seriously like this has been a big discussion. Not only wow. on this has been a big discussion. Not wow. yes on on Reddit. Uh, people, uh, I've listened to other podcasts that have reviewed the movie. They were confused by the ending. Um, so. Yeah, I, I, I kind of took it as like he's going to be the king of Wakanda. But other people were taking it as, oh, it, it was just a kind of like a joke at the end. And it's not. He's going to, it sounds like he's going to be the king of Wakanda going forward. And sure, he's going to be acting as the Black Panther. She doesn't want to be, she doesn't want to get into involved in that kind of shit. Um, she doesn't want to be the politics. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, which, I, you know, I'm fine with, you know. So I think it'll be, I, I think, think Maku has shown he's a good ruler. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. he's done really well with his tribe. So he's clearly. He's got the management skills. I agree. I agree. I think I think it'll be an interesting dynamic too. And I liked. I did. I really liked that about this last Black Panther movie. That that moment that Mbaku had with Shuri. Mm-hmm. You know, I really liked that. Um, let's jump. I, I oh, bet, go ahead. Real quick before you move on, yeah. I bet this confusion is caused by casuals that don't. That basically just think that, oh, the king of Wakanda is the Black Panther or the king of Wakanda uh, has to be the Black Panther. And it's like, no, that's they're not they're not mutually inclusive. They can be they can be separate. Well, because T'Challa in Civil War. Exactly. You know, his father is the king. T'Chaka is the king. But um, the only thing like in terms of like where the character goes under Civil War is that he just becomes king. He's already the Black Panther. Yes. Yep. Let's yeah, jump. Black Panther's just the the protector of Wakanda. Like it can't, yeah, sorry, I think you, you you can't you can be king and Black Panther. And I, you know, obviously his dad was like if you're when you're young and in shape and you can do that, it makes sense to pass it to someone who when when you get older and yeah, you I, can't physically do that. I think he I think he got to the point where he was like you know my son's gonna have to do this my son you know what I mean so he kind of just yeah. handed it off but. He wasn't ready to hand off like the duties and the the pressure of being king, and I feel like Shuri doesn't want that pressure and that this you know she just wants to be the Black Panther, so they're going to keep these things separate. And 
it might take audiences like the next movie to realize that. But yeah, it was nice that he like kind of just like cl- uh, cleared that up in that uh, interview. So we'll probably we'll probably find out in a future MCU movie that that's cement information too. I would imagine they'll like have a reference to something like, "Oh, we you know." We spoke to the king of Wakanda. We spoke to King Mbaku or something like that. We'll probably see that in the Wakanda series, which I, you know, we talked to, like, I thought that they weren't going to go forward with it. I hadn't heard any movement, but it sounds like they're still doing some things with that. So we'll probably hear about that in the Wakanda series if we get that before we get the next Black Panther appearance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see hearing about it in New World Order as well or or, or Thunderbolts. I I think Vibranium is not going to completely exit the plot line so i think we'll get it out there sooner than later let's jump into dc news last night batman destroyed my vagina and now the leftovers are going to destroy dc news it's time for dc news you fucking pieces of shit yeah what was it uh we talked we had that bonus episode and we were talking about like you know the james gunn yeah, and Momoa teasing Lobo. So James Gunn started a Mastodon account, and the first post was just a picture of Lobo. So people are like, holy shit, fucking James Gunn's planning a Lobo project. We even speculated, which makes sense. And I even said it in the past that I, I would love to see Gunn uh, direct a Lobo movie. And then we were like, you know, like, oh, Jason Momoa would be the perfect Lobo. And, and we couldn't think of anybody else. And then somebody on the fuck on fucking Twitter posted fan art of Carl Urban as Lobo, and I can't stop thinking about it. It's a good one. It's perfect. It is a really good one. <laughs> yeah, I saw the I saw the mock up that that someone did, and it looked really good. Not only that, but just Carl Urban, the actor. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, he's got the he's got the comedic chops, and, and he also comes across as a very stoic, tough guy. I, I think those are two realms that are hard to pull off at the same time for a lot of people. And he got a raw deal in Marvel, in my opinion, with the fucking bullshit character they gave him. And James Gunn got a raw deal over at Marvel too. It'd be nice if he fucking gave Carl Urban this. I I think it, I'd I'd love to see a Carl Urban Lobo. I mean, I'd, I I. Honestly, I'd want to see a Carl Urban Lobo over Momoa. I agree with that. <laughs> Momoa's already Aquaman. No need to double dip. Exactly. Carl Urban's right there. Yeah. And Carl Urban is, you know, not to throw any shade at Jason Momoa. I, I think he's awesome. He seems to be a really stellar human being as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, but I think Carl Urban's just a better actor. 100%. As well. I, I think he would be able to bring more to the role. And and really, when we were talking about a Momoa, a lot of what we were talking about was looks. Looks. And, and Carl Urban would be able to nail it in looks as well. And so, yeah, that, when I saw that, that fan art, I was like, how the fuck did we not think of this? This is great. Yeah. Hey, uh, June, do you watch The Boys? Yes. Yeah. I love The Boys. Me too. I can't. I can't. Do, do, uh, sounds like uh, Jensen Eccles is coming back for the fourth season, doesn't it? Excellent. I mean, I mean, I assume the way it ended they could bring him back. I didn't know if he was like, yeah, if yeah, there was like an announcement. Definitely. I, I, I feel like they could bring him back. I, did, I just didn't know that they were planning on bringing him back possibly in the next season. I, I just feel like I saw a picture of Jensen Eccles getting in shape and they were kind of tying it to the boys season four. Huh. 
Jensen Ackles. I'm sorry. I kept calling him Eccles. Yeah, and what's so funny, I, I really did like the season of The Boys. Um, I think my big surprise, you know, that Paul Reiser was in it. Um, <laughs> you know, and like the yeah. character he played, but that was like right after Stranger Things season four. Like, we're having a riser sans. Oh, yeah. He's fucking great. I mean, he's been... And there's something else he was in recently. He was in Stranger Things. No, no, there's something else, like, more, even more recently. Like, um, like this fall, I feel like he showed up in something uh, I cannot think of. He's on that reboot show that I love. Maybe that's what it is. Yes. Yeah, my husband was watching that, and my husband goes, Oh, my God, Paul, he's like, this is like... Yeah. A- third thing that we've seen Paul Reiser in it's, this uh, Yeah, it's uh, Judy Greer, Keegan-Michael Key, Keegan Michael Key uh, and then Paul Reiser's in that show, and he's fucking great. Yeah, no, my the, husband's watching it. He likes that one. Yeah, it's great. It's it's fantastic. It's on Hulu, and I think it's like six or seven episodes, and it's it's great. Um, yeah, the article, it's, it's from Screen Rant, and it just came out October 21st, so about a month ago, and it says, Jensen Ackles back in Soldier Boy shape in the Boys Season 4 photo. Uh, Jensen Ackles is back in Soldier Boy shape, with the actor shown hitting the gym and appearing in character again. So, yeah, a lot of traction behind him coming back in season four. So that would be interesting to explore that his relationship with Homelander and Ryan. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, that's really fucked up. Really fucked up relationship. Oh, it's so good. Oh my god, some of the. One of the best episodes of television, in my opinion, came out of fucking this last season. I, God damn, it was so good. Which one? It was the one where they where they were gonna. It, it was that fucking the one where they were gonna pit Homelander against fucking Soldier Boy. They were gonna fight and shit, and they start. You know, oh, god damn, and uh, fucking. Uh, I can't remember like the episode was number. Was it the Hero Gasm episode? Uh, it's the one where they're all fighting. It's like, uh, yeah. and you got fucking uh, Carl Urban taking the serum and fighting too. I, I, I was just, god damn it! Like, it just got like, it's that part of my male DNA that is drawn to fucking strong men, <laughs> and 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 partially in a. Partially in a hetero way and partially in a homosexual way, I'm sure. But no. Bit of both. A little bit of both. Yeah. <laughs> Straddle in the fence, Jake. Um, no, but like, in all honesty, it's it, it it hits that part of like that. I don't know. Growing up as a young boy in such a fucking like uh, uh, in the 80s with just like just these larger than life fucking actors playing like these heroes like Schwarzenegger and Stallone and and uh, fucking Jean-Claude Van Damme it just it had me it just hit that part of like my male DNA where I was just like oh my god the fucking heavyweights are gonna go at it <laughs> I, I, I've always just been like I'm the, I'm you know nothing against like the you know the the featherweights and the lightweights and the medium weights or whatever it's the heavyweights, the battle of the fucking titans. You know what I mean? That's it's like Hogan versus fucking Andre, fucking you know Tyson versus Holyfield. Yeah, I'm talking the fucking heavyweights. You know, Optimus Prime, Megatron. You know what I mean? That's what. I, so yeah, just to see like Homelander go up against Soldier Boy was just like oh my god! It just hit that fucking like 
that ah that episode just was everything to me. I would watch the whole season three again just to hit that episode again. It was so goddamn good. Anyway, uh, news from Dark Horizons: Gun Saffron currently working on DC Bible. On Thursday, Warner Brothers Discovery held a town hall meeting in which DC Studios' new CEOs and chairpersons James Gunn and Peter Safran were introduced to the company at large by CEO David Zaslav. According to the rap, Zaslav remarked that the pair are currently working on a Bible for a cohesive DC universe that will span multiple business units over a full decade. Safran followed that intro with the statement, This was such a unique opportunity to tell one great overarching story. One beautiful big story across film, television, gaming, live action, and animation. That would certainly suggest a more integrated Marvel-style universe, as has been suggested before. Gunn, who is in the midst of prepping the second season of HBO's Peacemaker, said, I love Superman. I love Batman. I love their interaction. I love the ways in which they're the same and the ways in which they are completely different. Gunn reportedly went on to praise Zaslav, saying, David... I just have to say quickly that I know that you are doing all this because you love these characters too and you love the possibility and the hope that they represent. And that has been clear to us from the beginning. We would have never considered this if that wasn't the case. So thank you. Uh, Gunn recently clarified on social media outlet Mastodon that all DC films will be under the new DC Studios umbrella, including Matt Reeves' follow-up to The Batman. Um... Yeah, I got more on gun here in a second. That's exciting. Yeah, it's about time that someone developed an actual cohesive plan to to snowball this universe instead of just basically flying by the seat of their pants from one project to the next. But are they starting? They're not starting up from scratch, though. No, I mean, it's kind of a daredevil born again situation where okay. you I mean, know, so it's, it's a lot like of the, the same, same crew, but okay, like the same, like Momo is still Aquaman, Gal Gadot is still Wonder Woman, correct? Okay, at least for yeah. now, that's what we, assume. yeah, we, we, we're assuming we, we, I mean, everything's changed, guys. Like, I don't know, we'll see what happens. I mean, they could have completely rewritten the end of the Flash movie after this move was made. We, I don't know. I know Gunn's a big Crisis fan, so he could very easily, you know, cast new actors to play these characters that will eventually interact with the Momoas of the world later, you know? Mm. It's all the rage to have the new meet up with the old, so crafting a story that eventually leads to something like that is is how you print money these days in the the box offices. He's got to make some hard decisions here, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like it's either going to be a case of, okay, we're going to just get rid of what clearly doesn't work. We're going to keep the elements that do work and we're going to try and, you know, throw them into a new and improved stew that people are going to like going forward. But I, I think the biggest thing is that they actually have a plan going forward. Mm-hmm. Is part of that plan sticking with some of the directors that they've used in the past? I mean, are, is, is Patty Jenkins getting the third Wonder Woman? Hard to say. I think the only the only past DC director that for sure will be doing more stuff at this point is James Gunn himself. Matt Reed. You know, Matt, yes, yes. 
It is interesting how they clarified that the next Matt Reeve Batman will also be under this umbrella. That's kind of what led me to thinking crisis-like thoughts. And then is Todd Phillips directing the second Joker movie too? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see because I think he's got some tough choices to make. Um, James Gunn revealed on Twitter today in response to a fan's question that he and new DC Studios co-head Peter Safran are planning to reveal their new DC plan to the Warner Discovery team in the next two months. He says, yes, that is true. When asked by Deadline recently how he felt about leaving the Marvel Guardians of the Galaxy sandbox behind for DC, Gunn responded, I feel really comfortable. I feel really good. We did this. I think this is a bit of goofy fun that the Guardians needed as an uh, aperitif for Volume 3, which is an enormous film. I had a plan from the beginning. The reason why I needed to finish this is because I love the character of Rocket more than any character I've ever dealt with before. And I needed to finish his story, and that is what Volume 3 is about. I absolutely needed to do it. And I think we've done it in a spectacular way that I can't wait for people to see. Uh, In regards regards to who Marvel will leave the Guardians franchise to, Gunn commented, It's not ever going to be the same group of characters for a lot of different reasons. Who knows what will happen with the Guardians franchise in regards to future characters, but in terms of this group of characters, this is the end of their story. Well... Some of them are going to die. <laughs> so Rocket is going to die, clearly. Um, and then uh, Dave Batista is definitely not coming back after this. Do, do, not, yeah, no. do not expect to see Dave Rocket, Batista no. show up in uh, Secret Wars. So, um, yeah. Who do you think... Oh, fuck. I answered my own question as soon as I was... I was going to ask the dumbest question ever, and I answered my question. I'm not even going to say it because I'm embarrassed. Um, <laughs> oh, no, you can't do that. <laughs> no, yes, I can. I can do whatever the fuck I want. Uh. <laughs> um, no, I was going to ask, who do you think Michael Rooker's going to... I was like, oh, he, he, he already fucking was in Suicide Squad, Brian. That's who Michael <laughs> Rooker... Jesus Christ. Anyway. He was in the second Suicide... Yeah. He was, yeah. That's right. Uh, so, um, yeah, I answered my question as soon as I started it. And I was like, Jesus Christ, Brian, that's the dumbest fucking question. But, Do you think the Rooker's like like kicking himself now, being like, God damn it, why did I let my character get killed off if my best buddy now is in charge of this universe here? Yeah. No. He'll figure I, out a way to get Rooker back in it. Yeah. I think so. He can come back as a voice of an alien or in prosthetics or something. He can, he exactly. can, find, he can find ways to come back. So, um, no, I'm, I, I, I think that James Gunn is what they need over there. I want to see how I, 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 you know, I, I, I can't say he's going to fix everything, but it is, it, 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 he has learned from the best. Can he, can he, can he spin gold from what he's learned from fucking Feige? We'll find out. But. No, it's like, you know, when an assistant coach gets the opportunity, you know, to go to a different college, right? And, like, you're given the head coach position. It's like, take what you learned and run with it and see. Yeah. June, here's my biggest concern with James Gunn being 
the head over there. I don't want everything to feel. I don't want everything to feel like it has this James Gunn influence, though, because Marvel doesn't have like Marvel clearly has all their movies, good or bad. Some of them feel very similar and then some of them are just very different. Mm-hmm. I don't want everything in the DC universe to feel like it has to have like this James Gunn edge to it. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, for as much as I love James Gunn, for as much as I love that he loves Superman, and for as curious as I am as to what a James Gunn Superman movie would be, I just don't know if he's the best choice to direct a Superman movie. You, I, you, yeah, tell, you tell me James Gunn, you tell me James Gunn Lobo, I'm like all in. Like, yes, give me James Gunn Lobo, but James Gunn Superman has me a little scared. I, that, no, you're right. Cause like, again, I don't need like the clever needle drops in a Superman movie. Right. You yeah. know, yeah. like I, I don't need the awesome soundtrack of below the radar hit pop songs from the seventies and eighties. I mean, like it's, it works. And I think James Gunn is fantastic with music, but you, that you don't always need to go to that with everything. Yeah, I just I want the, I want the the one thing that I that I want from him is I want him to be able to recruit the right actors to bring in the right actors, and I want him to be able to find the right directors for these projects, the directors that make sense for these projects, the directors that are going to bring out too. the best <laughs> of their cast, and no more Ezra Millers, you know. Um, I, Maybe not always let the directors write. Like, wasn't that the issue with 1984? Patty Jenkins. Yeah, yeah. Like the the, the first Wonder Woman, uh, the script was uh, she didn't ha- really have a hand in the script. And in the second mo- the second movie, she was like a she co wrote the script. Yeah, and they had completely different writers on it. And I, I feel like yeah, keep her out of like you know I wanted to have her input, of course, but like. Wonder Woman 84 compared to the first movie, in my opinion, is just a huge failure. And so, you know, like, keep her out of, like, the writing room. I'm sorry. You know, she's a fantastic director. It's just I don't want her to have it. That story was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. That is all I got. Oh, no Star Wars? Was there Star Wars? What's going on? I don't think so. Yeah, then no Star Wars, Jake. Oh. <laughs> yeah, fuck Star Wars. <laughs> Andor's awesome. Watch it. <laughs> yes. I know. I'm excited to watch it. I am going to start watching it now. The follow-up to Andor is going to be nor neither. Just <laughs> <laughs> wondering where you're going to go with that. <laughs> Nowhere good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Almost epically hilariously bad. <laughs> I know. That's what, I wanted to say it really dumb. <laughs> and see if I could see if I could make you fuckers laugh from the dumbest thing coming out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Joe. Yes, sir. There you go. There you are, buddy. <laughs> Joe's like, that's my name. Where can people find you when you're not on PCL? Yeah, you can find me on StartCast. That's my long-form conversation show. I do uh, new episodes dropping every Saturday. Uh, The episode that dropped this weekend was with Rebecca Daling. That was a a real joy to, to chat with Rebecca again. 
Yeah, you're gonna have to tell me how you fucking book her for an episode. I can't. I get... know she. She needed yeah. to have her on. I missed hearing. I tr- I tried. I tried maybe like a month or two ago, and uh, she got sick and couldn't make it. So I don't know how you book her. I don't know. What... <laughs> we started the episode talking about how how busy she is <laughs> these days. <laughs> yeah, can't get Rebecca on one of these days. I you know, I'm just sick of rejection, Joe. Yeah, I feel you. <laughs> she can come on whenever she wants. She, she just if she shoots me a fucking message and says I want to come on an episode, she's on. That's all she needs to do. She don't have to wait for me. But uh, yeah, I'd love to have her come back. Um, June, you're on a podcast that nobody can fucking listen to. Where can people? I know. If- yep. I that is um, I, <laughs> uh, our co-host see. Um, what we will do about that, but uh, the podcast called Apple Oranges. Uh, yeah. It's a podcast I do with Jesse Candelari and Paul Hart, where we discuss Apple original content. Um, the last episode that anyone can find is from a year ago. So, um, I thought your podcast was part of the Mandela effect. Like it, like you know, I thought it was part of the Mandela effect. Like, did it really exist? Was there really an Apple to Oranges podcast or not? <laughs> I'm wondering what's happened to like Cine dudes. Cine nothing. I don't know. And uh, are are Paul you know movies from the heart? Yeah, I don't know. I can't. I'm just all I'm saying is I hope you get your feed issues straightened out on Apple to Oranges. I know. I think hopefully. I think last time we talked with Paul, I thought I'm optimistic. So. Yeah, be on the lookout for that massive backlog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and by the way, so disclaimer: the pricing of Apple <laughs> TV will have changed. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I got that. Yeah, that's because that episode was from like February of this year. I pay my Apple. Um, I pay my Apple uh, subscription for Apple TV all in one lump sum. Saves you a little bit of money. So it went now from 50 bucks. They're telling me it's going to jump up to 70 Yeah. Oh, you pay, it, you pay it yearly. Yeah. You save a little okay. bit of money that way. Yep. I pay it yearly. I don't like having, like, I don't like them nickel and diming me every fucking month. Five bucks, it adds up. And so it's just like, just take the big fucking lump sum. That way I don't have to fucking worry about you fuckers for the next year. I'll just, you know what I mean? I did the yeah, Disney. That's smart. I, well, I, cause I, with Disney Plus, I, um, I did the three year, like pay for three years because you're yeah, basically getting I one year too. free. Yeah, and it, uh, came, it worked out to be $4.40 a month, June. Yeah. And so, but then our, the, the, that subscription was coming up. And so, um, I just decided we did the Disney, Hulu, ESPN bundle. Because uh, actually, well, the reason we did that is because my husband, they, he got an American Express offer for doing that. So we got a discount on that. All right. I feel like I just had a fucking conversation with my mom and fell asleep. I'm sorry. What? Where are? Where am I? <laughs> so me and your father are going to be going to Brown County, Indiana this weekend because the... Leaves are beautiful this time of year. (laughs) 
We've got to go driving to go look at the leaves one weekend. I feel like oh, there's an old. There's an Amish restaurant there, Brian. They make the best mashed potatoes, and it's. It, it, oh my god, mom! <laughs> I fell asleep again. Yeah, no shit. Fuck. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. We're. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like half the time I'm talking to my mom, she's filling me in around people from my hometown who have died. She's like, do you remember so-and-so? I'm like, no, I don't. Oh, they died. I'm like, okay. I'm like, when did you turn into the Grim Reaper? Why do you just keep reading obits to me? Can we just have a normal father or mother-son conversation without you filling me in on obscure people from my childhood that have shuffled the mortal coil? Me and my dad, when when me, not me and my mom, me and my mom, we, we can, I don't know. We, yeah, we talk about stuff, but we don't talk about anything important. Me and my dad I, rarely talk anymore. Uh, I rarely get text messages from... Because every time we talk, we get into an argument about something. Mm-hmm. And so we just don't talk. It's just... <laughs> that's the way it works. Yep. <laughs> Good for everyone that way. It probably is. It probably is. Yeah, this... Th- oh, man. I didn't even realize Thanksgiving. It's next week? Yeah, Already. It's Thursday. Yeah. That yeah. Is, I ain't doing shit, man. You're, I'm so jealous of you that you like just now are like, oh, my God, Thanksgiving's Thursday. I had no yeah. idea. I didn't no, realize it was, was my life. I didn't know hey, if it was I a think, week away, two weeks away. Yeah, because your parents didn't steal your Thanksgiving. My husband and I, we were just going to spend Thanksgiving at our beach house. Just the two of us. My sister was bringing her kids down, and my mom was like, hey, we'll come to Hilton Head, too. And so they got this big rental. And I was like, you guys just totally awesome. So, yep, hosting family Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't done. I don't I can't tell you the last time I did a family Thanksgiving. Oh, my God. So. Yeah. What am I going to do? Jake, are there any buffets open anymore? Is there is, is that a thing? I don't think so. I don't think so. Man, I miss that. Miss going to the old buffet on Thanksgiving. Jake, I would. I'm I would, Chinese. I know. Yeah, that's what I did last year. I think I did that on Thanksgiving or Christmas. I can't remember. One of those days, I just ate Chinese. I, I went. Yeah, I saw a movie, and then I went to a Chinese place, got Chinese, and ate it in the car, and drove on. <laughs> drove on. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas! <laughs> Tremendous, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> eating it alone in the car is really the cherry on the. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 it's so true. It's it's wild. It's wild. It's like I, you know, yeah. I host this podcast and I know people all around the world and shit. And here I am, fucking sitting in my car alone eating Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, invitation from eric marable this year i'm thankful for general (laughs) (laughs) soul this fried rice is awesome anyway yeah i don't know i don't know what i may be doing on thanksgiving probably go see a movie or something yeah bunch of stuff coming out like fucking premieres on thanksgiving day yeah, new Spielberg movie, new Disney things coming out, something else too. Yeah, might uh, 
pull up it's some pictures. It's kind of pictures. crazy how the holidays have become big movie release days. Is that just because we all realize we hate our families and we need to like escape and not talk to each other for two and a half hours? I think it's, it, always, it's always been that way. Yeah, holidays yeah. have always been big movie uh, outings. Families yeah. get together, they go see a movie on Christmas Day. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, because it's one of the only things that are open. If you want to, you know, like after you open the yeah. gifts and after you eat the food, you know, like and what you, so you don't have to talk to each other for a couple hours. Exactly. <laughs> there's also there's also a lot of religions that don't celebrate Christmas, and um, true, they're very thankful that not everything is closed and they can entertain themselves. Not everybody has the luxury of me waking up to nothing. Stay, you know what I mean. <laughs> I wake up. I wake up. Nobody's demanding me doing anything on this holiday. I don't wake up and have somebody like, "Oh, you need to do this, and uh, we need to set this up." And I got, you know, somebody. We're, they're coming over, and we're all. No, I just I wake up on Thanksgiving, and it's like I'm thankful that I've pushed everyone out of my life. I'm gonna jerk off. All right. <laughs> <laughs> sure. sounds, sounds, actually sounds wonderful. <laughs> I've pushed all the, all the people that are supposed to be important. I, you know, it's not. Listen, like my sister begged for years. My sister would beg me to come over for like Thanksgiving and shit. And I would just be like, listen, you can fix me a plate. You can drop it off. Or I can go over there and I can pick it up. But I'm coming right back home. I'm not I'm not playing in your fucking reindeer games. And now she doesn't. Now, now it's not. There's never a moment where she asked me to come over and spend time with the with the with with the family. I I think my niece and nephew forgot my name. Oh, oh we have we have. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle B something. Uncle Bernie. <laughs> Uncle Bernie. <laughs> Rafe. Uh, <laughs> Uncle Rafe finds. <laughs> Anyway. That's it. We'll be back. How are you doing next week? I don't even think I wrote shit down for next week, Jake. Sometimes people like to know what we're going to talk about the next week. Fableman. Oh, are you watching and, White Lotus, uh, Brian? Oh, the second season? I haven't started it yet. Is it uh, good? Okay. Mm-hmm. It's been good so far, yeah. Yeah. Aubrey Plaza is going to, like, she's a standout this season. All she's I have. Fantastic. Well, I love her. All I have for next week, Jake, on the list, I got to figure out next week's list, is uh, Say Hey, Willie Mays. It's a documentary on uh, HBO Max. And Welcome to Chippendales on Hulu. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that series looks like it could be pretty good. It would because I love Kumail Nanji. Like, I love him. Oh, that's who's in that? Yeah. 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 There you go. There you have it. We're done. Let's get out of here. All right. Let's do it. We're closing up shop. All right. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. PCL's closed. Brian, I would like to say I really appreciate you having me on. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, got stuff going on in my life. And so this has been a very good distraction this week. So I very much appreciate it. I'm glad that we were able to have this for you, June. Yeah, I mean, it's been, this is, actually recording you guys tonight has been, like, wonders Good. for me. So, like, I this was so much fun, and so, thank you always. I love your energy, and it, it, now I'm just upset at myself for squashing it earlier. 
<laughs> Seriously, I feel like there, there's moments in this podcast where I'm like beating June into submission. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like a UFC fighter, and I've got her in that fucking yeah, but you know what? You rear naked like, choke. You not feel, no, you honestly like it, again. I am on a lot of medication right now. There was a, there was a moment in this podcast where I, I swear I heard Joe Rogan say she's gonna tap. <laughs> I mean, you're better than her other podcast host who won't even allow her episodes to be released. So no. I, no word. <laughs> I think you know what next, next time we have Paul on, we're, we're going to record it. We ain't even gonna, we're not going to even release it. Just in like, you know what I mean? Yeah, in solidarity. In solidarity, we, we, we stand with June. Right? Yeah. Don't worry. This we'll eventually release this on the Apple to Oranges feed. <laughs> <laughs> Paul hates me right now. No, Paul. Paul, it's impossible. Paul, uh, you. Paul hasn't got this far in the episode, so I'm not worried. Paul's Paul's fast asleep by now. <laughs> <laughs> He's only fell asleep one time, and it was it's all it all it takes. I'm th- because he was um, he and Jesse were going to Billy's wedding last year, so he was staying at Jesse's place. So they were recording together. And granted, yeah, he had like an early flight and everything, and. Um, they had like I think they had the huge dinner of like Philly cheesesteak sandwiches, right? So he fell asleep with the cat on his chest. <laughs> I just had a We've visual. There, I've just had a visual of a family driving by me on Christmas Day as I'm eating Chinese food alone in my car, <laughs> and, and and pointing at me and saying, "That's really sad." You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, like when I was a kid and we'd drive through a city and we'd see like, you know, somebody, you know, homeless holding up a sign. I think it would get the same reaction from a family on Christmas seeing like this, you know, guy in his mid 40s eating Chinese fried rice in his car alone on Christmas Day. Yeah, it's a learning experience. <laughs> oh my God. What, what, look at this sad fuck. <laughs> Mom, I don't want to end up like that. <laughs> Trust me, kids. You know, I you know I didn't I didn't envision this life for me either. I thought I was gonna grow up, you know, get married, find love, have a family. Doesn't always work that way. It doesn't always work that way. Sometimes you fucking end up alone on Christmas Day eating Chinese food in the fucking parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, you've become the urban legend, Brian. You should go to the same place. I just, I just, and make it a tradition. And make it a tradition. I'm just thinking about my car underneath like a lamp post, and there's like nothing around. (laughs) 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 You just, all you can see is like you look in, and you just see me like. Crying as I as I'm eating my pork fried rice. Legend, it would, and then you have the legend that spreads across the community. Yeah, they're like they're like every year. He goes. <laughs> it's like the great pumpkin. I'm like, how close can you get to the car before you're too scared and run away? It's like a family mm-hmm. tradition where people come out and they they, yes. they they I'm a reminder of those less fortunate, you know? <laughs> like, guys just <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like I'm I make them thankful for their lives. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> the 
restaurant and gives you a discount because you're bumming yes. everybody out. <laughs> uh, look at him in there with his plastic cutlery. <laughs> so sad. Wait till he finds out we forgot to give him a fortune cookie. <laughs> Oh look at him! He dropped the he dropped the soy sauce packet in between the seat. <laughs> he's got to get out of the car now, and he's got to dig underneath the seat. <laughs> oh shit! Uh, all right, floated <laughs> everywhere. That is it. We'll see you next week, guys. See ya later, y'all. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Congratulations. I don't know how you did it. I couldn't do it. You people need a t-shirt saying, I just listened to two hours of nonsensical crap. Anyway, if you'd like to reach the Pop Culture Leftovers cast, you can email them at comments at popcultureleftovers.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at PC Leftovers or like their Facebook page. They'd love to hear from you. They're all pretty sad and lonely. One of them is homeless, but I didn't say that. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat. But it's all been done before. We don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It's a trap. Toss it, good and taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's fix it, clean erase it. Let's embrace it. Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture. Carry over counterculture. Push over pop culture. Leftovers. And with the uncool kids, what's to say's already been said. Leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers. Podcasts that are original and good. Have already been done before, so we should separate the wheat from the shaft. And we're the shaft, the crap, even though we're the shit. Woo! We're the leftovers picking up the scraps, dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good and toss it, good and taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's fix it, can't erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over counterculture, push over pop culture. Leftovers. And with the uncool kids. What's to say's already been said Leftover Pretty sure that the only talent Is the band that's singing this Pop culture leftovers Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, push over, pop culture. Leftovers. And with the uncool kids, what's to say's already been said. Leftovers. Pretty sure the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers.